Yep. Good evening. Welcome to the Tuesday, January, or January, March 14th, 2023, Lawrence City Commission meeting. Happy Pi Day. This is Pi Day, so good for you to be here. We'll start out with some instructions from um, Sherry, I believe. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, good evening, everyone. If you are attending this meeting via Zoom, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. When you are participating, please unmute and turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat and all chats go directly to the meeting host. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, those attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. Those participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Participants will be called upon in order in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Again, please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. All right, we'll go ahead and get started then. We'll start with item A, which is... Should we hold on and see about Commissioner? We uh, One of our commissioners, Amber Sellers, is on Zoom and she's having a little technical dif difficulty. She on yet? I'll note when she joins the meeting, Mayor. And okay. Wait. I we'll go ahead on this stuff and yeah. hopefully she'll get on quickly. So on item A is to approve the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Is there any commissioner that would like to change the agenda? Nope. Then we'll ask for a motion. Move to approve the agenda. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. So that's 4 0. We don't have the fifth on yet. Item B, we're going to go with the recognition and proclamation of our beloved Mary Doveton. So, Mary, who would like to speak on Mary's behalf? Working. Thank you, Commissioners. Um, I believe you have a proclamation that will be read aloud. We don't have yep. it in front of us, but I will going to do it. Uh, prevail upon one of you to do so. Uh, my name is Amy Kelly. I am the President of the Board of Directors for Theatre Lawrence, and uh, it would be impossible to say a few words about Mary Dufton because we don't have the time, um, because there are no few words you can say other than in 1977, with a great idea and a couple of really passionate people, she had $500 and they started the Lawrence Community Theater. That was 45 years ago. Um, since that time, they've been in, uh, landed, did, did theater all over the place, landed at, at a place at, at New Hampshire, at 15th in New Hampshire. They were there for a while. And then Mary had the great idea to 
build their own building that is a purpose-built building for theater. And with $7 million of private money, they built Theater Lawrence as we know it, and it is an absolute jewel in Northeast Kansas, and, um, and we thank Mary for that. And I would like to also say uh, that we have a whole lot of people here supporting Mary today, board members, uh, a lot of longtime supporters, and of course, her fam and a couple of staff members, yes, some staff members, and her family, her husband John, her daughter Claire, and one of her grandsons, Willis. So they are here supporting Mary. So um, hopefully we can hear the proclamation. Yep. Yeah. I'll read it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So Mary, whereas Mary Doveton founded the Lawrence Community Theater in 1977 and among her many other roles has served as executive director ever since and through its evolution into Theater Lawrence. And whereas through her dedicated leadership and the help of determined artists, the theater and its programs grew over the years and they eventually raised enough money to purchase and transform an old church at 15th and New Hampshire into a performance space. And whereas after prospering through many performances and surviving flood and fire, the organization raised $7.2 million through a capital campaign program and opened the current Theater Lawrence facility in 2013. And whereas the stories, the music, and the laughter given life on the stage have brought tears and joy to hundreds of thousands of people. And the dedication, imagination, and persistence of so many talented people has created an arts institution in which the entire community can take great pride in. And whereas Theater Lawrence exists, exists as a result of Mary's dedicated and brilliant leadership over the past four and a half decades and will continue to, to provide love, laughter, and the magic of theater for our community and for decades to come. Whereas Mary announced her retirement to be effective this year once a new director has been selected. So now therefore I, Lisa, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, along with my fellow commissioners, do hereby recognize the tremendous contribution, Mary, that you've made to our community and wish you only the very best. And we'll, we'll end that on to on break a leg, Mary. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll wait till y'all get out. Well done, you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a break a leg too. <laughs> My break a leg. <laughs> oh, uh, whoop, I gotta go. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I know. <laughs> Plotting. <laughs> All right, we will go go ahead with the rest of our meeting. Um, Commissioner Sellers is still working on getting connected, but we'll go ahead with the public comment period. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be li limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Do we have any general public comment on items that are not already on the agenda? 
My name is Clavin Snow, and I've come here tonight because of a couple things going on uh, down at the North Lawrence camp. I applaud that the city brought the hygiene trailers out of storage and made them available for use. This addresses so many basic needs and is an asset to everyone that now has access to a simple shower. However, it was disappointing to discover that the showers are only available to people living on the south side of the North Lawrence camp. When someone north of the imaginary line wants to take a shower, they are denied access, even if the showers are sitting empty. Unfortunately, this is not the only problem. The second issue has me so appalled that I can barely find words for it, though I absolutely cannot leave it unaddressed. There is an older woman on the fortunate south side of the camp who uses a wheelchair. She has trusted friends who could help her in the shower, but instead she is put in the violating position of having to entrust a stranger with her hygiene, her vulnerability, her nudity. No city staff should be considered qualified to see someone naked against their inclination, and this woman shouldn't be coerced into exposing herself to city staff simply to get her basic hygiene needs met. Again, I applaud the city for providing the hygiene trailers and extending the camp's date of closure, but the problems I cited have got to be addressed. I am here to call for the city to open the hygiene trailers to capacity so that people are not denied showers while the trailers sit empty, and to allow the disabled autonomy in deciding who may assist them with their most intimate tasks. Thank you. Any other public comment, general public comment? I'm Malcolm Ironok. Um, I didn't have a chance to prepare my comments today, so I'm going to be speaking from the heart. Oh, take this off. I'd like to echo what Clavin uh, said. Despite the ability, the ability of the city to make sure that everyone in that camp is showered, I learned recently that now Wi-Fi is available at that camp, which is fantastic. The fact that only one side of the camp is allowed to use the showers is preposterous at best. Uh, that there is an elderly woman who uh, cannot even be showered by people she trusts and must submit to the, must entrust her vulnerability to staffers whom she barely knows is appalling. I call on everyone here to imagine being in that position, um, to be vulnerable, be homeless, and then when asked, you know, when asking if, hey, could I have someone actually know and then actually trust, you know, shower me and see me nude, and you're told no. You have to have a complete stranger do it. Uh, I'm sure most of us would not feel very happy about that. Uh, I was also learning a bit about the pallet project that we have um, ongoing right now, pallet homes, uh, to temporarily shelter people, and the expansion of the uh, Lawrence Community Shelter, these are not enough to address homelessness and as the death spiral of late stage capitalism continues to engulf more and more people as rent goes, uh, continues to spiral upwards as home ownership continues to be out of reach out of more and more people as economic crises intensify, there will be more homeless people. And there is no way that 
there will ever be an amount of capacity for temporary shelters to change this problem. What is necessary is housing, is a human right of housing, a housing guarantee. There are hundreds if not thousands of empty, unoccupied homes all over Lawrence being held hostage by the landowners and the property uh, owners who would make more money letting them sit empty. What is needed is nothing short of expropriation. We need the political courage of our elected officials to actually enact that that happens. Thank you. Other public comment? Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, Danielle Davey, Governmental Affairs Director for the Lawrence Board of Realtors. Uh, I'm here this evening because I'm excited and hopeful. Uh, much like today's sunny day today, we have, uh, we're starting to see the sprouts of new housing development in our community, and uh, this is a good thing. This is long overdue. Uh, as I've told you all probably more times than you wanted to hear, our community is desperately in need of more housing. And this is a housing of all kinds, all sizes, all price points. Uh, I know that market rate and specialized housing is not as sexy or as politically appealing as affordable housing, but affordable housing starts with just more housing. Uh, every new unit of housing in our community, whether rental or owner-occupied, whether subsidized or luxury, encourages movement within our real estate market and opens up additional housing opportunities for people in our community. The Lawrence Board of Realtors typically does not take positions on specific projects, so I'm not here tonight to talk about any particular proposal but rather to encourage you as you start to consider some of the housing developments that we're seeing sprout up in our community to encourage housing development uh, tonight and in future meetings to find ways to say yes and uh, allow for more housing in our community. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Hello, I'm Chris Flowers. Um, a couple of meetings ago, we had that whole um, thing about changing the government, and I ended up getting thrown out of that meeting. And one of the things I was kind of bitching about is how you're setting it up where you're going to use at-large results to possibly fill in a district position. And I can understand, well, things aren't going to be perfect when this st first starts to roll out. But what you're asking, basically, is the town to sacrifice for you all, is what I think. Um, you're asking the town to possibly accept someone that a district rejected to represent them. So if, if, if you're going to treat it that um, at large is interchangeable with district, then I say you all need the resume to make that interchangeable. And what I mean is this, that you all should, if you run for re-election, you should win you should finish top three in both at large and the district you would be representing. Like whatever district, like we don't know the districts yet, but once they're figured out, if you do not finish in the top three of your district, I'm asking you all to um, 
forfeit your last two years and have a special election to fill out the remainder since you would not be qualified to be a district um, commissioner if you don't finish top three in that district. So that, that's the challenge I'm laying out for y'all. But I also want to address the, the, what's going on with the police where the Community Police Review Board reviewed a case and it turns out the case was actually fake. It's from, from what I understand from reading in the paper and what I saw on video. Um, and I, I think the commission needs to address this because uh, Commissioner Larson at, the no, at a November meeting was talking about the work the board's doing and she used that as an example of the work the board's doing. But it turns out that work was actually fake. So did the cops fool you or were you in with the cops and trying to like possibly push it off that the CPRB is actually reviewing cases when it's just bullshit from the cops? Like, have they actually reviewed a case or has it all just been fake? And they said it was training, but if it was training, why did it, they wait months afterwards to tell them? Like, why wouldn't you tell them right away? So I don't think it was training. Thank you. Any other general public comment? Go ahead. Come on up. Okay. Um, hey, I want to apologize because I don't know if this is a general comment could, before. Could you I've state your name, please? Uh, Sika and Destroy. Um, I can't tell if it's a general comment because I couldn't tell if it was on the agenda. I was um, wanting to speak in regards to the green spaces um, behind Arizona Place. So that'll be later in the... Okay. In the, in the, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, how about on Zoom? Do we have any general public comment on Zoom? Stephen Watts. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's a very recent police review board. Our town police department made a presentation with respect to, quote, reportable use of force, unquote. It's reportable use of force, unquote, not just simply use force. And let's focus on this word reportable. Simple use of force statistics, not the quote, reportable use of force, unquote, statistic. Back of how often our police are compelled to beat people to keep us all safe and secure in our quest for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If whatever happened is not reportable, according to current policy, no statistic is kept and the event is viewed as no big deal. Our current use of force policy underscores the fact and reality. Our police civil servants are permitted to beat people about the body below the head with fists, karate chops, and other open palm attacks as well as the application of pressure points. As the policy is currently written, police are permitted and encouraged to kick and knee the human body anywhere below the head, including the groin, neck, kidneys, liver, and back, because such blows and strikes are not reportable. Nobody's watching. 
This reality is created by our current written policy, 300.5, 300.5.1, and 300.5.2. Is our town comfortable with the reality any contact or striking to or with a person by our town police, which is below the head, utilizing the hands or feet or knees or elbows or heck, even the mouth for, for biting is not a, quote, reportable use of force, unquote. I could be wrong, but I was at the meeting and that's what I saw and that's what I heard. I also read the policy and this is what the policy is. As long as it's below the head, anything's open. I can't believe that the good people of Lawrence, Kansas, want their police to play games with words and say, well, this was not a reportable use of force because it was below the head. I hope that you can recognize what's going on with the way we do use of force in this town. It's shocking. Thank you. Other general public comment? Jeremy Rothkeschel. Greetings. I want to deal with the first and foremost with this question of citizen oversight in relationship to the quote unquote review board. And I do want to echo previous comments about what has now come fully public that the little bits of grist for the mill of claiming that this uh, community review board that should actually be a citizen oversight uh, of the police uh, board has actually been able to um, produce work in that direction has largely been a fraud. We've been telling you this for months. Some have been telling you this for years. And it has now come out that yes, there were only, they were basically just running a drill in the singular case that the mayor pointed to in terms of, look, work is happening. No, work is not happening. There are people of good faith on that board, but the ordinance that put them on that board has restrained their actual proper oversight powers. So we need to not have any more uh, obfuscation, obscurantism uh, in any kind of manner from our public servants on the city commission or in relationship to what should be the citizens uh, police oversight board. We need a new ordinance. Uh, even the new commissioners who came in, who were brought in by the mayor uh, are beginning to become aware of the restrained nature of what their duties are based upon the ordinance. There is some problems there. Both of them uh, appear to be in line with attempting to even siphon down the the already very small powers that 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 board already uh, is limited to. Uh, we need a full overwrite, and I believe that this is we need at at this time in our governance in this city in this country. We need radical reform in many many areas, land holding and relationship to 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 homes and housing, in terms of taxing and and effective and uh, and equitable tax law. 
we need uh, oversight and we need uh, public servants who don't try to whittle down, for example, the uh, communications of the city in terms of the minutes. I will touch on that next week in terms of we still have a dispute about what Robert's Rules of Orders actually designates in terms of uh, a public uh, meeting. It, it, my version from the Dusty Bookshelf from the mid-60s says that any minutes that are to be published Time. publicly. Thank you, any other general thank public you. comments? None? No, Mayor. All right, we'll bring it back to the commission. We will move on to item D, the consent agenda. We got Amber. Welcome, Commissioner Sellers. Um, items on the consent agenda are consideration and appreciation. There will be no separate discussion on these items. If discussion is desired, that item will be, will be removed from the consent agenda and considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak on an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any commissioners that would like to pull anything off the consent agenda? Commissioner Sellers? All right, is there any, any um, audience members that would like to pull an item off the consent agenda for further discussion? Um, D1, please. D, what, which one? Delta 1. Okay. Any other? Yeah, uh, D6H about the Washington, D.C. trip. Okay. Any other items? Okay, we'll bring it back up to the commission. So we've got two items, D1A as well as D6H will be pulled. So can I get a motion for all the others? Move to approve the consent agenda with the exception of D1A and D, what was it? 6H. Thank you, 6H. I can't read my own handwriting. 6H. Okay. Second. Mayor, gotta, point of order. Gotta, Remember, this is for the public, first. not the audience. Excuse me. If you, uh, Jeremy, you're out of order, and if you um, get out of order again, we're going to cut you off, okay? So I, I won't. If, if, if you don't get out of order, I won't okay. get out of order. Um, Casey, would you please remove Jeremy from the Zoom? We are Thank the you. public, not Thank the you. audience. Thank you. Okay, have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Mayor, I'm sorry, I missed the second in the midst. Okay, I, I said okay, it. Thank yeah. you. No, I apologize. Commissioner Sellers, did you vote on that? I didn't hear you. I wasn't voting until Sherry received clarification, but this is Commissioner Sellers. I say aye. Okay, that passes five to zero. Okay, we'll move on to item D1A. Thanks, Stephen Pulpit. Yes, Stephen. Mr. Watts. Oh, thank you. That's your item. Yes. Just a moment, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, these minutes are inadequate. They do not reflect what went on in the meeting. They are sanitized, washed over, piece of trash, really. I mean, uh, Something that some lawyers dreamed up. Well, we don't really have to do anything other than speak to the real points that we voted on. I, I don't think that that's correct. And I haven't thought it's correct. And I'm not going to think it's correct. It's not functional to throw the guy out of the meeting when he was going to get here and talk about minutes. 
I think he was, or I know I am, we're going to keep talking about this because there's never been a decision. Nobody has ever said as a good idea and why it's a good idea. We have pointed out the problems. I did send an email here a while ago, sometime this week, that identifies when our town came up with this ridiculous idea in 2016. And the rationalization in that memo is even for enhanced transparency. That's so funny about all this stuff. It's darkly funny. Thank you for the time. Right. So we have uh, consider approving the, the 3723 City Commission meeting minutes. We need to vote on that, Sherry. Uh, you will, but we'll need to make sure there is a oh, public comment. Any public comment on this item? I'm sorry. None. Any public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. All right. We'll bring it back up to here. Any discussion? If not, I entertain a motion. Move to approve the City Commission minute meetings of March 7th, 2023. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 That passes five to zero. So we'll move on to D. 6H, which is the consider authorizing city commission travel to Washington, D.C., March 24th through the 28th of 2023 for the purpose of attending the National League of Cities Congressional Cities Conference. Hi, this is uh, Chris Flowers, and I pulled this just, um, I have a couple of questions. Um, first of all, I noticed um, Amber Sellers, her registration fee was a little bit more expensive and maybe not this time, but I was just wondering if is the reason because she missed a registration date or something, because I know some places have different prices where if you register by such a time, uh, you get a cheaper deal. So I just think and if we do that, if that's what's going on here, that in the future, that if someone misses a registration date and has to pay more they pay for it out of their own pocket if they want to go and not the city's taxpayers money um also there was pr different prices and like um food and lodging um i just curious how come some commissioner has a higher food bill than some of the others i noticed courtney shipley's her total expense is the lowest so i want to congratulate her for keeping the price down for the taxpayers um but and my question is, when it comes to the total price, are, are commissioners Finkeldy and Shipley, are either of you going to be running this year? Because if we send you, we're paying over $2,000 for you to get training just for something that's only going to last seven to eight months because your, your term's up in, what, November? So is this a good deal for the city to be having you go like seven or eight months? And also it talks about um, direct access to the legislators. Um, what will you be, ad or like if, if you have access to our legislators, um, what are you going to be talking about? Like, are you going to be advocating for political stuff. Um, if you are, I'm assuming it would be the our legislative priority statement, but will you be advocating for anything that's not on that? And if I remember correctly, we 
toned down our legislative priority statement where it's just like five or six things, wasn't it? So that aspect, I don't see how having you go and talk to legislators about our priorities when there's just a few of them, I don't see how that's worth um, two to $3,000 per person. Um, so, and if, if you are advocating for stuff that's not in the legislative priority statement, well, I'm kind of against that because I've seen Fink, he's against recreational marijuana. I don't want him talking to like Lindsey Graham or, or um, MTG, you know, like I don't want him advocating for something that he believes. Thank you, Chris. You. Any other public comment or any public com comment on this item? Uh, there is online, Mayor. Okay. Stephen Watts. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate Mr. Flowers bringing this up. I have meant to do some follow-up on this kind of stuff myself. And that has to do with if we're going to pay to people for, if we're going to pay for travel, which I'm fully supportive of, I think that we need to go outside of our own little burg and find stuff. It's funny, though, that people don't go to Greensburg, Kansas, or Larned, Kansas, they make fancier trips, but that's okay. A piece was placed into travel requirements such that after travel was completed, the attendee would write a little paper about what was learned at the training and its applicability to Lawrence, Kansas. It has denigrated over the course of the last five years, and now you just get a sentence from city staff. It's not just uh, commissioners, it's it's city staff more so than, than commissioners, but since this is a commissioner thing, well, you know, it needs to be more than just a sentence. I learned a lot at the training. It applies to my job. No, no, please. Can we not have them write? This is what I did. This is what I learned. This is how it applies to what I'm doing. This is my plan to impact on my fellow workers and give them some of the information that I got so they don't have to go and waste their time doing this. It's just a thought that we can put in, a, if not a paper, a paragraph. This is a succinct, this is what went on. Just an idea, thank you. Any other public comment? No, Mayor. If not, we'll bring it back to the commission. Any discussion on this? Uh, Sherry could probably yeah. speak to. Sure. Um, so um, Commissioner Sellers is um, going a day early because she's attending some events for the National Black Caucus of Local Elected Officials, which she's a part of. She could give more information on that. So um, she um, has additional commitments and then on the um, the hotel rooms, um, they book all the registrations were on time. It was just a more of all the hotels that they book. Some were had different rates, and we try to keep them close to where all of the events are occurring, so you don't have additional expenses in travel. So the initial, I believe, three commissioners are at one hotel and two are at another hotel. If there's any other information, you now, just say that Commissioner Little John and I are going earlier on the day on Saturday to attend some um, advocacy meetings. And I think um, Courtney's coming later in the evening. Uh, so that has a little difference in the, I guess that's an additional meal or lunch and then the, the, the diff different costs. And uh, we will be meeting with our um, elected officials. So the two senators, Miranda Marshall, as well as um, 
I'm, I'm not sure if we've got both um, both um, representatives or not. Yeah, we meet with Latona and I'm not sure exactly on the schedule that they haven't released that schedule, but definitely the two senators. So no Lindsey Graham for me. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> That's good to know, you know, MTG. <laughs> All right, do we um, have a motion then? I move to authorize Vice Mayor Littlejohn, Commissioner Finkelbach, Commissioner Shipley, and Commissioner Solis to attend the National League of Cities Conference. Second. I got a first and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed, it passes five to zero. All right, we're moving on to our regular agenda items. Item number one, receive recommendations from the Public Incentives Review Committee. I'm going to go ahead and read this. Consider conducting a public hearing on the adoption of the crossings, crossings tax increment financing project area one plan. Consider adopting on first reading ordinance number 9969, adopting the TIF project area one plan and consider authorizing the city manager to execute the redevelopment agreement between the City of Lawrence and West District Improvement Company, LLC for Project Area 1. The other one is we're considering public, consider conducting a public hearing on, a on the establishment of the Crossing Community Improvement District, Community Improvement District and a levy of the CID sales tax. Consider adopting on first reading ordinance number 9968, creating the, the CID for the project and authorize, authorizing levying an additional 1.5% sales tax on property owned by the developer within the district. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Britt Cromcano, the City's Economic Development Director. I'm going to see if I can bring up this PowerPoint. There we go. Um, tonight, we're going to revisit the crossing project. We're specifically going to talk about project area one, which is the first development phase of the uh, district, the TIF district that was formed earlier. Um, again, the, the uh, as the mayor said, you're going to hold two public hearings, one to consider the tax increment financing plan, uh, project area one plan for project area one, and the development agreement. And then a second public hearing to consider the community improvement district or CID for that same area. So I'm going to briefly recap the incentives, the actions today and recommendations. Uh, we also have Monty Sukup with KU Endowment here, and he'll be talking about the specifics of project area one, as well as the affordable housing provision. We have Tom Dinaway with Baker Tilly. He's the one who did the financial analysis. He'll be going over his but for study as well as the feasibility study. And then we'll wrap it up with Kevin Wilmore, Wimpy of Gilmore and Bell, who will go over the development agreement and next steps. Um, just to recap, the request is for a 95% 20-year property tax TIF. The developer is not requesting a sales tax TIF. They are requesting a 1.5% CID for two, 22 years, and that will help capture the sales tax um, revenue that will go back to pay for the, the infrastructure investment. Uh, regular sales tax is uh, distributed to taxing jurisdictions as it normally would be, so that's not captured. Uh, so what's happened so far? Uh, you've received the request back in April 
excuse me, August, um, we held a public hearing in November and approved the TIF district on second reading in early December. Uh, the Public Incentives Review Committee received and considered the Project Area 1 plan in mid-December. They voted four to one with one recusing themselves to uh, recommend the plan be approved. And then the Planning Commission uh, also uh, considered a finding, which is required by state statute, that the project area plan is in alignment with our comprehensive plan. Uh, they voted four to three on that finding. So staff reviewed um, our economic development policy, both the CID and the TIF requirements, and feels that the project meets our policy. I do have one caveat. Uh, the CID uh, policy states a term of 20 years. Staff does feel that that's likely a typo in our policy. Uh, state statute is 22 years and all of our additional uh, uh, economic development tools aligns with state statute. Periods. So I did want to bring that to your attention. Um, also, Tom Dinaway did use 22 years to model in his analysis. Um, other considerations about this project, uh, additional tax revenues. This property has been a property tax exempt since the early 1940s. It'll be now going on the tax rolls. It's bringing much needed affordable housing to our community. It will replace and upgrade a city sewer line. The developer is paying $3.4 million to do that. And it contributes to several prosperity and economic security outcome strategies. So staff concludes that it does meet eligibility requirements. It aligns with strategic plan goals, will enhance our local economy, and bring additional quality of life benefits to the city. Uh, with that, I'd be happy to stand for questions. All right, any questions for Britt? Okay, I'm going to turn it on over to Monty Sukup for his presentation. We may need your help. Mm -hmm. Has uh, the, I thought his presentation had been preloaded. Yeah, Okay, just share screen. All right. And not the one you did, the other one. <laughs> yeah, the other one. <laughs> I don't see it up there. We're not seeing it. It's just a. Uh, it's on the desktop. It's the PDF. It's not a PowerPoint, it's a PDF. There it is. Unless you take it out. Uh, this is one, right? This one. Yeah, there you go. Okay, and then we need to share. Kurt? Uh, yeah, I need to view full screen and share. Point, isn't 
Um, just blow it up and I'll use it and put it on YouTube. <laughs> Here it is. Right. No, yeah, that's, no, that's not it. Yes. That's not it. That's, that's not it. It is attached to the agenda if you want to open it from there and share. That's not it. <clears throat> no. I not have gotten loaded on here then. Yeah, it's that's not that's a PowerPoint down there. It's not a PowerPoint. It's, yeah. a, it's a okay, Kurt's driving. <laughs> well, while we're waiting, my name is Monty Sokup. I'm with the University or Kansas University Endowment Association and also the West District Improvement Company. I appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight and uh, tell you a little bit about the project. I think all stuff you've seen, so I'm going to try to be uh, brief so we can keep uh, the process moving. Well, Kurt will get up the presentation. So we started in uh, about 2020, and we gathered a group of KU Endowment trustees, city staff, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, and of course the university. And we said, you know, we have this piece of ground that we've had since the 40s, and what can we do with that ground to enhance the city and enhance the University of Kansas? <laughs> I'm gonna see if we can get my... There you go. There. Nope, that's not it. Keep going. It's got a picture of the, it's got a graphic. It's in that report. It's attached to the staff report. <laughs> You're getting close. Page 281. Yeah. That's, that's not it. There it is, right there. Yep. Okay. Okay, well, you're driving. I am? Okay, here we go. What's that? I, yeah, how? Here we go. Okay, is that better? There we go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we gathered a group of obviously different groups within the city and said, what can we use this land for to, uh, to really benefit the city and the university? And our overall purpose became really to attract researchers and entrepreneurs that aligned with uh, the strengths of the University of Kansas. We wanna draw uh, new companies and young talent to this city for good jobs in a research industry at KU. Uh, for KU, what that does is it helps strengthen the R1 AAU standing because uh, research dollars brought into the university is, a, is a, 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 a big factor in how you stay in the AAU. And if you don't know, uh, universities like Oklahoma and Nebraska have fallen out of the AAU um, because of their lack of being able to keep up the research. So, we said we already have this this great economic engine here, the uh, KU Innovation Park. Uh, they have 62 companies in that uh, three facilities that they have, 590 direct jobs with a combined uh, annual payroll of over $35 million. Uh, 
and they're drawing in about $12 million worth of uh, grants. So what we wanted to do really is accelerate that and build on that strength that we already have going and uh, create a place that um, really sets Lawrence apart from other university cities that have research parks. See if I can scroll down here. This is the project plan, uh, the redevelopment area. So you see the larger uh, kind of tan box is the area which we will we'll be spending the TIF dollars and the CID dollars. The blue box is the area that will collect this project area one that you're talking about tonight. And that's where we will collect uh, the dollars from. Uh, so what we wanted to do as a developer is develop the streets and the roads and the infrastructure to create taxable lots for private developers to come in and build on. So we're creating the infrastructure, paying for the infrastructure, using the TIF dollars to help pay us back for the, for the eligible costs. And then we'll bring private developers to come in and build these assets that will then go on the tax rolls for the city. Uh, so the horizontal structure is about $17 million. That's all the utilities. And that includes the $3.4 million. As you can see on the bottom part of that, our sanitary sewer has to go about a half a mile off site in order to accommodate this project. And ultimately we will build uh, a road and create lots for the affordable housing. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. So this depicts really the roads and the infrastructure we're building. The red lines are the sanitary sewers. And you can see how the red line goes way off and down Atchison Creek there and picks up a couple of neighborhoods there. Um, we have new streets, obviously water, storm sewer, electrical, gas, all those utilities, and uh, most of those become public utilities and are dedicated over to the city along with the easements for those areas. And um, we're creating a, a greenway, which we're going to use to create this about four and a half acre pond. It'll be a, a amenity for the, for the neighborhood and the city. It's also the stormwater retention for the entire district up the entire watershed up to almost Irving Hill Drive, basically the corner. So it's a watershed district for about 160 acres of ultimate development for the university. Uh, but we <clears throat> built that base, size that based on the entire build out for the, for the whole area so that it would never have to be redone again because there used to be one there for the university and it became undersized because of the development that's occurred. Um, but that'll have a, that'll have water in it all the time. So it'll be like a lake and then it has freeboard to uh, accept the storm surges. Um, so ultimately we'll build parking structures. Uh, that's probably a little later down when we have some more density, but that's again, that's a TIF uh, eligible expense. And then we're also building two lit soccer fields. Uh, they'll be used by uh, the university direct services during a year. And the idea is to lease that or work with the city to use, to make that available to rec services during the summer, because we won't have a university use over the summer. Again, the whole concept there is to build, make these buildable lots that can then be developed by for-profit developers. So what this shows you is our plan or our anticipated uh, asset class developments. So the red is retail and restaurants. Uh, 1D there is anticipated to be a grocery store. Uh, and on the, on the east side of Iowa, we intend to do things that are more student service related because that's very close to the university's housing. Uh, 
And then on the west side, um, we intend to make that a very walkable, uh, uh, walkable amenities that are really targeted at young professionals and university faculty. The uh, the gold buildings are uh, two housing components, and there you see the two uh, parking garages within those. So it's a fairly uh, highly densified, uh, highly amenitized um, uh, apartment complexes. Uh, about 200 uh, units in each unit. So that's about 400 apartment units. On the far left, you see the purple, that's a daycare. And we are working with the university's daycare and they're adding 138 student slots at ages infant to two. So in the most needed uh, range of, of uh, daycare needs. And then the blue buildings represent uh, what would be university and KU Innovation Park uh, buildings that would be future uh, build out of uh, KU Innovation Park. And on this, KU Innovation Park is called BTBC. That's these three buildings up here. Uh, used to be Bioscience uh, Technology Business Center, and they've rebranded a KU Innovation Park, but that's that enterprise up there. <coughs> so the economic development plan uh, requires an affordable housing component. Uh, the way the plan is, uh, the city's plan is written basically makes an assumption that you are building a vertical asset that has housing in it. We are not doing that uh, as a developer of the infrastructure. So we submitted an alternate plan, which was to donate to the Lawrence Community Housing Trust an acre and a half of property, which is basically the equivalent of 13 R5 lots. Um, to the Community Housing Trust for them to build uh, the, the vertical assets. So we would put in the streets, the utilities, these would be buildable lots, like just like if you were a developer and you're building lots to sell. Uh, the nice thing about that is those become permanently affordable since they're in the housing trust. Whereas if we were building apartments and you said 20%, they would be not be affordable after the TIF period that affordability would go away and they become market at that point. This will be in a permanently affordable uh, assets. I've been working with Rebecca Buford and Rebecca, I think might be online. So I've been working closely with, she's the executive director of Tennis of Homeowners, which is also the uh, community housing trust um, to figure out how to make this workable for uh, Tennis of Homeowners as well as us. And Rebecca, are you on the line? I'd like to give Rebecca just a chance to speak to this a little bit. Yes, I am on the line. Can you all hear me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Monty, I, uh, I think this is a great opportunity um, to put permanently affordable units in trust, add to the trust. We have a um, ways to do that, we can do rental or home ownership or a combination of the two um, and can do, you know, really any kind of housing type that we need. Uh, my understanding is this, you know, is still several years out. So although we have a lot going on right now, I think we'll have the time to really look at what our needs are in affordability in that moment and be able to know we have these lots coming up um, to make the best use out of them and to um, serve the community needs at that moment, which is, you know, 
sometimes hard to say in in this moment, you know, five years down the line, but the commitment there is for this project to ensure that there are affordable units built within it with intentionality. Um, and so I'm really excited by that prospect. And, um, you know, if there was some reason tenants to homeowners could not develop those units, we would certainly find a way to work with the university to develop those units and then be more of a turnkey project where we would ensure that um, those are sold in trust or for affordable units. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways that can happen, um, but ensuring that those will be permanently affordable moving forward. Okay, thank you, Rebecca. Um, we lost control of this screen here again. There we go. Okay, so uh, the affordable housing, our plan we uh, is to put that affordable housing somewhere within this blue block. Uh, block. What we plan to do uh, from the crossing standpoint is develop market housing. So we'd have this affordable housing intermixed with market housing. And this road here that, uh, that we show, which is Lawrence Avenue, has not been designed. This is a concept plan. Uh, so this has not been uh, finalized in any way, but we are starting to work on that. And as we work on where that road actually will lie and where the utilities will come from, we'll work with tenants to homeowners to determine where that acre and a half is in there and where uh, where they would be building those houses and where that gift would be made. And we're gonna slide down. So really, what we, uh, the intent of the project is really to bring active and vibrant streets with a high amount of density and a, a, in a compact area to allow people that come to the research park to literally walk across the street, grab lunch, get their groceries, get a haircut, whatever they would normally do. Um, uh, we're going to do that by attracting a you know wide variety of amenities and uh, housing and daycare. And then uh, provide, obviously we're providing the necessary infrastructure uh, to create that use and really to propel Lawrence and make us more competitive when we have companies that come to the city and say, where can we plant our business? It gives us a place that we can do some of those things uh, that align with the university and sets us apart from other like cities. So that's the end of my presentation. So I'm happy to answer questions if you have questions. Okay, any questions from commissioners? I might on your slide uh, 285 with the blue, the yellow, the red. <laughs> 285. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. It has your list of the anticipated private development. A significant amount that the blue, the 1E, is to be determined office. Um, that would be great if that was on the tax rolls. How can we know at this point that that won't somehow be university um, associated and therefore not taxable? I don't know that I can tell you that. I appreciate so that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. University. It could be BTBC or KU Innovation Park, which also is a exempt. A whole uh, other conversation. Yes. But it could also be a taxable entity. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I guess I'll ask. Let's go. We're doing. Uh, we're talking about project area. We have a development agreement on the agenda tonight related to um, project area one. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, I know we have lots of comments from some of the neighbors re related to the residential um, part of it and how it relates. That would be in project area two or some future project area. Correct. And the development agreement would be in place for so that. So it's in a it's in a second phase of what we're doing, certainly. So project area one, the TIF dollar, TIF and CID dollars can be spent basically anywhere in the brown box. Correct. They're only generated by project area one in the blue box. Does that make sense? Yes. But we'd have a development agreement for project area two, correct? No, there's not a development agreement for project area two, and Kevin could no. There would not be. Okay, then I misunderstood that. No, but uh, again, we can still build that road. It just would not generate any. It would not. Let's say we built houses there and they were for sale. They would go. Those uh, the taxes for that would go 100 percent to the city. We would not get any of that in the TIF because it's outside that blue area. Does that make sense? So, um, so let me ask that question. Then I guess mm -hmm. you don't expect to come back for a TIF or any other the project for project area two or any other project area. I mean, I know there won't be any other CID producing. Well, the hotel, for example, that you might eventually plan. Right. Would you come back for additional TIF or CID at some point? Well, yes, we could. And that would we be could come back, and we would go through this whole process again, this hundred-day process of developing all this stuff. And you would have a second chance to vote on whether the city commission wanted to uh, move forward with another TIF air, TIF or CID area. Okay, so I guess that's what I understood. But it would have to be within that. Have to come back with a development agreement. But if you want a TIF or CID for anything besides what's in Project Area One, you'd need to come back. If you wanted TIF and CID income, yes. So make so so we can build. It's my understanding, and Kevin, you might want. To Help me if you if I misstep here, but we can spend the TIF and CID dollars anywhere basically in that brown box. We can only collect the dollars from the blue box, and that's what the development agreement yeah. really covers. It does obligate us to build some things outside of the blue box, like the affordable housing component in that street. We're obligated to build that with the development agreement, but there would be no TIF or CID impact to that part of the uh, part of the development. So and he could help us if we look up 287. 287. Right where you talk. <laughs> you show additional commercial towards the corner of Iowa. You show hotel, you show. Right. So that if we were to ask for TIF or CID income from that, we would have to come through and do another development agreement yeah. and do project area two. Okay. And if and for the residential component, if you wanted to have a TIF on that, you'd have to come back as well. Right, we would, if we wanted the TIF. Okay. Yeah. That's what I do, okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Good, good evening, Mayor Commissioners. I'm Kevin Wimpy with Gilmore and Bell. We rep represent the city as bond council. I'll mostly confirm what Monty just said, and I think um, clarify, Commissioner, that you're referring to the western part of the parcel where there looks to be the, the box surrounding uh, potential residential development. That's outside Project Area 1. 
Tonight, your action is on the TIF plan and development agreement relating to project area one, which is in the eastern part. And so if incentives were requested for the future phase, we'd repeat this process, like Monty said, and there'd be a separate development agreement for that, that portion. Does that, does that answer your question? That's how I understood it. Okay, thank Great. you. Thank I didn't ask it very well, but now I get there. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a piggyback on that, Monty, if you sure. come up. So, like, is there any... I know that would be asking for a future development agreement. Is there any sort of agreement or, I mean, this is the general outline of what this residential would look like on the west side, right? I'm, I'm trying to figure out how malleable that is. Uh, what it is? How malleable or is that locked in place? It's that no, this is what you're seeing here. This plan uh, that you see today is really a master plan, okay. master planning. It's not a designed road or Okay. It's a concept plan, so it's 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 malleable to some extent. I mean, there are constraints within the site that we'll right. obviously have to work around. But it's still open for discussion. That's what I, I'm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So on the affordable housing piece of it, the proposal is for property that is outside of project area one or project plan one. Is that correct? That's correct. So there's you, you aren't going to offer any affordable housing within project plan one. No. Okay. No. Just wanted to double check on that. How many units of affordable housing in project area two are you? Well, them? I can't answer that. Only Rebecca could really answer that. And I'm not sure that she okay. could today. Um, what we're giving is the equivalent of five or 13 R5 lots. So that'd be, you know, with uh, the double density bonus that the city has, that's either 13 houses or 26. With the double density bonus, I believe that's applicable to R five. Okay. For 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 permanently affordable. Okay. Rebecca, are you here? I see you on there. Could you verify that? Yes. Yes. That sounds correct. I mean, it's impossible I mean, to give you an exact of what we can do because again, this is more of a concept plan, <laughs> and you know, but given the acreage. That's a very good estimation. Okay, and Monty, you. you may want to mention how you came up with that cost-wise too, that, you know, it's a, I think a very fair trade in this moment for that much acreage, which we all, we know will only be worth more in the future. Yeah. We just, est we estimated the cost of a, R5 lot in the city of Lawrence. Um, Rebecca, I'm drawing a blank on what that was. It was either seventy dollars or $80,000 a lot for R5 lot, 13 lots. You're right there at a million dollars. That's how we kind of came at that, what we thought the market value would be of that property with a street developed ready to go. Okay. Got it. Got it. Thanks. Other questions? Commissioner Sellers, you have any questions? Nope, I'm pretty efficient in understanding TIF, so I was about to pull Commissioner Finkeldie and but our representative got to him, so no, I have no questions. Okay, got it. Thank you. All right, thank you, Monty. At this time, I'd like to turn the presentation over to Don Dinaway to talk about his analysis. And Kurt, can you just direct me on, we need to bring this down. 
I was just going to go ahead and share my screen, Britt, if that's okay. I think that's okay. Let's give it a try. We'll give it a shot. Oh, it says host disabled participant screen sharing. Sorry. Okay, hey, we should be able to now. There we go. All right, is everybody able to see my screen? Yes. All right, thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Britt. Thank you, thank you mem uh, members of the City Commission. My name is Tom Denoy. I am with Baker Tilly. Uh, we are the City's Municipal Advisor. We were retained uh, by the City to complete a couple of analysis as it relates to the proposed TIF district and the, activate, uh, the proposed project area number one. Uh, one of the reports we completed was referred to as the But For Determination Report. And then the other report we completed was the feasibility analysis. So we're going to talk about both of those as well as the uncaptured revenues that would be generated by the project. So to begin with, I think everybody's pretty familiar with the, the assistance request at this point in time. It's for a property tax only TIF that would capture 95% of the increased value, uh, no sales tax captured by TIF, uh, but it does include the creation of a community improvement district applying a 1.5% sales tax uh, within a boundary that's coterminous with uh, project area number one. So the first analysis we completed was referred to as the but for determination report. Uh, so the, the goal of this study is to review the developer's application for the TIF and CID assistance and determine if the proposed project would be likely to occur or not occur but for the requested TIF assistance. We go about making this determination based on the potential return on investment realized by the developer without the uh, potential assistance and then with the potential assistance and it's important to acknowledge that this determination is specific to the feasibility of this development scenario only. So we go about making this but for determination on an objective basis. We want to look at the potential financial feasibility of the project as a means of making that but for finding. If a developer is investing in a real estate development, they would be seeking a return on that investment. And we can measure that investment or that return on investment without the potential assistance to see if it achieves a feasible rate of return. If the return without assistance is not feasible, that allows us to make that finding that the project due to financial feasibility would not occur but for the requested assistance. As part of that, we perform a sensitivity analysis on factors impacting the developer's potential return, i.e. the project cost as well as the project revenues, and we analyze the rate at which those would have to change for the project to be feasible absent assistance, and then we compare those results to the current market. So if we look at this project without assistance, the potential rate of return realized by the developer would be negative 5.95%. The amount of cost that would create would be necessary to create the development uh, measured against the amount of revenues that would be generated by the development are insufficient to create a positive rate of return for the project without assistance. It would be almost negative 6%. When you layer in the TIF and CID assistance, it brings that rate of return to 9.78% provided that the full TIF and CID assistance amount is realized. It's important to note with this project that the TIF and CID assistance is being requested on a pay-as-you-go basis. So the developer will be incurring 
all of the TIF and CID eligible expenses up front and reimbursed over time uh, based on generated TIF and CID revenues. So they'll be bearing that risk that, that, that those revenue projections will come in as projected. Uh, if those revenues come in at a lower rate, it will lower the rate of return uh, from what is shown here. If revenues from the TIF and CID come in at a greater rate, uh, the TIF and CID obligations would be satisfied earlier and it would still hit or be capped at this overall rate of return um, mathematically. So if the revenues come in at a slower rate, the with TIF and CID assistance amount would go down. If they come in at a faster rate, it would get paid off faster and this would be the rate of return that would still be realized. For comparison, uh, we use a third-party benchmark for purposes of creating feasibility threshold. For, for this analysis, we use the PricewaterhouseCooper Real Estate Investor Survey. Uh, we had the third quarter 2022 uh, survey was done when this report was completed that identifies an average range for a project of this type from 6.5% to 11 with an average return threshold of 8.45%. Uh, we use this benchmark uh, even though it is a very conservative benchmark. This is a survey of national developers looking at developments in all parts of the country and it also looks at their potential return that they would be seeking on investment in existing developments, uh, which is obviously a much lower risk profile than a new construction development. So this is a conservative rate of return range and a conservative average return, but it's suitable for this purposes because if we set this as a low hurdle or a low bar and the project still doesn't exceed that without assistance, it only adds further credence to that but for finding. So, so this is a conservative threshold and even though we are using conservative threshold, you can still see that the without assistance return is significantly below that and is in fact a negative rate of return. So one of the things we do within our report is we talk about the reasonableness of the cost assumptions and the revenue assumptions provided by the developer to make sure that they're reasonable and likely to be incurred. But we do know that they are assumptions at this point in time and there is some variability going forward as to what those exact numbers would be. So one of the things that we wanna do is provide a sensitivity analysis to really show how far from feasible the project is absent assistance. And we show that by showing how much would those assumptions need to change for this project to be feasible without assistance. Uh, fundamentally, the rate of return is a function of how much does it cost to build the project and how much revenue would be generated by the project after it's built. If we move those two assumptions, we can see how much the project would have to change for it to be feasible absent assistance. In the case of the project cost, the project would need, need to realize a 63% reduction in project costs for the project to be feasible without assistance and have an 8.75% return. So obviously having reviewed the project cost, we know that they are not overstated by a factor of 63% and that a rate of change of that likelihood is not likely to be realized. And it helps to build that case that the project from a project cost standpoint is very much not feasible absent assistance. We do the same analysis as it relates to project revenues. What if project revenues came in at a greater rate than projected? Those revenues would have to be 115% higher than currently projected for the project to have a feasible rate of return without assistance. Again, what that tells us is the project absent assistance is very far from feasible and it would take a rate of change far greater than is likely to be realized within you know, normal market conditions going forward. 
And then finally, we move both of those measures together. What if, what if the developer realized project cost savings as well as increased revenues? And both of those would need to move together at a factor of 41% for the project to be considered feasible without assistance. Again, those are rates of change that are unlikely to be realized uh, by this development. So what those together tell us is that the project absent assistance is very far from feasible. It's at a negative rate of return and the rate of change for project assumptions are so great that they would be unlikely to be realized further adding credence to that but for finding. So ultimately based on that, uh, the unleveraged return without assistance is negative 5.95%. That's a negative return and it falls significantly below the market range. Our sensitivity analysis indicates that the rate of change necessary for the project to be feasible without assistance are unlikely to be realized and based on those two factors, we are able to conclude that the project would not occur on this site at this time without a public subsidy. So that's the but for finding. The other analysis we completed is the TIF financial feasibility study. So the TIF financial feasibility study is required by statute and has to make two findings. The first is that the project's benefits, i.e. in general, the tax increment revenue are expected to exceed or be sufficient to pay for all project costs as defined by statute. The other findings that the effect, if any, that the redevelopment Increase in property taxes resulting from the new development that occurs over the existing or base value of taxes. So at the start of the district, the base year assessed valuation is determined for all the taxable real estate within the district, which there is some. Uh, the proposed district base valuations is based on the January 2022 values and the property taxes applicable to that taxable property within the TIF district will continue to flow to each of the taxing jurisdictions in the same manner as every other property tax and will continue to flow over the lifetime of the district. The tax increment revenue that is generated is the increase in value resulting from the new development of which it's proposed that 95% of that incremental increase in property tax revenue within the project area one will be captured as TIF revenue. As mentioned, uh, the TIF district is not proposing to capture any of the increase in sales taxes resulting uh, from taxable sales within the TIF district. So the new sales taxes that are generated that are applicable to the city and county sales tax rates will continue to flow to each of those jurisdictions uh, at the rate that which they're created over the lifetime of the TIF district. So if project area one is activated uh, in 2024, the property tax TIF capture would occur for a 20 year period based on the statutory duration, which would include uh, and culminate in the second half 2043 slash 2044 property tax collection. And as I mentioned, the developer is responsible for incurring all the upfront costs up front and will be reimbursed over time on a pay-as-you-go basis from the TIF and CID revenue as it's generated. They are bearing the risk that the assumptions that went into the preparation of these TIF and CID revenue projections well, that they're currently projected. If revenue comes in at a slower rate, the city had no obligation to make the developer whole. The developer would just simply realize a lower level of TIF and CID assistance from what is projected. Uh, that's the be benefit of doing it on a pay-as-you-go basis is the developer is taking on all that risk. So these are the tax rates that are eligible uh, for TIF purposes. Uh, the important thing to point out here is you can see that uh, the 
Lawrence School District has almost 20 point, almost 28 mills that are not collected because they're not TIF eligible. Uh, this is the increased assessed valuation assumption that's proposed for the project area number one. It's about almost 23 million in commercial market value and almost 80, almost 81 million in residential market value. And this is projected to be on the tax rolls and captured as tax increment revenue or generating tax increment revenue uh, by a 2025. If this comes in at a slower rate or gets constructed at a slower rate, it would uh, it would decrease the overall amount of TIF revenue projected. Uh, there is additional value proposed within project area number one at a later date with the completion of the hotel that's uh, proposed within that area as well, but it's at a, a, a later date than was shown here. So we wanted to show the majority that's proposed to come online initially. Uh, these market values results in this level of assessed value based on the conversions at these class rates. And here you can see that the original assessed value within the property tax area or the tip district area of 148,000 of assessed value will continue to be in place and subtracted from the increased assessed value resulting from the project. So the project plan for project area number one identifies total TIF eligible redevelopment project cost of 35,770,000. Of that amount, the developer is seeking reimbursement for $14,835,447 of eligible reimbursable expenses, plus interest on uh, and carrying expense on those reimbursable costs, uh, as well as reimbursement of certain city fees and expenses uh, are also requested for reimbursement with the TIF revenue. Uh, within the TIF revenue, the city is anticipating collecting 0.5% of the revenue for administrative purposes. So that would be retained by the city to fund administrative costs associated with the district and would not flow to the developer for reimbursement. Uh, so the total eligible cost in today's dollars is 14,835,447 and, and that's the amount that the developer will be incurring upfront and being reimbursed over time. So as part of the being reimbursed over time, they've requested that they be reimbursed their interest carrying expense as it relates to that cost. So when we look at the future TIF revenue projections, the gross value of the TIF revenue projections over the lifetime of the district are $32,646,540. And if we look at the net present value of that revenue stream in today's dollars at an interest rate of 7.25%, that would be capable of funding the 14,835,000 in TIF eligible reimbursable expenses plus the interest component. Uh, so the feasibility study does conclude that the estimated TIF revenue will be sufficient to repay the reimbursable project cost plus the interest amount as identified within the project plan for project area number one. In addition to that, uh, the developer is seeking the CID assistance related to the project and the creation of that one and a half percent sales tax. They're seeking reimbursement for CID eligible expenses of $14,376,750, again, on a pay-as-you-go basis, and again, with an interest carrying uh, cost at a rate of 7.25%, which equates to a total interest expense 
of $19,552,575, resulting in total CID reimbursable expenses of $33,899,326. As projected, the CID revenues for the CID area are estimated to be $33,899,326 over the 22-year collection period of the CID, meaning that the CID is uh, revenue is capable of uh, funding the anticipated CID eligible expenses. So given the assumptions and representations of the various parties of the process, the feasibility study concludes that the estimated TIF revenue will be sufficient to pay the TIF reimbursable project costs plus interest as identified in the project plan for project area number one. And to the other finding, the project area does not currently generate any existing sales taxes and future sales taxes will not be captured as TIF revenue. Therefore, the project area does not have any effect on any outstanding bonded obligations. So those are the find that's the finding of the and the conclusions of the feasibility study. And then the final piece I wanted to go over is because the property and the TIF is being captured at a rate of 95%, there is additional property taxes generated by the project that will flow uh, to the county and the city as well as the school district. For purposes of this analysis, we wanted to show what that value would be to the county and the city uh, as it relates to the property tax that's not being captured by the TIF, as well as the sales taxes that are being generated by the project from the new sales that would occur within it that are again not being not being captured as TIF. So here you can see on a gross benefit the potential value to the county as a result of that property tax and increase in sales taxes in those same numbers again on a net present value basis. And then similarly, that same benefit of these uncaptured revenues to the city on a gross and a net present value basis. And this is what that amount looks like over time. So the county mill rate, the city mill rate for property taxes, and then the county health tax rate, the county share of the 1% general tax, and then the city's share of the distributed 1% general tax from the county, as well as the city sales tax rates. You can see how over time, the taxable sales that will occur within the TIF district area will generate new uncaptured sales tax revenues for both the city and the county. So with that, I'll turn it over for questions. All right, any questions for Tom on this item? Any questions? Commissioner Sellers. Mayor, this is Commissioner Sellers. I just had a quick question for Tom. Yeah. In the years that you've done this work, has there ever been a TIF project that you've seen where the but-for analysis showed that any type of incentive financing TIF CID didn't change its ability to be successful in its financing? Typically, but-for show that it is needed, but just for understanding and edification, have you ever seen a project where the but for showed that the project could continue without any type of incentive from the from the city or from the municipality? Not to the point where we write a formal report stating that. Typically, we have ferreted that out through our initial review of the project and the review of the performer and the assumptions in advance. You know, either the development community is usually pretty good at knowing what would not meet the but for standpoint, not even applying for it at that point, given that they are incurring and upfronting that cost. But even when they do proceed and we do get started in that initial analysis, that initial back and forth, uh, we have a you know a pretty good track record of in those cases where that is 
the circumstance that's resulting uh, of ferreting that out and responding back to the developer our initial findings and our initial conclusions so it doesn't it's not common that we come up to this point where we've written a formal report stating that the project does not meet the but for because okay. it's essentially died on the vine prior to that yeah got it thank you for that yes any other questions for tom nope. okay sherry thank open it thank you tom appreciate it any other this time i'd like kevin wimpy to come up and talk to you about the development agreement and kind of the next steps Right. Good evening, Mayor, Commissioners. Uh, again, Kevin Wimpy with Gilmore and Bell of the City's Bond Council. So we've been also engaged on this economic development project and have been advocating on the city's behalf throughout. So um, as Sherry mentioned, I'll go over some of the salient points in the development agreement that's before you tonight, uh, as well as talk about the, the actions on the agenda and what they represent. I'll try to uh, speed through some of the things you've heard at least once tonight and, and keep keep comments brief, but happy to address anything I might have overlooked. Uh, before diving into the development agreement itself, I want to start by, you know, as a reminder, when the TIP district was established in December of 2022, you know, at that time we presented a term sheet uh, intended to capture some of the big picture business terms that we expected to be before you denied this development agreement. And so after that approval went through uh, with those terms, you know, in front of this body and having been uh, vetted by staff and the developer, uh, we set to work um, in drafting the full development agreement. And, and the key thing tonight is really to drive home that this, you know, is meant to address the city commission's policy concerns and really address what the city's interested in, such that it's the city's document. So if there's something here, uh, you have questions, comments, criticisms about, um, by all means, uh, we'll do our best to address them. Um, before really getting, uh, I guess, one more housekeeping thing, several reminders on the development agreement and the type of development before you. Uh, first, again, this is pay as you go. The developer's fronting all costs. There's no city bonds, no city funds going in up front. And so it's those TIF and CID economic development revenues that'll be used over time to reimburse the developer for eligible costs. Uh, the request, again, is property tax TIF at 95% capture excluding the school district and state mills that are off limits, a portion of the school district mills, I should say. So no sales tax, no existing sales tax will be captured. And the imposition of an additional one and a half percent CID sales tax is also part of the request. Um, finally, the developer here is a horizontal developer. Uh, again, not developing vertical improvements, but instead delivering pad ready sites for end users to uh, uh, construct projects on and operate going forward. Um, so first, as, as always with development agreements, it's what what are we obligating them to build and, and how are, is it being paid for? And I think Monty did a great job of presenting um, the horizontal development, including sewer improvements, uh, green space, street improvements, signalization, uh, recreation with the turf fields and those types of things, a little over $17 million worth of those horizontal improvements. And in the development agreement, the developer is committing to deliver those within 18 months. There's also an option to construct structured parking and to do so timely would be before those horizontal improvements have been repaid by economic development revenues. So an option, not an obligation. Uh, and as mentioned previously, that structured parking is really going to be market driven based on how those lots develop. But it is included 
and potentially eligible for reimbursement if it's timely constructed. Um, as to the repayment mechanism, uh, again, with, with TIF and CID, those amounts are capped within the development agreement based on portions of the eligible costs of the proposed improvements. And, and that's important because if, uh, as Tom just went over, if those revenues come in higher than expected and those caps are reached before the statutory terms for TIF and CID, which are 20 years and 22 years respectively, uh, the city could then terminate those incentives and release those property tax mills or uh, and and or terminate the CID sales tax at that point, effectively turning off the incentives. Um, moving on to conditions to reimbursement. So what does the developer have to do to turn on those incentive caps? And first of all, it's to timely construct what we're referring to as those horizontal improvements within the 18 month period. And second, have uh, executed and have the effect of the affordable housing agreement between the developer and tenants to homeowners. That's an attachment to the development agreement. So moving into discussion on that, um, it's already been stated tonight, the difficulty of applying the city's affordable housing provisions to a horizontal developer like, like is before you tonight. And so this alternative was proposed by, by the developer here. And in our understanding, while you know, we represent the city and not tenants to homeowners in this case, um, uh, I know Ms. Buford spoke earlier and it seems that um, tenants to homeowners is, was enthusiastic and receptive to this alternative to the city's affordable housing um, policy and, and understand their support there. And so one of the things that the city holds um, the controls over is access to the incentive dollars being requested is that that agreement has to be executed and effective. And should something go wrong down the line where the uh, acreage is not de delivered with the utilities required by the affordable housing agreement within the time period provided, the city does have recourse in um, uh, decreasing the incentive cap by 25% at that point. So that would be the hit if the developer didn't perform on that front. Um, moving on, I'll touch just a few of the other odds and ends specific to the city in this agreement. Um, the non-discrimination covenant, covenant is included as amended by this body earlier this year to include the uh, re revised portion of city code is, is a covenant to operate the project in that manner. Uh, the city also holds audit rights over the developer and users of the project so that you can monitor sales uh, compliance with things such as sales tax collections and make sure um, items are being administered correctly. There's also operation and maintenance covenants uh, for the developer about keeping a sightly um, um, and, and safe project area. Uh, there's TIP and administrative fees collected by the city. So as there's ongoing maintenance or uh, administrative fees, the city collects a half percent from the TIF and CID revenues, which is also included in your economic development policy. And finally, there's an annual reporting component, and that's also an exhibit to the development agreement, where each January the developer will have to fill out and turn into the city representatives uh, sort of an update on the project and, and detail um, things pertaining to uh, meeting obligations under the development agreement and sort of the overall health of the project. So you have that update at least annually. Uh, before moving on to tonight's actions, uh, I'll, I'll pause for a moment and see if you have any questions or I can just go into what, what's before you on the agenda tonight. Any questions for Kevin? No. Commissioner Sellers? No. No more questions. No. Right, yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll quickly wrap up and, and note that um, I know we've been before you several times over a span of months. Tonight would be the final action relating to uh, 
Project Area 1 for the TIF and the Community Improvement District and the Development Agreement. And so on the uh, agenda are two separate public hearings, one for consideration of the TIF plan for Project Area 1 and the second for the establishment of the Community Improvement District, both required by state law and were called by resolution uh, a couple of months ago. The TIF ordinance approves the TIF plan. Uh, I know we focused on the development agreement tonight. The TIF plan is required by state statute and uh, you know, there's prescribed materials that go in there uh, by state statute, giving a high level description of the project. I'd really guide you for the business terms to refer to the development agreement, but know that the ordinance does approve that TIF plan. The TIF plan is expected uh, in the ordinance. It will be effective as of January of 2025 which would start the 20-year TIF clock for repayment of those in TIF Area 1. Uh, the CID ordinance establishes the district and also implements the 1.5% uh, um, sales tax, which would be in addition to existing sales taxes. And similarly, that would be commenced on January of 2025, which requested by the developer to roughly line up when they expect um, you know, significant activity on the site. That's it for me, but of course, happy to try to address any any questions you might have. Any questions? Yeah, did that last comment you made, I would like you to clarify that because I, I do get um, questions from the public about, you know, adding a tax. Um, and so I, if I understand correctly from what you Yamanji are saying and in your maps, that go is specifically with respect to the brown area, right? The, no, the blue area. Are you, I'm sorry. In map. Uh, extra sales tax in the community. I'm sorry, talking about the CID. Yeah. So there's a map attached to that ordinance. Is it, I'm not sure if that's visible. I just want to edify for the public. Correct. Which area that is. So the, the CID, that the entirety of the red outline there is the TIF district. Thank you. The, C, the community that's, improvement district. Thank you. <laughs> Any any questions? Any more questions, Commissioner Sellers? Anything? No, I I didn't know if um, we had stated that the outline of the red area is the TIF area, and the CID area is the blue area. Correct, Commissioner. The the CID uh, that district is basically coterminous with the TIF, except for that southwest uh, portion of the map that extends west along 23rd Street. Uh, and the, the map relating to the CID is the exhibit to the CID ordinance, and I uh, forget which number that is. But the, the maps are attached to the ordinance, and you right. can see the minor difference. And it, it's probably evident, but the CID is a different area um, because no commercial activity will happen along that right of way. Therefore, no need to impose a sales tax there. I impose it. Thank you. Okay. Anything else? Kevin? No. Thank you, Kevin. All right. From here, Sherry. Do you have anything else, um, Britt? No, Mia, that concludes our presentations. I think at this time we can go proceed with public opening the public hearing. Okay. Sherry, if you could direct us on that. Sure, and we'll have two separate public hearings. So, Mayor, you'll just want to make sure that you clearly state that we're opening the hearing, and then when we're done with public comment, you can um, say that the public hearing is closed, and then you would have your normal discussion and then vote on that first item, and then we would do the same thing with the next. Okay. Um, so we would do that first with the TIP and then the CID. 
Okay, so we are opening the public hearing on the adoption of the Crossings TIF um, project area project area one plan. Mayor, I just want to make sure that there isn't. Kevin, is there anything procedurally that you have concerns with on that? Sorry, one one additional item on the on the TIF ordinance. It requires a super majority vote requiring two thirds of the body. Um, so that, that should be first on uh, up on the agenda. The TIF item? Correct. And it is first on there. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you. Uh -huh. Okay. So from here. Yeah. Yes. I, I, sorry. I had something pop up. I do have a quick question for Monty in regards to in the earlier in the presentation, we talked about the university being a an AAU university. Um, can you speak to a little bit to that, to the audience of what that means and the significance of that? Sure. It's Monty Soka, KU Endowment. Um, I'm not an expert on that, so I'll just warn you, but it's basically the 60 top research universities in the United States, both private and public. Uh, the University of Kansas has been in it since its inception, um, which is over 100 years. Um, other universities similar to us, state universities have fallen out. Uh, the difficulty is um, one of the primary metrics is research dollars to tenured faculty and with a comprehensive university, that's very hard to do um, when you're competing against, you know, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, those kind of universities. So it's as a public university, it's very hard to stay in. Okay, so most, and I'm looking at the website, so it looks like most of these universities, whether they're public or Ivy League, are traditionally predominantly white institutions, correct? I can't speak to that, but I will take your word for it. All right, well, I'm, okay. Well, I'm <laughs> You're on mute. Sorry about that. I'm looking at the website and most of them are predominantly white institutions. So do, does KU, in regards to research, do we do any, is the idea that this is a way to, this is a form of a one, a recruiting tool. Or is that what we, is that what the university or there's a hope that this will be a driver for recruiting not only students, but also businesses? Well, certainly it sets you apart as a research institution. Um, and typically the re grant dollars are coming through research. Uh, so that's the primary component of that, but certainly it provides a competitive edge. Uh, as opposed to other universities that aren't uh, in those top 60 universities in the United States. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was all. Just needed some clarification on that. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Sherry, move forward on this. Yeah, we can go ahead and start taking public comment. Okay. Public hearings open and we're ready for public comment on this item. All right, I'm Jane Heisman. I'm a neighbor in the Marvon Meadows neighborhood. I think you received my documents. Um, maybe you can refer to the drawings. Um, I think we're all excited about the project and the opportunity that it brings to the city. Um, we would like the city to exercise a little bit of um, its power in this decision-making process to request that the developer preserve a 150-foot buffer along the western edge of the property. We feel like that will improve the situation for the tenants to homeowners part of the project 
and it will also enhance the rest of the city um, through the habitat and the um, opportunity for walking trails and all kinds of amenities in that area. I believe it's relevant to consider that as a part of project one because it is the area of property you saw on slide number, not sure which that was, but the drawing that showed where the tenants to homeowners site would go. I'm concerned that if we don't give the developers a parameter that says this 150 foot buffer is important to us, then that won't happen because there's no vehicle for them to come back and ask for your permission to build there. So I would just request that you work that into the development agreement so that we can all enjoy the wooded area. Thank you. Thank you. Other public comment on this item from the audience? No. I am Kristen Eldridge, and I just wanted to um, speak on both both accounts. And if you would like, I can come back and speak to the CID. But <clears throat> I'm just speaking as a KU grad and a person who chose to stay in Lawrence, start a business here, um, and a citizen concerned with affordability, including affordability affordable housing. Please consider accepting the um, recommendations regarding the crossing at 21st in Iowa for the following reasons. Uh, KU Endowment is fronting the costs of the development and infrastructure improvement. The CID and TIF districts allow them to recoup a portion of the investment costs over time. As the development moves forward, they are creating new sales taxes that weren't available before ultimately benefiting the city. And we saw that um, that on a couple of the slides earlier um, from Kevin Wempe, or excuse me, from Tom Denaway. The new development has other community benefits like um, community jobs, new businesses, um, a childcare facility, and desperately needed, needed housing. I didn't realize before I came tonight that um, a portion was set aside for tenants to homeowners, um, but that going into a trust and making it uh, affordable housing in perpetuity is significant. Um, and you don't often see that from developers, whether they're horizontal or vertical developers. The development is a win-win for business, um, affordable housing, and a win-win for KU Endowment, and ultimately the city. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I've never done this before. My name is Deb Browden. I'm one of the neighbors. Um, there was a great map that Jane um, made up and it was part of our letter. I wonder if that could be shown. The very last slide um, shows how if you left a little green space, a little buffer just between the, the neighborhood and the development, um, trails could go through there. And there are lots of existing trails out in the other part and proposed trails by the city. There's a proposed bike path that's part that's under the power lines um, that really are 19th Street. 
Um, so if this buffer was left, there would be space to hook walking trails, you know, which a lot of us really enjoy. There are lots of walking trails in our neighborhood and other parts of our neighborhood. So this could connect to those. Um, and if you had the slide and could show it, it'd be great. It was the very last. There it is. Oh. The very last one. There are many, many trails up in that area right now. There's a lot of green space. And of course, you know, that that is not ours to decide about. But this buffer could help. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Rich Greenwood. I'm also a resident in the uh, adjacent neighborhood. Uh, I just wanted to echo the sentiments of uh, other neighborhood uh, other neighbors of mine and state that I think a green space would be very beneficial to not only the university, but to the neighborhood. Uh, I personally have lived in the neighborhood for going on 17 years. One of the reasons why we picked it is because it's a really nice close knit neighborhood. There's only one way in and one way out, which means my six year old daughter can get on roller skates and roll around or get on a bicycle and get around and not have to worry about cars, oncoming traffic going. Uh, I personally am also concerned about a road coming into our neighborhood. Um, I know that that might be in, in the secondary phase he was talking about, uh, but that's a concern of mine, to be honest, that our neighborhood, would, which again is a close-knit, closed community, is going to have a road going through it. Um, it raises concerns to me. Uh, so I, I'm all for KU. I'm a KU graduate. I think it's great to attract uh, new professors, new students. I think it bolsters our community. I'm all for that. I just need, I'm, I'm requesting that the city commission uh, press for partnership between uh, what's going on and what our needs are, what our wants are. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Hi, my name is Risa Hoyt. I am also a neighbor in the Marvon Meadows area, and I just came with my very patient nine-year-old son who loves <laughs> our neighborhood. And we really, really would like for the entrance to stay private as much as we can, um, as well as maintaining somewhat of a green space. I know there's obviously room to figure out what's gonna work for everyone. Um, I'll, I've noticed through reading all the documents over the last few months, they keep referring to the quality of life being improved. And I honestly think that leaving a green space for the neighborhood and those moving into this area would be very, very beneficial to this to the city. So thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Erin Payton. Um, I live at 1910 Marvon Road, so I live in the neighborhood with the other people that have been here. And I wanted to also reiterate what they're saying about making sure we leave that green space. Um, I agree with Jane for the following reasons. KU's not yet expired master plan preserves that entire area. Um, one way in by a car um, is what we have now. Several ways in by pedestrian. Um, one of those uh, pedestrians is my husband who walks to work every day through those woods. Um, and I, we want to preserve that, maybe encourage the walking and biking, but preserve the um, lack of access for cars. And I think it would be an asset for not only 
like Risa said, uh, people moving into the area, but people also living in our neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. I'm John Payton, and um, I don't know if I count because I'm <laughs> um, married to her. Um, but uh, I just wanted to voice my support for the trails back um, there, and or that are kind of actually already exist and are a nice um, um, facility. And I think it's something that the that uh, I work at the university is something that the university has talked about, um, and it's been on the mass like discussed around with the master plan and maybe is something that uh um is that something that the university would be interested in and i've talked to Monty once about it um and so um at least giving the opportunity to um i think as i think jane had mentioned this is the only time the city is really going to be able to weigh in probably in what's happening with the rest of the development just because of the unusual relationship of endowment not really being part of the city um i think and so um using the tiff as kind of leverage to uh, make sure that sort of get some things that would be nice to have in the community, which I think would also benefit the university and the people who are moving in there. And I work on West Campus and I definitely, uh, my students and I use the trails. So it's, it would be a nice amenity to keep around. Thanks. Thank you. Public comment on this item. Got somebody coming up there. My name's Tim Tal. I'm also a neighbor that backs up to the KU endowment property. Uh, the only things that as, as I've listened tonight, I'm concerned about, of course, the 150 foot green space that has always been in the plan. And I've lived in the house for 27 years and in, in that neighborhood and it's been fabulous. But the one thing I'm concerned about is we're making a, a vote today to decide on future plans of building in the green space. And should we be allowing votes today dictate what's gonna happen in part of a plan that hasn't actually been built yet? So I'm very concerned about that. I'm also very concerned about the whole structure of who's actually gaining the profits from this building in setup. And that's the only thing that's come to mind of what's been going on, but I want to make sure that's been brought in. Thank you. Thank you. Public comment. My name's Ron Gacious, and I'm here to support this project. I hadn't planned on speaking, but the comments that I've heard so far bring to mind a couple of issues that I'd like to discuss with each of you. Um, every project that I've begin, been acquainted with of any significant size during my five years serving on the city's Affordable Housing Advisory Board brought opposition from neighbors every single one um, to the benefit of the city 
most of those projects still moved forward as they were proposed. This, I think, is a unique opportunity to have a mi mixed-use, multi-use development in what is already a pretty central location in our community, requiring infrastructure investment in the immediate area, but not requiring much in the way of infrastructure investments at large for the community. This is a great deal. The incorporation of a residential component, I think, makes it an even more important plan for our community. I urge your favorable support for it. Every project has opposition. Make whatever adjustments you need to make to feel comfortable with this, but please ensure as much space as possible is retained for residential purposes. We need the lots and the affordable housing component that has been devised by the Endowment Association and Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners is unique and very valuable to our community and warrants your support. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Chris Flowers. Um, when they were talking about um, what that what they'll get be getting out of it, were they including like increased enrollment, or were they just looking at like the sales tax and like the rent and the the revenue that the businesses and the apartments are going to be bringing in because if if we're bringing in more enrollment that's going to be bringing in more money for them so were were they considering stuff like that or just the direct stuff and also i think they're i'm not sure the affordable housing we're getting will be worth it um they talked about what um 26 units possibly, I think it was 13 times two, but what, how many units are they building that's not affordable? Like if there's hundreds of units, like what percent of total units that will be built there are gonna be affordable? Cause isn't it, um, when it comes to like the incentives with affordable housing that goes by as a percentage of how many units are gonna be affordable when, when it, it's considering the tax breaks. Um, I'm trying to think what else I wanted to say. Um, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of like, when we talk about affordable housing, what about the impact? Like other cities have done this thing where they bring in research or bring in like these tech jobs and then it ends up causing the rest of the city, like the housing prices to go up. Like what if it's highly successful and there's hundreds of people, like like businesses move in and they're offer and like they start bringing in hundreds of people that are making 50 or more thousand dollars a year. Like what's, what impacts gonna, will that have on the rest of us who aren't making that much and are now competing with outsiders who have been brought in who are making more than us because it's happened in other cities. Um, I don't know if that's been addressed, um, but I have no problem with this thing being made. It's just the tax extent, like the tax breaks. I, I'm not sure we're getting a good deal. And also when the rate of their return, isn't KU a nonprofit? Like why they seem like they need to make as much money as possible. Wouldn't zero percent 
like that's breaking even. Like, why do they need to make a profit to better the community? Why shouldn't a nonprofit just be wanting to to better the community just because you know it's the right thing to do? So they they they're talking about like a nine percent return for them, but I think we could do less. And also, I think they're gonna build anyway because have you looked over there? They they've got construction and stuff going on, so they're prepared to build. I think it's gonna happen anyway. Thank you. Public comment, other public comment. No. You don't get twice, sorry about that. <laughs> if there's none from the audience, anybody on Zoom? If you're on Zoom and wanna provide comment on this item, please uh, raise your hand. And if you're not sure how to use that feature, you can just raise your hand physically. See anybody doing that, Casey? I don't. Okay. No public comment online, Mayor. Okay, then we will bring it back to the commission for discussion. And any other questions, if they have any? I, I did have one. The answer to my question uh, to Monty about the blue buildings that are to be determined, and his answer was, well, it may be those might be used for uh, Innovation Park, PTBC, whatever we want to call it now. Um, that feels like information I would want to know because I understood that Innovation Park already has the next two phases planned out. Um, and I, of course, I have all the experts next to me that I need uh, that are on those boards. So if someone could correct me on that or, or help me with that little jump, that'd be great. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't want to be working at cross purposes with one of our partners. <laughs> Well, I, I, maybe Monty can answer that yeah. if you come on up. But yeah, I mean, if buildings three and four, um, you know, they've put in for some, you know, state and federal money for, and those are not part of, I mean, they're, they're the ones closer to the current BDBC buildings, closer over there. I think these are the future ones after that phase of six, seven, eight, nine. But go ahead, Monty. Goes up to yeah, that'd be correct. They, they are, you know, they have like a 12 building plan. <laughs> You know how that comes to fruition i don't know it's a master plan so um but yes they would probably come down that direction our hope is that we would build mixed use buildings those buildings on the so on the ones along becker drive the first floor would be like uh retail uh and have mixed use which would be a taxable we'd have to condo that out basically and that would become a, the taxable part of that and then if our ku innovation park or the university above that that would be a non-taxable piece I would point out that none of the blue buildings were included in the projections. They were calculated as zero. Okay. So they're not included in the projections of the TIF income. So we're not counting on this. No. Right. Only the red, <laughs> orange, and purple. Purple. And and again, if they came in. For some reason, as taxable, that just pay off the infrastructure quicker, right? And then, and there is a cap on the tip. So if we overgenerate, there's a cap. Right. right. If we don't spend all of that, there's, and we get to the point where we've been paid back, then that also terminates the tip. So right. there's lots of reassurances, I think, for the city uh, yeah. that we don't get over overfunded. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's Monty, oh. while you, oh, yeah, oh, go ahead. 
Oh, well, I just had a quick question kind of alluding to some of the public comment. Uh, I know it's still early in the process, but has there been any account for, you know, using part of that wooded area on the west side for like trails or having some sort of through? Yeah, so I've, upper? yeah, I've had discussions with five neighbors that live along there, three of which spoke tonight. Um, and I, you know, I said, you know, we'll try to do something and make that reserve some of that ground to the best we can. There are places where uh, the distance between a building and the property line is only 150 feet. Uh, so it becomes difficult to, you know, to create a 150 foot buffer, certainly. Um, I'd also point out that that's nine acres, what they're asking for uh, with that 150 foot buffer. That's about 78 R5 lots if you will, not that we plan to develop it that, but it gives you an idea of the, the scope of what that ask is. Um, so, but we're certainly happy to work with them and try to create some kind of buffer and you and leave some of that space um, untouched. What that is, I can't stand here and tell you today that I could commit to a number. I, I think probably would help the conversation along is this, but there was some certain, some certainty of dialogue within that, that, uh, you know, going forward, that they would have some sort of part in determining what that would be. And uh, I'm not certain if that's something that we can put in the development agreement that, you know, that, that some sort of meetup is required, um, especially regarding that Western side. But um, so these conversations started with the uh, cooperative agreement between the university. We had to send out notices to people within 400 feet. We've had either three or four meetings to date. We have another one scheduled for this later this month. And that's how these conversations started. And I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with uh, five people that own property on that, uh, along that uh, line. And to try, you know, try to understand, uh, we reached out thinking we, maybe we could get a uh, easement for a, a pedestrian access into that neighborhood. And we've talked to a couple of neighbors about that. We haven't worked anything out yet, uh, but I have reached out to two, two people that own, actually three people that own property on that street that could potentially grant an easement. Again, nothing's worked out. Uh, we have no intention of a, of a, a vehicle connection uh, to that other than at Lawrence Avenue where the, where the lit intersection is. That's how you would get into our site that way. But there would be nothing connecting them to the neighborhood. There would be nothing connecting the... Except right there at Lawrence Avenue where that lit intersection, signalized intersection is. We would extend Lawrence Avenue up into our site. It's, it's already stubbed out. Okay. So as far as the development agreement goes, to put anything in there that KU would commit to X number of feet of buffer. That's not realistic that that can happen. Well, <laughs> I don't think it's realistic today. Yeah. Um, there is, you know, the development agreement does, the cooperative agreement does specify certain setbacks for that area. Um, they're not very large, I'll tell you that. Uh, it's basically a one-to-one -one setback. So every foot of height, you have to be a foot off. Not probably very comforting for that neighborhood. I'll admit that. Um, so, you know, we can do better than that. I am very, very confident we can do much better than that. What that number is, I would, I could not commit to tonight. But I'm happy to work with the neighborhood 
and uh, folks from the neighborhood to try to come up with a good plan uh, that works for them. Would it be amenable for, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily concerned with specifics at this point. I would mm -hmm. just, I would be settled and fine with like having proposed, you know, meetings within the plan, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, certain points within the development of the plan before the development's begun mm -hmm. that um, the developer, the university or the endowment association meets with the neighborhood to go ahead and discuss these things just so they don't feel like this is their only opportunity to go ahead and have their voices heard. Right. And we're happy, we're happy to do that. Okay. Um, excuse me, ma'am, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, ma'am. You're, you're hang, hang on a second. Okay. Money, go ahead. No, what was it? I wasn't going to say. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying something else. Whoever they decide to. Okay. Because you're having some meetings now, and so these would be additional meetings. Well, we have the community uh, community advisory group meetings, and we have another one, I think, on the 27th or 29th, one of those two days, um, to keep them informed of what's going on, okay. to get feedback. And again, that's how this conversation started at those meetings uh, earlier. I think they, maybe even the first one. Um, and uh, like I said, I've met personally with five people on that street in one-on-one -on -one meetings uh, already, just as they called and asked about it. And I've said, come, let's talk about it. Uh, so. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Did you want to say, you can come on up here and please, I'm sorry. I forgot your name. I shouldn't, I should know it. But Jane. Jane. Jane, that's right. Um, so I appreciate that Monty has reached out to all of us and we, we have taken advantage of the opportunities to meet when he's had meetings. I, I don't think there's any um, actual outcome guaranteed by just talking. And so it is their property. They have, they can do whatever they want with it, right? So if he agrees to talk to us, it doesn't actually ensure any changes in the approach. And so if as a community and a city, we feel like it's important to preserve some green space for the habitat, for the future affordable housing, I think those are important considerations that have to come outside of the neighborhood, just being invited to hear what's happening. Okay. Uh, so I'm concerned that that doesn't actually meet our needs to just have more meetings. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Anything else? Actually, did you want to uh, add to that? No. Yeah, it's no, I, I didn't. Uh, it's just going to be kind of. It's kind of tricky because it's so far out. It is, yeah. And uh, we're only talking about uh, the section one right now, and that's in the section two. So yeah, um, I, I kind of feel for Monty and the fact that it's hard to commit and you know say for certain on that, um, yeah. given that you know um, the the room that would be taken up for the buffer would be for affordable housing. So. Um, No, sorry, we haven't done. I might want to take a second here before I launch into my other question, which I'll need other commissioners for, to give a compliment if I can tell by these maps. And I appreciate that these are phases and that, you know, this, um, particularly the map of a residential neighborhood affordable housing is not a actual commitment, but uh, an idea. Um, if you look at that, um, and, and I'm assuming these are trails, not roads, 
It looks a heck of a lot like a wildlife corridor to me. Um, the space between the, the new retention pond and this other, well, I don't actually know the name of it, but there's other uh, little lake that's over here on campus. And I know certainly further north of 19th up to 15th, um, there's a lot of uh, demonstrable wildlife that uh, many of us are concerned about that live over there. And I'm sure these neighbors see it too. Um, uh, so if if that's something that I can encourage or compliment um, in the future, um, keeping that green space open as well, um, I would I would like to do that because um, that is an enormous space that a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of wildlife there. Um, and unless someone else has a question, I got a I got a big question, <laughs> but I want to ask I want to ask Commissioner Finkeldy. Um, Sure. So when I when I rolled in here today, I was pretty comfortable with this. I mean, not it's not perfect, and I, I um, maybe more than many are, are am suspicious of uh, incentives, especially when it's probably going to happen anyway. But <laughs> when I found out that this hasn't been taxed for the better part of eighty years, that threw me clean off my game. This area hasn't been taxed since the 40s. Since KU bought it. Yeah. KU doesn't pay taxes. You don't pay taxes. Okay, I just want to, I just. Yeah, okay. KU doesn't pay taxes. So since they own it, they. they I get it. Taxes. So, you know, to create this area that is taxable um, is a, is a, I guess is a step forward on that. Um, in addition to the sales tax amounts, I think the big the, the Tilly showed in the first twenty years what forty five million to the city and about fifteen million to the county from the project. So, um, yeah, they they have a lot of land that they don't pay taxes on, which is the KU. Yeah, of course, the city doesn't pay taxes on our own land either, <laughs> yeah. and school district doesn't pay taxes to us on their land. So we have a lot of land in the city of Lawrence that don't doesn't pay property taxes. At the moment. Anything else? No, anything else? Anything else from Commissioner Sellers? We're done with public comment right now. Thank you. No, um, in the the Monty answered the question, and I can't remember which commissioner was that answered asked it because. Yeah, that's just kind of how my brain is a little bit right now. Um, but there, yeah, the access road that comes in, because I think I heard some of the conferees speak to roads, and I noticed I, I wanted to make sure I looked at that map again that, to ensure that a road was not going through property, but it's going around and up into the KU property. Um, Monty spoke to the, the piece about the buffer. Um, and how that does um, take away part of the land um, that is agreed upon, or at least in an agreement for partnership with tennis homeowners. And I know that this is a project that's not going to be at least um, designed out until closer to 2028. Um, and I know Monty's been a part of those conversations. It doesn't sound like Rebecca has. And I mean, I'm not trying to say that talking is going to be the cure-all. Um, I think maybe an understanding and education of, of density and opportunity and what um, what potential new land development codes we may have that may that may provide some opportunities to do some workarounds. I think, I, again, I, 
I'm nervous about us putting caveats into a design we haven't seen. Um, hell, we may not even be the commissioners on, on the dais to even approve that design at that time. So um, we're putting a lot of what ifs into, into something um, as it relates to to this project. And I, it, it gives me a little bit of pause of concern. Um, in no way do I, I doubt that whatever work that the Endowment Association in partnership with tenants and homeowners will do to create a an affordable housing um, community that's part of a mixed income housing community that will be mutually beneficial not only for our for our city writ large, but also for those who will potentially be renting or, or be homeowners there as it butts up against the current um, um, Marvon neighborhood um, that is there as well. So it's a mutual beneficial. Uh, I see this as mutually beneficial. And while I recognize and you know the idea of wanting to put in terms right now for a buffer, I think it's a little premature because we haven't seen a design and there's a lot of what ifs on that. Um, as this relates to the TIF, um, you know, TIF projects, TIF kind of exists to address projects like this. Um, so if you can reconcile the multiple years drawn out in order to build that, a lot of people see it as that's 20 years of you know, income that we're not receiving, but we're going to see, receive a portion of it, just not in its fullness, but that as that time wanes off, or if the project is paid off early, um, that is funding an opportunity. And again, 20 years as it relates to, this is 20 years wait for the fact that we've had 80 years that it hasn't been on the tax roll. I that that is an investment, you know, well worth the wait, um, especially for a project uh, like this and for the corridor in that area. Um, I did share prior to when we uh, initially had this uh, project come to us that, you know, my family, you know, we live within a walking distance to Wichita State and there's a similar project happening right now in Wichita State in the, in the same corridor. Um, and you know, there's hotel, there's commercial, uh, retail. There's also some residential uh, components as well. Um, what I would say, I like more about this project than the very project that's happening in my mom's own backyard, is the emphasis on um, um, early care and education, and that partnership uh, with the community with having um, childcare um, present. Um, the idea of a grocer. Um, you know, my our neighborhood is considered a food desert, so we don't have a grocery here. So this is a project that's looking at total community benefit. So I mean, if I had to vote on a on a project as it relates between what we have here, well, I'm in Wichita right now with Wichita State project and what we're seeing with KU, I would have definitely voted for this one in a heartbeat before I would have voted for the one that's currently happening. Um, here and here in, in Wichita. So, um, you know, this is this is the type of project that you would want to use um, tax incremental financing on, and and I support that in, in fully. And so, I think with the housing piece, we're getting just a little bit ahead of ourselves. I think if we can trust the process and trust the partners who are involved in this, um, I think this is going to be mutual beneficial when that time comes and the design is presented for both the neighborhood as well as for future tenants and homeowners um, that will benefit from this project. Any other thoughts? 
Nope. I, I'm a, I mean, I, I do support, the, I do support the project. I mean, I think, um, you know, I do think this is the, the purpose of a, a TIF and a CID is to, you know, take the, take the pressure off our, uh, our own CID to have the CID and the TIF pay for infrastructure roads, um, sanitary sewer improvements on 21st and Iowa public roads. Um, and so, and in exchange for that, you get, um, you know, properties that are producing property tax a little bit in the short run, more in the long run, but also producing sales tax and providing amenities, um, infill development in the middle of our town. So, um, I certainly support the TIF district, um, and the CID district. I mean, I do think there is um, work to be done on the residential side, which I, I, I trust Monty and, and Rebecca and others to, to work on that, you know, um, I'm also hesitant to do a 150 foot buffer down the entire line. I think having, um, you know, buffers are important, which we do have some. And then I think having walking trails are important. And I know this plan already incorporates some walking trails and how we um, put that all together um, is something that'll need to be worked on as we go through. But, um, you know, at this point I'm, I'm supporting of the, the TIF district. Uh, yeah, it would be as well for all the, reasons mentioned by Commissioner Sellers and uh, Commissioner Finkel-Dye. Um, I am confident that Monty and KU will continue to work with the neighbors and uh, discuss it. And when, uh, you know, development plans come to fruition uh, regarding what the uh, affordable housing will be, I'm really excited about the, uh, the trust that it's going to be permanently affordable. That is something that is remarkable. Um, and um, that that's going to be a, provide a really really tangible long term benefit, and of course getting uh, this property on the tax rolls. Um, it's uh, it's um, I, I really think this is a, it's a really good project, and um, looking forward to see it go forward. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great project. I really do, and um, I've been following it like everybody else has been who's been involved with this. Um, and, and so I think it's a, it's a, a good example of where we can participate at a public private type partnership. And I think it's important that the city, um, works with, um, our community members to bring these types of projects to fruition. What I have a difficult time with is a 95%, um, request. Um, I think that's, um, really high, uh, too high for me to follow through with it. Um, given the fact that they are, have indicated that they have almost a 10% rate of return, 9.78% rate of return is what the report said. Um, and so I would be willing to um, support this with a lower than 95%, somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 70%. Um, but at the, the rate now, I think it's a bit high. So, and I don't know if anybody else would be interested in bringing that down. I would say, um, I mean, the, the analysis is based upon the, the infrastructure. So are you suggesting certain infrastructure not be included or that we, I mean, we all have a, a, a an analysis on that. So I guess and the feasibility of that. So I certainly would not support it off the cuff to, to support some um, amount we haven't studied and to understand, you know, the, the, the revenue and the, and the infrastructure um, components of that. I mean, the, the plan is together. I mean, obviously, if if it gets voted down, um, you know, someone could bring it back and have some further discussion 
Um, but I wanted on the cuff move to to support that, and and I, and, and but I would say no, I support it as it exists, given the infrastructure that it's going to to fund. Um, absolutely. Okay, I'd be happy to have it. Somebody take a look at that. Then if, if we want to go that route, um, I I'd kind of lean that way as well, supporting it as it is because. Them working on an infrastructure at that corner in the southwest corner is huge, considering that a lot of that stuff was backing up into manholes currently. So, um, and any sort of extra load on there would be detrimental to the line. And they're expanding the width of the line as well. So, um, gosh, and yeah. Well, I, I guess the other way to look at that is if you looked at the Tilly report about the feasibility analysis on what they'd have to cut back in order to make something work. I'd have to pull that up here. So it basically means they have to shrink the entire project. And I guess, you know, I mean, are you supporting the, sh the shrinking of the, the project or you just, I mean, you want it to be a 40% smaller project? No, I'm not supporting, I'm not saying how they should work with, um, you know, uh, increasing it, decreasing it, whatever. Um, my concern is just that, that the 95% is just seems really high to me given their stated rate of return. Um, and that, you know, definitely want to provide some level of partnership. I just don't think that 95% is, is, I just think 95% is just too much. But so. Mayor, we're, we're currently getting nothing right now on that property. Does it mean they yeah. go with it? They're also the largest landowner in the state. And um, there's a lot of other things we could say. Um, they might be good for it. That's where I'm at with it. I'm definitely, this is a great project and I appreciate what, them bringing it forward. I just think the level of support from the city needs to be tempered. This is Commissioner oh, yeah. Sellers. Um, I think we, we've had, we've had this quandary come up in, other cases in with similar discussions as it relates to when it comes time for us to vote on a matter as it relates to the scope we wait to the 11th hour to want to make a change to the scope when all the heavy work has been done when we've had this come before us not once not twice but several times with the earliest being in january when we received the presentation and the outlining of the tiff at that time Yes, it's 95%. We're getting 5% on this. There's a possibility that this could be paid back early, which means it comes off quicker off, the, off, off that piece in less than 22 years. But I'm not going to speak to that tonight. I'm speaking to the matter that if there was a concern with the 95% TIF, that should have been discussed at our meeting in January. It's now March. There's no room for that discussion at this time. I will not support a decrease in the TIF. Okay, any other discussion? What do you want to do? We do need full votes on this, Randy. Excuse me. Yeah, it's my understanding, yes, that we need four. Kevin won't be able to speak to that. Two thirds votes, so a super majority. Where are we at? Three of them, yeah, I, I got, I got that, Kevin. Before you do go, go in your 
since nothing else being presented, we will want to give a um, no, this, 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 sorry, public hearings. Okay. We okay. state that before we, before we actually take the vote. Okay. Okay. I mean, maybe I ask um, to the to the to the mayor's question if I understand the Baker Tilly sensitivity report, but maybe could be a, a question for. Um, I'm sorry, I've got name Baker Tilly um, about the if this redu was reduced to a 70 75 percent what would that do to the feasibility and if you could say anything off the top of your head based upon that sensitivity analysis yes uh, thank you for the question council member or commissioner uh, the the amount if if you were to reduce the capture percentage of the TIF revenues, you would need to adjust the eligible reimbursable budget amount correspondingly so that those would both move together in alignment. If you notice with the, the TIF eligible budget that, that is sized around the potential TIF revenues, uh, so those those would need to move in concert. And I think uh, the documentation would be need to be adjusted to, a, to account for that. Uh, if you were to reduce the overall amount, overall amount of TIF capture at a lower percentage, it would reduce the overall rate of return. Uh, that overall rate of return is also dependent on the TIF revenues coming in as projected. If the revenues come in at a, at a lower or slower rate, the, the impact on the rate of return would be lesser as well, either by market conditions or by a reduction in the capture ratio. Uh, so I would I would state that the the projected rate of return that's within the report with assistance is uh, we always try to size those to be as high as possible to show the best case scenario for purposes of informing uh, policymakers as it relates to the reasonableness of the return with assistance. Uh, so there's certainly the potential that that number would be lower, even at a 95% capture ratio. If TIF values, property tax values, sales, uh, property tax values, or taxable CID sales came in less, that amount would go down. Thank you. Thank you. So that's where I'm at. Okay. Okay. That's where I'm at. Did close the hearing, right? Forgot. Yeah. Are we getting ready? Okay. So we're closing the public hearing at this time, Sherry. Okay. Got it. Okay. Well, Commissioner Shipley, do you have questions or thoughts before we oh, make I, a motion? I was going mean, to give you one last chance to talk. Talk me into not feeling like we've that the taxpayers have been taken advantage of for eighty years, and now they're being asked for more money. Well, if, if this project dies, right, because we don't do a TIF, right, then it's you, you get zero for, into the future. So the, the question becomes, um, you know, do you, what is the feasibility of the project without the TIF, you know, as designed? Um, you know, I, I agree with, 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 with the Baker Tilly report and, and understand the Baker, as I understand the Baker Tilly report, you know, just um, taking money out of it doesn't create the feasibility. You have to change the entire project, which is a redesign of the project. Um, you know, we have, we don't know how long that would take, what, what would be added to it. We have 
um, you know, possibilities under that timeline um, of having um, a grocery store and other projects, you know, the bank the and some of those other projects even built in 2023 um, by changing this at the last moment and saying we're not going to support it. Um, and if we have to redo the 180-day hearing to get some lower number, and I guess that could be a question, if we were to come back at 60%, would we have to redo the entire hearing, Kevin? Right. Uh, thanks, Commissioner. Yes, if we were going to rework the, the TIF plan and in and, and that way um, and, and not proceed up with with final approval on the schedule as presented, it, it would likely re-trigger, you know, re-noticing re and redoing public hearing process to, to rework the documents and re-notice the public. And that's, what's the length of that process typically? Um, it, off the cuff, if we're redoing the full TIF plan process, we have to return to planning commission first and then have a public hearing called by the commission. And then 30 to 70 days later under statute is when you'd hold the what we're doing tonight, the hearing on, on the TIF plan. So, you know, on the short end to redo all that, it'd be a couple months. Yeah, 45 days to get on the planning commission agenda. And uh, so, we're, you know, we're delaying the entire project eight or nine months to reconsider that, having to rework the entire project um, and put the whole thing back when we have project ready to go. So I think it's a lot more than we can't just adopt, a, we can't just change the number and adopt that tonight. I mean we'd have to re-notice the whole thing. So I just can't support that. And again, I, I mean, I, you know, the way that the TIF and the the TIF works, and I mean, the, the CID um, is different, but the, the TIF itself, again, they're paying zero and they're going to, um, it's not that we're giving them, them money. We are getting money. We're just not getting as much money as we would otherwise. Um, but that's the whole point of the Baker Tilly study and what they're paying for it. They're paying for public infrastructure. That's the whole um, point of the TIF. So, I mean, that's why I, I support this support this project. I support moving it ahead. And, and um, you know, I, I don't think it is, easy, is as easy as saying I would, would like an, a lower number um, because that really saying you don't support the project as it exists. Mayor, I had a question for either Tom or Kevin. I couldn't remember. I know by statute, is it by statute the length of the TIF? I know TIFs can typically be anywhere from 20 to 30 years. Are we, the state statute cap TIFs at a certain time or can they go up at a certain amount of years or can they go up? Or, well, I guess, can, are they capped at a certain time, a number of years, is what I'm asking. Yep. At least Thanks. for the state of Kansas. Yeah, Commissioner, this, this is Kevin Wimpy with Gilmore and Bell. Uh, correct, so each, um, there, there's a TIF district and within a TIF district, you can have multiple TIF project plans. And so tonight we're considering TIF project plan one and, and the individual uh, project plans are what are capped by statute at 20 years of peace under the TIF Act. And obviously, as we talked about earlier, if they came back with other TIF plans in the future for some of the other areas, one, they'd have to have, uh, would, would have to have eligible costs, which they might not have, like parking 
lots and 21st and Iowa has already paid for all those. So it's not likely they'll even come back for those, but if they do, that would be at a whole different level. Um, right. And we would be able to determine that based upon the eligible costs, the rate of return and otherwise. Again, whether or not they come back is one question, but if they do, I'm, you know, it certainly could be at a much lower level. But again, they're using a small portion of this to fund the whole project. Um, and again, I think that's why the 95% makes sense. If we were I mean, the whole project area, hotel, other projects, you know, um, I mean, that'd be a, maybe a different number to pay for it all, but you know, this is the way we're using this small project area to pay for all those 21st in Iowa, the two parking garages, that sort of thing. So. This is Commissioner Sawyers. I'm smiling because Commissioner Field I got to the point that I wanted to make before, which we, I mean, it, it, what it boils down to is that we're, this is not something out of the ordinary. Um, and for those who may not be familiar with the TIF process and CID processes, this could seem daunting, but I mean, this is something that for, for the size of the project, the rate of the return and the opportunity that it brings, um, I, I, this is this makes good sense. You know, we're not a state where we're a statute where TIF projects, you know, are capped at 30 years. So they're coming back at us. You know, this could be a 30 year project. So to Commissioner Shipley's point, you know, something that's been on, been off the roll for 80 years and then 30 years, you know, you get those, you, you get into that discussion. Those shouldn't be discussions that happen in the 11th hour. Those would be discussions that happen when the project comes before you. And I do believe that this initial but for analysis came to us in December. So again, I want to stress that as commissioners, we were, we had access to this information months ago and that if there were there was any confusion or uncertainty as it relates to the but for analysis and tiffs and cids and what that means those are things that should have been worked out prior to tonight's meeting um so if there is no further ado i know the public hearing has been closed i do believe there's an action on the floor or there's a potential action on the floor mayor yeah we do have an action and that is the, where we at on that. We conducted the adopt, adopt on first reading in the ordinance. So I move that we adopt on first reading ordinance number 9969 and authorize the city manager to execute the rede redevelopment agreement between the city of Lawrence, Kansas and the West District Improvement Company, LLC for project area number one. Second. I got a first and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Do we need a roll call vote? We haven't heard the rest. Say that again. All in favor? I got, Aye. I got Aye. three. Aye. Aye. Nay. <laughs> Nay. I'll vote aye. All opposed? Nay. Four to one. Got one more. Okay. Uh -huh. Now we have to conduct the public hearing on the CID. Yeah, yeah we got the CID. Yeah. He said CID. 
I did. I think, yeah, yeah. I just, I do want to say, I think it's a great project. I really would like to see it be less, but I sure don't want to see this thing not go. Appreciate that, Mayor. Appreciate it, Mayor. Mm -hmm. So we'll go on to the, um, the CID. We've already been presented with that information. Do we need to do that as far as the public hearing? Do you have anything else to present or we're just opening the hearing? Okay. Just open the hearing there. Okay. I'm sorry, Sherry, I didn't catch that. What'd you say? You'll just go ahead and there's nothing more to present just to open the public hearing for the establishment of the CID. Okay, so we're opening the public hearing for the establishment of the Crossing Community Improvement District and levy of a CID sales tax. Okay, public comment on this item. Any public comment on Zoom? Okay, bring it back up here to the commission. I move to adopt on first read. Oh, close the hearing. Oh, yeah. yeah, we gotta close, we gotta close the public hearing. Yep, not much to say. Okay, now I'll make the motion. Did you close the hearing? Close the hearing. Let me make one more okay. comp compliment. Um, and I'd said this months ago when we first started seeing this. Um, what I do love about it is it's a 15 or 20 minute neighborhood, which we've been begging people to show us for years. Um, and, and this entity is gonna bring it to us and I, I appreciate the innovation. I appreciate the commitment to non-motorized um, living. Um, and uh, I hope that other people observe what they're doing here and take that as a, a, um, an innovation. All right. Got a motion? Move to adopt on first reading ordinance number 9968, creating the community improvement district for the project and authorizing levying of an additional 1.5% sales tax on the property owned by the developer within the district. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Passes five to zero. All right. We are on to item number two. Do we need a quick break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Yes. About a 10 minute break. Commissioner Sellers on? I don't see her. I don't see her back yet. The two that are important are the top one. Yep, I'm just oh, showing the last of my street. <laughs> okay. So we're, excuse me, we're on to item two. Um, excuse me, sir. We're, we're on to item two here. Consider approving a preliminary development plan PDP 22 0224 for Fall Creek, Creek Villas. 
located on an unaddressed parcel submitted by Land Plan Engineering PA on behalf of SOJAC Land Company LC property owner of record. Thank you, Mayor. Kyle Kobe with planning. I'll be presenting this item. Sorry, this is a PDP 22-00224 uh, previously stated. And the subject property is located near the intersection of Castle Drive and Tomahawk Drive. It's currently undeveloped aside from the overhead transmission lines that run, run along the west side of the subject property. Uh, adjacent zoning on the west side of Castle Drive is comprised of RS7 and RS10 zone properties. The properties across Castle Drive are zoned PUD and were developed under the RS2 standards of the 1966 code. The subject property is currently zoned PRD2, which is a zoning classification from the previous zoning code, which we commonly refer to as the 1966 code or 66 code. The zoning district was established at the time of annexation in 1995 and has carried forward ever since. Rezoning is not required and the applicant has elected to maintain the existing zoning district. What this means for this application is that the development standards are generally taken from the 66 code unless superseded by the land development code. This preliminary development plan proposes 14 lots, each of which would contain a duplex use, which would result in 24 dwelling units on the subject property. Four parking spaces are proposed per dwelling unit and three tracks are proposed with this application as well. According to the plans provided by the applicant, the largest of the proposed lots is approximately 0.59 acres or 25,000 square feet, and the smallest is approximately 0.2 acres or about 8,700 square feet. The minimum lot area requirement of the PRD2 district is 4,000 square feet. The proposed lots meet the requirements of the applicable zoning code. 1.45 acres of land would be dedicated as public right-of-way. Said right-of-way would fall along the east side of the existing Evergy easement, which is 110 feet wide. Evergy representatives have reviewed the plans as proposed and have indicated acceptance at this time. The plan also proposes 4.37 total acres of protected land area. This protection is facilitated by the proposed tracks and falls into two categories. 2.37 acres of the subject property is proposed as open recreation area, and two acres is proposed as sensitive land areas not to be disturbed. The plans as submitted propose a five-foot interior side yard setback. According to section 20 1007E3A of the 66 code, a 10-foot setback is required. City Commission has the ability to approve development plans with modifications, which would be required in this case. Planning staff recommends approval of this modification as five-foot interior side setbacks is the default standard for all residential zoning districts in the land development code, other than the RS40, RS20, and RS10 districts. The Land Development Code states, in reviewing and making decisions on proposed preliminary development plans, review and decision-making bodies shall consider at least the following factors. Those factors are what you see on your screen now. These are all included in the staff report, along with staff's findings for each. I'll refer you to the staff report for more detailed analysis, but I just wanted to highlight these criteria before moving on to the next slide, uh, which states that staff recommends the Planning Commission forward a recommendation for approval to you. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, that should have been updated to say that staff, rec staff is recommending approval. Um, so this slide contains Planning Commission's recommendation. On February 22nd, the Planning Commission voted to recommend denial of the preliminary development plan by a vote of seven to two. Due to this, according to the provisions of the Land Development Code that you have on your screen here, 
a motion to approve the proposed preliminary development plan would require four affirmative votes. A motion to deny the proposed preliminary development plan would require three affirmative votes. So that concludes my presentation. I'll leave this slide up for just a moment longer. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Uh, but again, that, that does conclude my presentation. Did you, that last part about needing a supermajority, I, I didn't think we needed that for this, but we do. Yeah, so that's due to the uh, Planning Commission's recommendation of denial, and that's because the uh, zoning code requires that overturning the recommendation of the Planning Commission uh, requires two-thirds majority. Okay. That's in, I was looking at the code section, that's section what, 13? Uh, yeah, it's 13 dash, hold on just one second, let me get the citation correct. 20-1304-D8. 20 20-1304-D8. Okay. Any questions for Kobe? So this does allow the, also the, the three to send it back to the Planning Commission and bring it back for a three vote. So this is just like 12757 in the zoning. Randy, is that how you read that? that? That's correct. This is just like a rezoning issue. But that's in our own code. That's in our own code, yes. Okay. So 12757 doesn't apply, but our code provision applies. It's correct. that Because this isn't a, typically a rezoning. This is a, a development plan. So this is governed by our code, which is allowed by the uh, state statutes. Got it. That's what I was confused. Thank you. Okay. So any question? any other questions? Mr. Sellers? Can't see there. No, you good? About the presentation that Kyle just gave? Yeah. Do you have um, questions? Uh, Staff? Yes, I, I have I have at least one. Um was I mistaken in, in there in uh, the staff report that I saw that a uh, storm engineer had conducted a study in January of the proposed property? Yeah, so there's been, we actually, uh, um, in discussion with Matt Bond, there was a couple different rounds of review of that, um, and it was ultimately approved, I think, on the, the second revision or, or something along those lines. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have that exact number in front of me. I believe it was the second or third iteration of that. But yes, the stormwater study was approved by the stormwater engineer. Okay. Any other questions for staff? That's right. Sorry, we need an ex parte on this. Sherry? Ex parte on this. Oh. Yes, it'd probably be a good idea to do ex parte since we're going to be looking at it. And if you have any ex parte communications, you should uh, disclose them at this point. Okay, we'll just start. Commissioner Finkeldye, do you have any ex parte? Just the emails, I think, that we all got from okay. some of the neighbors. Commissioner Littlejohn? Um, the, yes, the emails from the neighbors. And then um, trying to remember if somebody called me. And then I also talked to the developers. Um, yeah, I got. I think I, all the correspondence that I got was the same, and I heard from Mike Michael McGrew. Okay, 
And what was that just on the project? Uh, more or less an overview of uh, what happened at planning, <laughs> which I watched anyway. Uh, so no surprises there. I, sh I should say, um, Mike McGrew called me asking when it was going to be on the agenda. If it was going to be on March 14th or March 21st. And obviously, it ended up on the 14th. So that's what we talked about. Okay. Commissioner Sellers, did you have any expertise? In addition to the emails, I did have a conversation with Mike McGrew in regards to the planning commission meeting as it related to uh, Matt Bond's report on the runoff. Okay. And I um, also got the emails and I did have a conversation with Mike McGrew about the project itself and just explanation of some of the stormwater situation. So that's where we're at. Is that good, Sherry? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So if there's no more questions from commissioners, can we open it up? We'll open it up to um, public comment. At the, applicant. Applicant. I'm sorry. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. That can be lowered and raised. Okay. Next. Okay. Okay. It should be all on there. You'll Thank you. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, Phil Struble, land plan engineering, Lawrence, uh, 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 representing this project. I'm representing Sojak, who's the property owners, and then I'm also representing the developers of this project. Uh, and I want to just share uh, six different points with you this evening, maybe. Um, uh, regarding this project and this project uh, is uh, pretty much a, like I, I noted here a classic infill project and it's a little different than most this project was last um, rezoned and annexed nearly 30 years ago and our files for this project go back even about 10 years earlier than that so we've been involved in this piece of ground for a very long time the um, property has been intended for development for that nearly 30 years again 30 years and i understand and i get it that it would be very nice and, it, and people enjoy living in a neighborhood where they back up to a bunch of trees uh, and, and uh, you know, seeing wildlife and birds and, and, and that. But the issue is in, in this piece of project, it has been intended for redevelopment that entire time. In fact, that, that timeline, I'm at a guess, and, and, and I may be held and proven wrong on this, but it, I'm at a guess that it probably goes beyond that of many of the people that are protesting the project tonight. 
it has been in the Stewart and Fritzel uh, family and, and their plans to do something on this ground all along. And we've done over 30 years, we've done multiple sketches on this piece of ground for something to occur on it. It is zoned PRD for a reason and that they planned on having some kind of relatively dense development on it. It's not, it wasn't zoned as simply RS7 or RS5. It was intended to be something of a dense nature on this. Hence, you don't see many pieces of ground that are zoned for a PRD development that are just in a holding pattern. So from the very beginning, it was an intended or something to happen on this ground. Um, the second point on here is that we have 100% city staff report. It was the second go around with our stormwater engineers getting the city's stormwater engineer to agree to our stormwater plan. And I'm gonna go into a lot more detail on this stormwater, but we have, uh, we have agreement and recommendation for approval from city staff for from the planning aspect we have from the traffic aspect from the wastewater aspect and from the stormwater aspect on this project we also have it's not necessarily an agreement but a um we worked through the issues that evergy had and and we had one earlier version of this that we had the road within their easement and they came back and they they didn't like that and so we over a period of months collaboratively worked with them to come up with a scenario that they could they could uh, agree that didn't impede their easement yet would allow our development to go ahead and that's the that's the proposed plan you have this e this evening um, let's see I can get back here. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things I want to talk about is that we are proposing additional housing for Lawrence, Kansas. And being an infill project, you know, the problem with infill projects is all the easy ones are done. Right. And and the low hanging fruit is gone and that the, the projects that we're going to be bringing to you in the future that are that are within the limits of city of Lawrence are going to be of this difficult nature. And that we're going to see not only neighborhood neighbors being in opposition to it, which I understand, but we're going to see other issues such as the Evergy issues, the traffic issues. And, and that's just by the simple fact that we are trying to infill existing Lawrence. And the reason we're doing that is we don't have anywhere else to go. This project is by uh, local developers who have been building in Lawrence, Kansas for 40 years, right? They are now built, building in Ottawa and in Perry because they need someplace to go and, and keep busy. You know, we're, I, I'm not so sure the current numbers, but when I looked, when we were before the planning commission, we had so far issued two building permits in the city of Lawrence for 2023, and and we've got to we've got to do better than that. 
And we think this is a good project, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that in greater detail. But our developers are the kind of are the people that we like to develop in Lawrence, and they've done a lot of projects that I can point to that I think are a credit to our Lawrence community and our Lawrence development community. Um, these are not necessarily going to be affordable housing, right? And they're not going to be affordable housing from the standpoint that we're putting all the lots on one side of the street. I mean, we're only getting half as many lots in this development as we normally would. And that all by itself is going to drive the cost up. We're looking for lots of ways to keep the cost under control. Um, but, but it's not going to be necessarily a cheap project. Furthermore, we've also got the Fall Creek Farms um, architectural control group looking over our shoulders because th they want this to be of the caliber and quality that they see in, in Fall Creek Farms. And so they're held to a little higher standard than what they normally would like. These homes are going to be for sale and are going to be owner occupied. They're not rental units at all and that's prohibited in their purchase agreement with the underlying property owners there's going to be a homeowners association because we have this inordinate amount of um, open space that somebody has to maintain we're also asking for a variance from a 15-foot separation between the buildings to a 10-foot and we want to make sure that that 10 foot is maintained adequately between all the units. It's narrower than most. There won't be any fences allowed. There's no outbuildings allowed. There's no RV parking in your front yard. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a regulated community built to a certain standard. Um, it's not very dense. <laughs> we have. 14 buildings on 8.4 acres. And that ends up being 1.7 buildings uh, per acre or 3.3 units being duplexes. Earlier this evening, you approved Monterey Gardens, which also has a 10-foot side yard setback between all of them. Monterey Gardens being a single-family development is at 2.9 buildings to the acre. So this is even less dense. Now, granted, we have a lot of open space, and so our, all our buildings are packed into one small area, but we like that because it allows us to have this surrounding open space around it and not fill up the whole space with buildings and other things. Um, a typical duplex development is three buildings to the acre or six units to the acre. So we're we're almost half of what a normal duplex development that we do in Lawrence. The open space on this development, it's three point or eight point three nine acres of ground. And um we have four point four acres of open space the power lines, and then area A, B, and C, C being the area along the, the creek at the bottom. So, you know, it's not a dense development. In fact, it's way below what we normally see for developments in Lawrence, Kansas. One of the comments we've seen 
is the reason we shouldn't develop this ground is it is extremely steep. And I think one of the letters you received talked about some of the slopes are 14% slope. Um, quite frankly, we love that. That's what makes this the perfect development. It couldn't get any better than that. Uh, this graphic is one way of showing that, but we're, these have walkout lower levels, okay? If you had a nine-foot basement and a 60-foot deep building, that's 15% slope from the front of the building, the walk-in first floor to the walk-out lower level is a 15% slope. The reason we like that is we can go into this development where our, our 14 units go and put the, put the basements in and the walk-out on the lower level and the entrance on the upper level without having to grade out from the side of our building. We don't have to grade down to where the trees are shown on this, or we don't have to grade up to where the street is. We can go in, 14% is perfect, because we can go in and just put our building, and the only area we disturb, if that's all we're doing, is where the, where the house goes. We don't have to grade anywhere else at all if we don't want to. And, and in this case, we don't want to. We've designed it such that the sewer line, <clears throat> who has also been through the MSO department, the sewer line is going to go right behind each unit. So we can stay out of the creek down there and disturb it as little as possible. So the impact we have on this site, um, we're attempting to minimize it as best we can. And so we can go in and just put our units right where the units are. The street will be cut in. Yeah, we're going to tear out most of the trees that are on the upper part of the slope. But when we get down to the lower part where the creek is, there is no reason for us to go down there and grade out. And hopefully that makes sense is that we don't have to grade out to, to drain our backyard or anything. So where the walkout level is, we can set right there. The other issue we heard quite a bit about was... Let's see. Stormwater. This area drains 172 acres to where we're at. We're at the very bottom of 172 acres. This is at Tomahawk and the entrance into Fall Creek Farms, and we drain all the way up from Henry T's, and we drain beyond Monterey Way. All comes to this area. We are less than 5% of the total drainage area that <clears throat> drains into this site. The reason the city stormwater engineer liked our drainage solution for this project is because our stormwater that comes off this site is gone before the rest of the stormwater from the drainage basin gets to the creek. If you know the, the pictures and the stories you're going to hear about the creek behind our, our property, behind our project of eroding and flooding and all those other stories, those are from those are from upstream. I mean we we will not have any contribution to that. But that flooding occurs from everybody else upstream of that. We're downstream. The bulk, you know, almost half of our project is even below 
the furthest north house that is on the creek. So the amount of property that we have that drains off of our project goes into the creek and it is it is downstream before the bulk of the stormwater from the, the 72 acres gets to our site. In fact, that's preferable. That's what the city's stormwater engineer preferred that we did, as opposed to put some water, some detention on this property. Because if we put detention on this property, we would be holding water and releasing it at the time the rest of the water gets there. Then we would make it worse. So by us, by our proximity to the north end of this drainage basin and allowing our stormwater to go into the creek and flow off is the reason we're not having an in, we're not having any influence in the creek that is behind us and that you're going to hear about this evening. <clears throat> um, and I think. And so, so for that reason, that we are asking for approval of our development plan, we're confident, the city stormwater engineer is confident that we're not going to have flooding influences on the neighbors. The, the, the problems they got are, are not generating from us, and we're not going to exacerbate them. The slope of this site is perfect for what we're proposing in it, and furthermore, the 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 30 years that we've been looking to develop this really reinforces the fact that that it has been intended for exactly what we brought to you tonight and if somebody's surprised by that this property's been zoned on all the city maps for a very long time and so with that i'd be happy to answer any questions thank you any questions for um i do um phil the uh does the drainage study also, um, I understand your point on the, the flow of the water. Um, what was the discussion with the city engineer, maybe Matt's on here, about uh, what to do with the, the stream bed itself? Is that part of the plan? The, the stream bed? Yeah. Th that is part of the plan. We have uh, approximately 80 feet in, in the stream bed that we're going to have to relocate. Our preference would be not to touch the rest of it. I mean, you're going to see a, a great analysis from Mr. Norman tonight about the quality of the stream bed and and the, and preserving the trees along it. I mean, we didn't do 100%, but he's spot on about how we want to preserve that and keep it as it is. We have one section, you know, the entire stream is is rests on our property, you know, and and one small section of that needs to be relocated because it it encroaches to the west up into where some one of our lot it, lots are uh, but the rest of it we would prefer just to leave it now having said that um if the city storm and and we and and the city stormwater engineer didn't didn't go this far but if there are things that need to be fixed we would certainly entertain you know to to make the situation better for our neighbors i mean we want to be a good neighbor but we haven't worked with the city engineer and walked it with him to look at things that he might like us to do, but we would certainly be open to that. But our project does not require any of that to be done to move forward. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I had, uh, thank you for coming, Phil. And uh, I had a question for you regarding um, uh, why they, the properties themselves had to be moved so far east, why they couldn't be further west. I, I think I was able to see some of the discussion on earlier meetings, but just for the edification of everybody listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a, a frustration point for us has been we have done development work, meaning streets, parking lots, a lot of things within the Evergy easement forever. I mean, if you follow this line on a map, you're going to see it streets running in it. Uh, it goes through the the uh, uh, parking lot right in front of uh, Chipotle on on sixth street that's my favorite place so that's a point of reference right so um and uh we submitted this with part of our street being in that easement and shifting our development to the west uh evergy looked at it and came back to us and said they had uh their new policy is is that they needed to look at projects if they if if a city fire truck were to come into our development how would it raise its ladder not that it it needs a ladder but that's the that's the criteria they measure it by how close would that get to their overhead power lines and on this particular project the city fire vehicles if it were in the easement trying to fight a fire would be too close to their lines and so we had to move the whole street out of their easement to satisfy that requirement and that's the new rule for evergy because i'm seeing other streets that are actually in that yes it's it was new to me okay okay it, it may have been old and we've been able to get around it uh it has thrown a wrench in three or four other projects for us already okay so i take it your argument that this has been planned since i was in high school didn't fly with them tried it <laughs> and we showed them the map where all the other places are that uh, it didn't meet and they said oh well any question any other questions commissioner sellers no thank you phil thank you all right heard all the presentations so we'll go on to um public comment at this time I'm Rich Bailey. I live at 3600 West Timber Good. But there's still a ton of problems with this project. My wife, Ann, who will talk in a moment, and I are both adamantly opposing what we consider an ill-advised Fall uh, Creek Villas proposed development. Our full written comments presented to the planning committee a couple weeks ago are in your packets and I think we emailed a lot of you. So hopefully you've had a chance to look those over and we do have a number of people uh, speaking tonight. So I hope you will listen to their comments very carefully. I'm not gonna repeat what we went over or I went over at the planning commission, but I wanna come up with a couple more points that uh, I didn't have a chance to talk to. Number one, the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission overwhelmingly voted to reject this project by a seven to two vote on February 22nd, as you know. One commissioner even said, and I wrote this down, this development is simply not a good fit. 
we ask that you abide by the decision of the Planning Commission, sandwiching in 14 duplexes, which is 24 residences, I found out tonight, in a relatively small green space while working around high voltage power lines and a floodable creek, which you'll hear more about tonight, simply does not pass uh, a common sense test. If you override the Planning Commission's recommendation to oppose this particular project, then at least in our mind, this lessens the Planning Commission's decision that has already been brought forth. Number two, Lawrence has historically been such a livable city in part because of the nice parks and the abundant green spaces we've heard a lot about tonight. As the comprehensive 2440 plan clearly states, I'm quoting, some of the most valuable lands in our community are ones on which we don't build, preserving natural features and areas throughout Douglas County for the community's benefit and enjoyment is critical to preserving our natural spaces. 5.0, preserve and enhance natural areas of the community. 5.1, promote sensitive land retention through programs such as conservation easements and other voluntary programs. Uh, possibly the owners of this property would consider a conservation easement and then take the tax write-off. So that's something to consider and would keep it from being developed. Number uh, 5.2, incorporate natural elements such as floodplains, watercourses, wetlands, and the steep slopes into development proposal as preserved features. This doesn't do that in the proposal. I'm out of time, so I'll wrap up and thank you for the opportunity uh, to speak tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Charles Scalette, I live at 204 Knotted Bend Court in Fall Creek Farms. This is the wrong place for this development. Uh, you talked about greenways, you talked about wildlife corridors. This is one of the few places within the interior part of Lawrence that is a mature forest. It's not a park, it's not a, it's not a golf course. It has dead trees, it has mature trees, it has various sizes of trees coming up to fill in the dead ones. It has a good understory. It's a terrific wildlife corridor. You can, if you want, you can see some pictures of uh, bobcats. It, it's just not the right place for this development. It's just a good local thing for Lawrence to have this space preserved. He mentioned the removal of some trees. There are a lot of trees that are going to be gone, a lot of them. In fact, we already lost a bunch of trees with an absurdly large cul-de-sac that was built on the other side of the proposed property. They kind of gloss over the fact that they're going to change the course of a stream. Now, I don't know what the Corps of Engineers does about stuff like this, but uh, it's just the wrong place. I would invite, if you haven't already done so, I would invite everybody in this commission to walk that area. You can go down the corridor that Evergy has 
and you can see what you're going to destroy. Thank you. Yeah, come on up. Uh, Chris Joseph, I live at uh, 120 Hidden Lane, which is really up at the top of the hill looking down. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm pro-development. I rarely oppose anything. Um, I, I think infill is a good idea. But there's some projects, and, and I, I don't know what stormwater engineering was involved in this, but there's some projects you just look at because you know the area. I mean, I'm, I'm sure all of you know the folks or places around your house. I know this area. This doesn't make a bit of sense. Uh, the hill is extremely steep. I mean, it's too steep to sled. I don't let my daughter go out there because it's too steep to sled and it just goes sh shoots right down into the creek in the forest. Um, it, it doesn't make sense the way that they're trying to do this. They're trying to force a development. They're really trying to force a square peg in a round hole. Uh, between the Evergy easement, when they had to scoot it back, you have to move the stream. I mean, think about that for a minute. You've got to literally move the stream in an area where there's flooding. The stormwater engineer, I don't know what they looked at. That's not something that's available to us, uh, but it doesn't pass the smell test. It really doesn't. Uh, we would love to take a look at those numbers. I would like to have had like an independent engineer go take a look at it, but we don't have the opportunity because this has come real quickly before you. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense. If you walk that land and you know that land like you know your neighborhood, I don't care what an engineer says, it is not going to be okay to move that stream for the folks at the bottom of the hill. Uh, and when I, you know, that drawing that they had up there with the 14% grade, that is deceptive. I mean, there's parts of that that it's like that, but where I'm sitting, it is a, I mean, it's much more than a 14 foot grade. They have to remove a ton of rock and a ton of uh, uh, material just to put that street in there. Uh, and, and there's going to be a lot of impervious surfaces. I'm really worried for the folks down below. Uh, they're trying to force this in a narrow strip of land that doesn't make any sense. Uh, really, when it comes down to that, this is not an area for development. I know Mr. Struble says this has been planned for development forever. Uh, I can tell you, I was told it would never be developed by the developers who are presenting this now. I can tell you lots of my neighbors were told that. Um, maybe that's what they meant to do, but they were telling us otherwise. And, and frankly, I never thought it was for sale or we would have talked about buying the thing or doing something to preserve it because as the developers told us, hey, there's a high power, a high voltage power line in the stream, we're not going to develop it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, nobody's come forward to say, hey, let's develop this over 30 years because it doesn't make sense, especially when Evergy says you can't build the street under our power lines. Right or wrong, that's what's left. So the only way they can do this is to take out all the trees and move the stream. Move the stream. Think about that. I mean, it's only 80 feet. They only have to put a bunch of riprap in there and hope that it holds. It doesn't make sense. That's why the Planning Commission said no, 7 to 2. We ask that you think of their expertise and affirm their decision to deny this. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Thanks. <clears throat> My name is Dana Furtick. I live at the bottom of Arizona Street. And I want to echo a couple very well said by both gentlemen. Uh, I would highly recommend that you guys go out there and walk this piece of land and just take a look at it and imagine that 90% or more of the trees will be gone. I don't care what they talk about over there. They're going to mow them all down. They have to. to take a look at that and see the change it's going to make in that creek. This is ridiculous. They can find somewhere else to build. Next. Yes. Good evening, commissioners. Thank you for listening. My name is Margaret Rose. I've lived at 217 Arizona Place for 27 years. 
my house is 30 feet from Deerfield Creek and the proposed development. Now, Mr. Strubel said there's lots of open space, but um, by my reckoning, some of that open space is the creek bed itself, and the rest is under the power lines. If this villas project is allowed to go through, not only will it destroy the character, peace, quiet, and equanimity of an entire neighborhood and beyond, it will rip out eight acres of woods and its sustaining wildlife and convert it to impermeable surface. for an unfortunate development. This so-called infill development, because there's no existing streets, sidewalks, storms, sewer drains, gas, electricity, or water mains, all of which have to be constructed with a lot of noise, a lot of noise that will reverberate in the whole valley a lot of noise for a prolonged amount of time, 30 feet from some of our houses. This tight density is not compatible, as has been alleged, with nearby and adjacent properties, nor will it have minimal impact on the creek and its erosions. My house is 37 years old, and the neighborhoods around me have been established for 40 plus years with the assurance, irrespective of what Mr. Strugel said, with the assurance that this green space would be there. Over my 27 years of residence in the dry years and the wet years, I've seen the creek widen its banks about eight feet in some places and deepen quite a bit. Rocks that the city, big rocks, boulders that the city installed 40 years ago, not riprap, big boulders they installed 40 years ago along the creek bank to stabilize it have mostly floated away during time. big rains. Margaret, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mayor Larson, Commissioners, thank you for your time and patience. My name is Stephen Johnson. Uh, I live on Riverview Road with my wife uh, next door to uh, Jean Shepherd, who I'm also speaking for. She's had to go home. Um, at the Planning Commission meeting on February 22nd, our neighbours voiced their concerns about the reliability of the stormwater predictions, which appear to be based on old data that might not consider the increasing intensity of rain events associated with climate change. In addition to the effects on uh, water drainage, the area of woodland that would be largely obliterated is a rich resource in terms of plants and home to a wide variety of resident and transient wildlife. The trees themselves provide health benefits by providing local cooling through transpiration, improving air quality by absorbing pollutants and trapping particulates, and by deadening the sound from Castle Road and the more distant I-70. In the summer months, local children explore and play in the woods. This is exactly the sort of nature-based experience we want them to have for physical and mental well-being and to develop an understanding of and respect for the natural world. 
Since the area was zoned, the effects of anthropogenic climate change are becoming more and more apparent, and the site is now surrounded by established neighborhoods that will be irreparably changed and potentially damaged by the loss of this resource. The plans have already undergone a series of amendments that would result in more of the woods being removed to place houses closer to the creek and so closely spaced that a side yard setback amendment from 10 feet to 5 feet would be required. They designate the area under the power lines as the mandated community space, despite Evergy's advice on their website that people should steer clear. The arguments based on the impact on surrounding homes, woodland, wildlife and the climate should be a red flag to the Commission that the site is wholly unsuited for the proposed use. I ask you to deny the proposal. And if it is in the Commission's power, I would urge you to consider whether the site, whether the site should be rezoned to a more sensitive use as a nature preserve and community resource. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Thank you, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, <clears throat> my name is David Collins. I live at 218 Arizona Street. Just on the just south of the border of the area that the developers have provided uh, uh, plot diagrams for, uh, I'm here with my wife, uh, Gina Ross. Uh, we submitted a written statement to the commission this morning, but I wanted to uh, emphasize a couple of things, and wasn't intending to talk about the drainage, but after the initial remarks. I find it peculiar that the water engineers or whomever would think that it would uh, somehow rain over this project and the water would all drain off and go down the creek and it would stop raining there. And then the rain would continue upstream and the water would later come down from there. So it would be perfect. It's absurd. And if anyone has paid attention to the kinds of effects that were just referred to in terms of climate change, you'll know that uh, we frequently have 100-year storms. Uh, and, you know, that sort of arrangement isn't going to happen. There is going to be excess drainage. It will cause erosion of the creek bed, not just in the immediate area of this development, but on downstream, Deerfield Park. Uh, but in the immediate area, it will continue to erode the far side of the creek. There will be trees that lose their base and will topple over into the development or into uh, across the stream, perhaps causing problems. Uh, as I said, I didn't intend to talk about that. I wanted to emphasize this other thing that the Planning Commission indicated in their report that the developers met the requirement for common space, open space. This is all underneath high power lines. You know, I don't know how many of you would, but frankly, if I bought one of the Fall Creek Villas, if I was a lot younger, I uh, wouldn't send my kids out to play under the high power lines. I don't care what kind of facility they built to make it look nice. That doesn't seem like a common, good common space. And as has been indicated, Evergy also doesn't think so. Uh, I strongly urge you to vote against 
approval of this project. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Next. Could I somehow pull up the agenda on the screen? Um, can we have that pulled up? You want it? Are you looking for public comment on this item, or are you? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. On page. Yep, we'll get there. It, do you know which one you submitted? Because we had it submitted all three days. The last one. Okay, that should get you a little closer. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you, thank you. But you're wanting to share that, right? Or are you just wanting to refer to it? That's good enough, thank you. My name is Michael Allman, Sustainability Action Network. Um, I'm approaching, our organization approaches this from the point of view of a stream corridor um, and functioning streams in, in all their aspects. Um, we submitted this information from the city map uh, showing the different areas of this particular project and the slope. Um, this area shows a 14% slope like Mr. Struble mentioned. Um, which would be 37 feet up or 260 feet across. But there's another area of the project, which is 16%, 42 feet rise from the stream to the top over only 260 feet. I don't think the illustration he showed you was quite an accurate representation of that slope. Um, I'm glad that he thinks that a 16% slope works for his client, that's all nice and good. And we would expect that would be the case, that they could do less grading and less land moving and it would save them money. That doesn't mean it works for everybody. It's nice that it works for them. The problem that I see is that this area, as we know, is covered with a lot of trees, very mature trees and undergrowth. And that acts as a stream buffer that slows down and sinks the water into the ground before it reaches the stream. When they denude that land, that hillside with virtually all the, the vegetation, mostly the large trees, except for a, a strip along the creek, uh, that removes that, that uh, mitigating capacity to prevent flooding and siltation. Um, When, when they uh, act great even more, when they change the scope of the uh, contour, the cross-section of that hillside by putting a street in up above, they're going to have to flatten that out and it'll be even steeper where the houses are than it is now. 
So that's going to change. Maybe it's 16% now. Um, now, also, as the previous man mentioned, stormwater doesn't come in discrete little packets. You know, maybe there's a 15-minute downpour and some water comes at one point, but for days and days of water, it's all flowing, and this will just contribute more to the existing level of water that comes down that stream now. When you denude that landscape, you're adding more water to that overall stream flow. Um, not a good idea as far as I'm concerned, and my time is up, but thank you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Ann Bailey. My husband and I live at 3600 West Timber Court. I'm gonna jump down just a little bit. I have things that people have already mentioned, but I just wanna delve into that a little bit more. The development plans provided have this riprap rock, <clears throat> excuse me, added to improve the erosion on Deerfield Creek. The plans show that the creek actually is diverted in two different places with riprap added to the property on the villa's side of the creek in addition to the proposed storm flowout drains. East of Villas 6 and 7, the proposed riprap appears to virtually cover the entire creek area. This alters the creek bed, seemingly making it narrower and shallower, which could create drainage flooding issues for homeowners along the creek. These significant changes created with the site plan will cause more water to flow into the creek that is already often at capacity. Isn't uh, a permit needed to make ch uh, changes to fill into a creek? FYI. This permit was discussed between public communications between land plan and the regulatory project manager, KC District Corps of Engineers. We are worried about potential flooding due to the loss of trees and plants that was already mentioned, ground cover, uh, which will be impeded by this development. The site plan actually shows selected sensitive land to be left undisturbed. It seems like the entire area should be sensitive, not just the cherry picked areas that aren't needed for the project. It's confusing because some descriptions of the sensitive land reads as follows. Sensitive land, this area of Tractic is a, a drainage easement to remain undisturbed except where riprap is required. Well, this seems a little inconsistent you have to leave it undisturbed, but yet add riprap. Our home has a basement with windows at ground level. We are 26 feet from the creek. Twice in the past 20 years, Deerfield Creek waters have already moved into the lower southeast quadrant of our property during heavy rain. Any changes or additions to the creek's hydrology will spell future disaster for our home and the homes of our neighbors with added risk of flooding. With climate change, it is increasingly apparent that the former 100-year storms now seem to be occurring every few years. Please deny the project. Thank you. Any other public comment on this item? Hey, my name's Sika and Destroy. I live at 212 Arizona Street. I wanted to let some of my um, neighbors who have lived here a lot longer than me speak first. Um, but I did want to jump up. I'm not a Lawrence native. I'm here from St. Louis. I moved here um, semi-permanently, I'm going to say permanently, in 2013. And I opened a local business. Uh, you guys might know the last Carnival Circus School. 
Um, when I moved to Lawrence, I, being a working artist, could have moved anywhere in the country. I made a 10-point list of places that drew me towards them, giving each point a value. Things on that list included walkability, green spaces, seeing kids ride their bikes around the neighborhood. I have two children of my own. Um, other things included dedication to um, art and Lawrence scored so high on my list of places that we moved here. Since moving here, I believe I've contributed a lot to the community, drawing in um, people from neighborhood cities to see our shows and take classes from me. When I hear the developers speak tonight, I hear that's something they're interested in our town. What draws people to our town? Well, if we destroy the green spaces and things that draw people to our hometown here, we're going to destroy that draw and take that away. So if we destroy the things that make our town seem so cool and seem like we want to live here, we're really losing out as a city. Um, I wanna play a little bit of the Lorax here as well and say um, there is a lot of nature in those woods. There's bobcats, there's owls, there's foxes that you can hear howling every night. Just this, um, Afternoon, me and my 11-year-old son got to witness two birds fighting from our living room window. And then a hawk swooped down and take those two birds out. So he is like directly getting to experience nature. Him and his friends often play in the woods. Our neighbors that butt up the woods are so um, generous to let the kids just run into their backyards, into those woods and play in the creeks. Um, exploring nature and getting to experience that as a child, um, one is so important for kids now that so many kids are behind the screens and as another point is something that is going to draw people to our city when you're looking for a place to live where are you looking to raise your family you're looking for places that protect our environment that protect our green spaces that leave safe spaces for our children to safely roam around the neighborhood and explore nature and I guess that's, oh, oh, one more thing on the flooding. Sorry, if they think that it doesn't flood, I have seen trash trucks get stuck on our street from flooding and then city trucks come to tow out the trash trucks and then those tow trucks get stuck on our street. So there is already a flooding issue on our street. Thank, Thank you. you. Wow, that's tough to follow. I'm not nearly that <laughs> dynamic. Uh, my name is Dale Wheeler. I live 208 Arizona Street. Uh, I'm a neighbor to the natural space there on uh, Deerfield Creek Woods. I strongly urge you to deny this development. Um, I keep hearing a theme tonight. Use your eyes. Come see. Take a look at what is already there and what's been there for many, many, many years. So with my eyes, well, my brain, I recall that you guys, um, the council rejected a development on 1100 Castle recently. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I drive by it every day. I look at it. It's flat. It's manicured lawn. It's got a few big trees. And the neighbors didn't want the development there, so it didn't, didn't happen, I guess. That's how I understand it. Maybe I'm wrong. Now, come to our place, come to our neighborhood, and you'll see this property is an entirely different thing, much more complex, much more unique. It is on a steep slope. What fires up the developers, fires up the wildlife, um, and fires up the beauty of the neighborhood. There's an active stream that we just have hashed to death about it, but it does run the, along the whole base of it. 
removing those trees, those old trees. And we took a little walk on the edge of it the other day. Some of those trees are, I don't, I don't say they're ancient, but it's, it's an old forest compared to much of our neighborhood. There are many logs that have fallen and are in decay, indicating it could be even older than I imagine. So it is an old, old uh, woods. Um, all of that, how many dump trucks is it going to take to haul out all of those 4.8 acres of woods and rock and rubble and all that? That's how many trees are there and how many roots and how much understory protecting that slope from erosion and, and stream, weight, uh, stream pollution. And speaking of that, the stream pollution won't immediately just occur during construction. I'm sure they'll take steps to eliminate the dirt from washing into the streams. But after that, every year, every day when it rains, lawn chemicals, all that stuff is going to still be coming down in that stream. And yeah, it's just our little stream. Who cares? It's just 5%, I think he said, of the whole thing. Well, what if we add up all those 5% and we're, we're part of the problem? The diversity is, of the wildlife will just be decimated. So I included in my letter to this uh, committee, this group, um, my um, video of the bobcat crossing our lawn with a squirrel in its mouth. Where did it head? Right into those woods. So, you know, I guess we'll say goodbye to that. I know that's not a big factor compared to the money involved in developing a, a housing area like that, but boy, it sure is important to a lot of people. It's important to the city. So I just urge you, just because the project is feasible technically that you can do this, you can shoehorn in these places, Thank you. please don't do it. Thank you, Dale. Other public comment? Hello, I'm Kristen Eldridge and I live in Central Lawrence, so I don't live in this neighborhood. But I did want to, as we hear so many passionate voices tonight, along with some of the engineering experts, including the city. I wanted to add another passionate voice um, to the mix, and that is the need for housing in Lawrence. We need new housing. And even though this is a, an admittedly not an affordable housing area, this um, new housing will help with affordable housing by increasing inventory. We have decided as a city that infill is important to us and that's our priority. And this is an infill project. And if we keep denying infill projects um, within the city, then either that isn't a priority for us or we have to just continue to accept the pain of limited housing in Lawrence and people who want to come live here and think it's a great place, people who want to bring their kids here and send them to our schools aren't going to be able to. People who want to start businesses here who want to recruit employers at KUIP or to start their own business or, or just work in Lawrence can't live here. So that is something that I'm passionate about, the alternatives. There may be other alternative infill sites, but they are not apparent. So the other option is to annex and build a neighborhood. And that is definitely an option. And in my opinion, we need to do it all. We need to have everything because um, that's the way that we are going to 
attract people to live here, keep people who want to live here, and um, continue to, to help with our schools and our community. So please um, add that to your considerations this evening. Thank you. Next. Hi, I'm Morgan Hannings. I live at 209 Arizona. Um, I'm gonna start out a little bit differently than I planned, but I wanted to call back to something that the land plan folks um, talked about. They said that they wanted to be a good neighbor. Um, it really struck me that Mike McGrew called pretty much all of you guys. I haven't heard of any of us in the neighborhood who were who have sent in letters and were at the planning commission meeting getting calls from Mike McGrew. They haven't taken any extra steps to reach out to us and try to address the, our, our concerns. They, that doesn't seem like you're wanting to be a good neighbor. That seems like you're trying to run around us and use an imbalance of power to push this through. Um, so, you know, that fired me up a little bit, but you know, there's the other things we've got, like all of us have been said, saying the slope, um, you know, sustainable, the action network said 16%. I believe that's more of a slope than plan 2040, uh, encourages development on. Um, and then I have concerns for then the property owners, you know, how are they going to maintain their properties properly when they're living on such a slope? as they age, when there's narrow access to the rear of those properties, you know, that's gonna be problematic. What about when down the road, there are issues with the sewer line or the stormwater lines, that's gonna be pretty problematic to address down the line when it's crammed into such a tight space and you've got a steep drop into a creek. You know, those are some of the concerns we have. Um, you know, what are some of the other things? Like everyone said, it's just, we don't know what the engineers have said. We don't know what conversations they've had with the engineers, but just any common person looking at it would say, yeah, that's going to increase the impact on erosion to those of us in the neighborhood that are downhill from, from that. We already have multiple neighbors who are having experiencing erosion whenever there's heavy rain in the back of their yard. Um, you know, there's, they talked about open space, as other people have pointed out, the recreation open space, that is all under the Evergy power lines. So, you know, they're counting that as part of the development to dilute their density numbers, but really that's already developed as power lines. Now, if you look at it from practical terms, that is a highly dense strip of land if they build all these buildings there. Um, yeah, I'll give some other people here. Yes, step in. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Other public comment on this item. Um, there we go. <laughs> Mayor, excuse me, Mayor, Commissioners. My name is David Schufeld. I live at 213 Arizona Place. My house backs onto this waterway. I'd like to explain the video that I sent you all showing Deerfield Creek running bank full during a thunderstorm. Video was taken back in April of 2021. I take frequent videos of that creek. The reason I chose that particular video was it shows the, a portion of the section that they would need to backfill 
in order to squeeze two of the townhomes onto the property. Then, as they have said, they need to move the channel of the creek. That concerns me because video that I sent you shows the, re the creek running full, but it also shows it pooling. When they move that creek, let me back up a second. Part of that pooling is because there's a stormwater drain right on the edge of our property that empties into the creek. Where that empties, it runs into this fast moving water and it's kind of diverted into the bank of one of my neighbors and then back in mine. The stormwater slows down when it hits that fast moving water and it starts to pool. There's currently an area, a pretty large area that allows that to pool, which keeps it from raising up, flooding my yard or my neighbors. Okay, the planning, <clears throat> excuse me again, the planning committee, one of the members was concerned that when you change the course of the waterway, there's consequences and there's unintended consequences. One of the consequences of this move is going to move the stream bed, the channel, the main flow closer to my house, but more significantly, it's going to run through where that water pools now and eliminate the amount of pooling that's available. The stormwater is going to continue to come out of that drain, but with less area to expand, it's going to hit my neighbor, the Coleman's Creek bed, mine, start to rise, and I predict it will flood our yards. I am absolutely opposed to this because I think it will end up flooding my house. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lastly, when very quickly, they're gonna need to excavate a great deal of land. At the initial meeting, they talked about, it'll be down to bedrock with a lot of jackhammering, and there will be potential cracks in our houses and facilities. Thank you. Thank you, David. Hi, I'm that guy Coleman. He's talking about um, 205 Arizona. This is just personal for me. Sir, what your name, please? Chris Coleman. Chris. Um, he stated earlier that the whole creek was in their property. I was there when the, the land plan engineer came and surveyed it. It sure looked like he put a pin down in the middle of the creek. If you could clarify on that, it'd be great. But it, even if it's not, um, part of the creek's not in my property, just like Mr. Schufeld said. What's the assurance if they change the course of the creek that it won't flow directly into my property and cause me trouble down the road? I have a lot of mature trees on that side that could fall. Um, what's what's the plan for that? That that would be my only question. Thanks. Hello, Joy Coleman. I am Chris's wife, 205 Arizona, and I'm an architect. So I love infill projects and I love building and development. I'm a preservation architect, so I also love old stuff. Um, and I really respect the natural environment. And what we have back there is a greenway. And um, as you've heard all the reports tonight, it takes on what the 
what the rainwater gives us. So the trees that are there absorb a certain amount of that rain before it gets to the underbrush and before it gets to the earth. So it's a, it's a permeable area. Um, this construction, which I know something about, is constructing impervious um, surfaces, roofs, sidewalks, roads, um, and and also lawns back there on that swath, and it, and it's going to create a row of impervious surfaces. Um, those are going to shed the water more quickly. And then that's why we're saying that the creek is going to flood. Um, I think it does a pretty good job right now. It, there are times that it comes out of its bank and it does pool in areas. Um, but it, you know, it's doing its job and it's, it's draining that. How many acres was it? I don't remember what he said, but it was a large area of Lawrence. And, if it, and it then goes under castled. So if it does not work, we cannot return it to its natural state. If the construction equipment comes in and flattens out all of that, um, takes out the root systems and then flattens out all of, of the, the ground, which it will, and, um, you know, in creating the road and then digging out the basements and doing the cut and fill, it will alter that whole hillside. So, the the idea that a few trees here and there in the creek can be saved and it can stay that way is false. It's not going to be able to, to happen. Um, that the creek is not a steady slope from the base of the creek up to the the homes at Fall Creek. It, you know, it has different kind of ground undulations and the creek for most part of it, you cannot just walk into it from the yard. It's five or six feet down um, from the yard and from the hill that goes back up to the Fall Creek home. So just the per, the, the act of the construction and compacting that and um, altering that will raise the grade of the trees and then the trees will not be. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. Other public comment? Hi, I'm Lisa Weeks. I live at 208 Arizona Street. Lawrence is my hometown. I was born in Lawrence Memorial Hospital and I graduated from Lawrence High. Many of my fondest memories are connected to Lawrence's wild green spaces. These are very important spaces where kids learn how to play and adults remember how to take a deep breath and relax. Sound of my grade school summers was a slamming door and hey mom, I'm going out to play in the empty field. Our neighborhoods teemed with kids. We played hide and seek amongst the grasses and hedgerows. Um, we built forts, we squabbled. Um, we learned how to be good kids and some of us future Lawrence citizens. So when I chose to buy my first home in Lawrence in 2010, I looked for an area with some green space. And while when I looked around and found where we're at now, um, I made some assumptions. I, I realized now that was foolish, but at the time I made some assumptions. There were overhead power lines. There was a very steep slope. There was a creek. I was like, okay, great. This is a green space. Well, I've now worked from home for three years. Um, often I need to soothe my frazzled nerves and tired eyes and 
So I step outside. I look out my front door and there's the Deerfield Creek property. Beautiful trees swaying in the breeze, sounds of birds and wildlife. It's a really nice balm. It's a really nice way to, to, to soothe my soul and step away. Humans really need their connection with nature. We need it close at hand. We don't need to have to get into a car and drive 30 minutes. We need pocket parks. We need undeveloped spaces. Nature gives us an opportunity to let our imaginations run wild, to learn about creatures other than ourselves, and to remember that we are but a very small piece of a larger, much larger web of life. This patch of Wooded Creek serves those needs, greatly enriching the lives of the Lawrence citizens who live nearby. That's the greatest value that this property holds. Thank you. Other public comment on this item from the audience? Here we go. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Kate Hannings. I live at 209 Arizona Street, and uh, my dad, who spoke earlier, lives next door. Um, in one of the properties that would be most uh, affected by it. Um, the development require moving Deerfield Creek towards existing homes. In the case of my parents' property to within 35 feet of their house. Um, the, th the creek already runs at capacity when thunderstorms, normal thunderstorms happen. Any increase in water is a risk. Um, I understand the hydrology report and the engineer reports. The problem being they're only capable of using rainfall reports coming from the NOAA Atlas 14 reports. And for this region, that data is over a decade old, around a decade old. Um, we've seen in Houston, they uh, raised the money to update those and found that the rainfall reports uh, had 30% wetter 100-year storms. So it's not that we don't believe in engineering, it's that we are facing climate change. We understand that in Plan 2040, we want to mitigate the risks of climate change. If ever there was a space where we could do that, it's not moving a creek towards existing properties and then building new ones directly next to it. Um, the margin of error is so slim in this case that that uncertainty of the data that we use to project rainfall just makes it so that you're making existing people, existing neighborhoods, take a risk for someone else's financial benefit. You're asking us to take an enormous risk to our property. Um, also due to the extreme grade of the land in question, I, at an earlier, before they even moved even closer to our houses development, they were saying that people might need to come in and take pictures inside our homes because of the amount of jackhammering that they would need to be doing into bedrock to document the any existing cracks. That is, I don't know if that's typical in developing. I, I'm, I'm not familiar, um, but it, obviously, you know, it's concerning to us that in addition to potential flooding, there might be vibrational damage to our homes. Um, the good news is that all the qualities of the land that make it really terrible and concerning for development are the same qualities that left undeveloped help the city attain its environmental goals as outlined in Plan 2040. By denying this development, we can protect a natural surface stream, maintain a stream corridor buffer instead of having both our homes and these new homes and the, literally being right next to the creek. 
it would be built where the creek currently is in my parents' backyard. Um, it would protect urban canopy. It would protect an area of land that is both a stream corridor and a steep slope. I find it as sensitive land. Thank you. Any other public comment from the audience? Aya, Courtney King Wayne's on Nila Pewalia Nehe Miamia. Hello, my name is Courtney King. I'm Peoria in Miami. I'm a senior at Haskell Indian Nations University. I have spoken about the South Walker extension and will continue to speak out against propositions to further develop. Excuse me, ma'am. Are you talking about this item here that we are Fall Fall Creek? Fall Creek. Um, I'm talking about the annexation yeah the annexation okay that's next okay sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> nice try <laughs> okay we'll, be here. we'll, yeah, still, we'll be still be here, here. <laughs> yeah we'll be Any other public comment on this specific item here we go scared me there for a minute hi my name is jamie joseph and i live at 120 hidden lane i'm at the top of the hill so i am less concerned of flooding for my family, but I'm horrified for everybody that's at the very bottom of the hill. Um, engineering, there's like doctors, several different types. Um, I don't believe we have a hydrologist. We, have a, we don't have a hydrology study. When you're removing tree canopies, dense rock, vegetation, manipulating a creek, um, as Mr. Carpenter said on the Planning Commission, he says, I, I know what's coming. When you're manipulating a creek with that much flow, there's going to be consequences. Mr. Carter said the same thing. He was like, you know, um, they're all into infill. Um, it's important. We know this. But this is not the area for infill. When you look at the plan that the city has in place, they're not even meeting the requirements. The 20% open space is under high powered voltage lines. That's not what your plan intended. I know Sojak said that this is, you know, um, representing and, and the Board of Realtors, but we were here the night when they had two other agenda items to increase and double um, the amount of building on Sojak's land. So they've got going from 25 to 50 homes. There's more to be developed. If you look at that whole space, all of that is going to be developed. This is a narrow strip of land where creek lies, where canopy of trees are holding back a lot of rain, um, vegetation, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I'm not a hydrologist, and that's exactly what Mr. Carpenter said. But this just doesn't doesn't pass the smell test. I mean, these people are going to be at risk for flooding, and that's not the intent of infill. The intent of infill is to do good and do no harm. And we are actually going to be doing harm. We don't need a specialized hydrologist because engineers are not hydrologists. You have to get extra certification. Um, I can't go to my general practitioner and say, hey, you're a doctor. Will you do my gallbladder surgery? This is, this is such a consequential catastrophic plan that nobody's really thinking about. Um, and like my dad, he's an electrical contractor in um, Wichita and he always says, you have to think ahead. 
When you start to do something, you got to think ahead. You got to think of the next person that's coming in for the job next. And I think that's exactly what he was saying. The sewer, they don't even know what they're getting into. I'd just like to kind of speak to the points raised tonight and also encourage you to reference uh, the Planning Commission. I'm for infill development. Um, I should mention I live uh, in these neighborhoods and um, on the Fall Creek side, and it is, uh, I've listened a lot and I've learned a lot from what's going on. But this is not us, as Ms. Joseph just said. Uh, this is not our character. It doesn't pass the smell test. The margin of error is too high. If we're wrong, we're creating great uh, concern, great tr troubles for our neighbors. I urge you to vote this down. Thank you. Yeah. Other public comment on this item from the audience? Um, hello, um, my, I'm Frank Norman. Um, I'm president of Senior Ecologists of Norman Ecological Consulting. I wrote a technical memo, uh, gave it to Chris Joseph. Um, my opinions of this project, you should have it in your packet. Um, I just um, have a problem with this with this uh, development. I want you to vote it down. Um, just because a developer wants to build a project in the guise of um, infill, doesn't mean you need to approve it. Um, developers typically hire experts to uh, provide them um, input. And just because the engineer says stormwater is not gonna be increased and uh, that infill is a good, good thing, doesn't mean you need to approve the project. Um, Lastly, just because the city engineer thinks it's a good thing, doesn't mean you need to approve the project. Um, this project seems like um, a quick fix. Um, shoehorning in something in between um, transmission lines, forests, steep slopes, floodplain, and creek that is it's historically flooded. Um, seems like putting a square peg in a, a round hole. Um, I learned a long time ago, uh, citing studies, um, when I worked for a company that uh, their motto was to put ecology into every land use decision. Um, we avoided building anything on steep slopes, uh, building anything in floodplains, building anything around wetlands and hydric soils. Um, it's pretty obvious that um, if you build on steep slopes, uh, disturb uh, the soils, um, <clears throat> grade the soils, uh, remove trees, um, increase impervious surface from the roofs and sidewalks, um, you're gonna have more uh, erosion, or you're gonna have more runoff, more erosion, because um, a lot of the land is unprotected. Um, it's just not a good thing. And that will exacerbate the flooding that is, has occurred in the past. Um, especially true after, you know, if you have many days of rain, 
Um, so uh, it's this is an ill-advised ill uh, project and not ecologically sound. So I urge you strongly to uh, vote this down. Thank you very much, Mayor and, and Thank you. Commissioners. Thank you. Uh, any other public comment from the room? Not. We'll go to Zoom. Any comment on Zoom? Connie. Connie Schufel. You're on mute. Okay. Now, can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Yes, I had a written uh, presentation prepared, but most of the subject I was going to talk about has been covered, and I know everybody's getting tired, so I will try to keep this short. Um, I live at 213 Arizona Place. Um, one of the areas that they are wanting to move the creek is in my backyard. I have no doubt that what this will cause a lot of flooding and water issues for us. As far as the woodlands, we think it's an oasis in the middle of an urban area. Um, a quick note, I have a, I don't have a barred owl. There is a barred owl that sits in the tree and watches me through my kitchen window while I watch him, which is a delight. Um, I was also concerned about at the land plan first meeting we went to, the subject of moving all of the um, soil, the dirt, to get to the bedrock and then it would take jackhammering uh, to proceed with building. And that was when it was brought up that possibly they might want people to come into our home and assess any cracks or settling so that they would not be held responsible for it. Um, I will cut this short just by saying, while I know the city does need infill, it should not be at the expense of existing homeowners' property. Don't damage my home to build yours. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Other public comment on Zoom? Sorry, Mayor, I just wanna make sure he's raised their hand, but there's quite one. <laughs> Um, if you are on Zoom and want to provide public comment, you can go ahead and just unmute and state your name. I don't think there's any further comment there. Okay. All right, we'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. I do have a question. Is Matt on or Kyle? Is, he, is Matt on? Matt Bond? Or Kyle. Mayor Mike Lawless, Deputy Director for Municipal Services and Operations. Yeah, um, um, could, I was just going to say I've, I've been trying to get hold of Matt, and I have I have not had much luck with that tonight. So I'm, uh, I guess you got me tonight. Okay. Could um, could you speak to the um, the work that was done to? by staff to address this stormwater as well as the creek, moving the creek, um, and whether or not that makes sense and, and what was your reasoning behind approving um, that aspect of it? 
Well, so I've been trying to read through the um, the staff reports tonight um, while we've been talking, and um, from what I can see, um, it meets the requirements of our uh, stormwater um, that we have laid out in our in our criteria. Um, in terms of moving the creek, um, we don't address those in our design criteria. We rely on um, the state for that, and I believe they have uh, reached out to the state to see about moving um, the creek, and the there is no requirement for the um, size of the drainage area that is in question here. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. I have a question. I don't know if it's for Kyle or Randy. You know, a lot of the comments we've heard tonight deal a lot with rezoning. You know, I mean, the golden factors like, you know, if we were rezoning this property, but we're not considering a rezoning tonight. We're considering a, um, a development plan. You know, I know the staff report has the nine criteria we're supposed to consider. Um, and I guess any, when I watched the planning commission meeting, I was concerned that they didn't really talk about these nine criteria that are in the reviewed decision-making criteria. And how does that relate to, um, you know, our general rezoning provisions? This is different than most of the things we talk about. I don't know if Kyle. Kyle Kobe with planning. I think I'll chime in. I'll let, I'll let Randy uh, correct me any, anywhere that I might be wrong. Uh, so those review and decision-making criteria that you're referring to that are in your staff report, those are the ones that are listed in uh, the code, that, that code citation that we, we went over earlier. Um, it, it does say review and decision-making bodies shall consider at least the following factors. I suppose one could interpret that to mean other factors could be brought into play. Um, those are the ones that we cover as staff. Uh, just those are the ones that are enumerated in the code. Um, and then, of course, reviewing it for code compliance. But um, I think what you're getting at is that these are a little bit different than the golden factors that you would typically see through a rezoning. And that is accurate because it comes from a different section uh, because it's different, um, just a different process, different application. I mean, the this is Randy. Uh, Kyle has that exactly right. And it, that language does mean that there may be other factors that are necessary. And in some cases, one factor may outweigh all the rest of the factors. So it's somewhat they're applied the same way the golden factors are, but they're different. They're as they're as they're set forth in the city code there. You know, because and I guess that was the question. I mean, you know, the golden factor is, you know, for example, how does it adversely affect the neighborhood? This factor is how does it impact the development by and then it has three specifics doubling the traffic proposing housing types or increasing density by 34 percent so it's very specific in what is there as opposed to a more general golden factor that's correct okay but they also have on that right below that is whether potential adverse impacts have been mitigated to the maximum practical extent so that could yeah, no, I mean, it has factors in there. I was just trying to figure out which how it's different than, yeah. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I do hear a lot of comments from the, from the neighbors saying, you know, I think things like it's the wrong place. It shouldn't, 
shouldn't be rezoned. Even someone said it shouldn't be used, um, but it is zoned for this. Right. I mean, it is zoned. And so the question becomes, you know, does the preliminary development plan meet our criteria as opposed to whether or not, if this was open space asking to be rezoned to residential, that's a different question than does the preliminary development plan meet our code? And so, um, and, and if this preliminary development plan doesn't meet the code, there could be another preliminary development plan that meets the code. Um, it's not that, unlike a rezoning issue where we said it's not going to be rezoned, um, it's a different question, I guess, is what I'm pointing out to you. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, when I read the staff report and, and went through this, um, you know, it's different than some of our other rezonings. Yeah. Because it's not rezoning, I guess. It's different than our normal not. consideration. <laughs> because it's not a rezoning, it's an approval of a preliminary development plan. But right. it's being counted as a rezone. It's actually from our earlier conversation, because no. the supermajority? No. No, that's because I'll... It has the preliminary development plan requires a supermajority if the planning commission denied it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what kicks in. Unless we send it back to the planning commission to consider. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We can, that's another possibility under the code. Um, I had another question probably for Mike Lawless. Unfortunately, he, he may not know. Um, uh, someone indicated a, a the flooding standards, and, and I'm sorry, the person named the, the handbook or whatever it is, um, but I didn't write it down fast enough. And I've heard this referred to in some other developments we've seen um, and people saying that it is out of date, but we still, um, since we haven't updated it, we still go by that. Can you respond to that? Um, I don't know that I can respond. Uh, Mike Lawless, Deputy Director for Municipal Services and Operations. I don't know that I have the answer to that tonight. Um, we can certainly get that for you, but um, I don't think I'm the best one to try to give you an answer tonight when I when I don't have that information. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I do have one that probably anyone planning, but Kyle can probably do this for me. Um, Tree canopy was mentioned several times um, by neighbors, but and I and I know there's a certain amount of I, I guess tree canopy that has to be replaced under certain circumstances. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, as in terms of replacement, I don't know that I could speak to like how the, those factors are are weighed in there. I know that the code calls for a certain amount of preservation when sensitive lands uh, are included. So the analysis that you see in your staff reporting contains um, th those factors. That's uh, what what was called out there, like the differential between sensitive land area and open space. So um, that's what you see in those sort of like hatched areas. Um, I think that that might be what you're referring to, but in terms of like, I know that there's a couple of different areas of the code that speak to um, replacement standards. Um, I'm not sure if that comes into play with this one. I, I oh, This was evaluated mostly just like what is being preserved rather than uh, put back in place. Okay, any other discussion on this? Um, I might have a couple more questions for Mike. Um, um, we do have 
other creeks that run through town. Um, what happens when it, a creek gets debris in it and someone's uh, up or above it or below it and, and needs to complain? What is their recourse that's not cleaned out? So if there's a drainage easement like there would be on this particular piece of property, then we have the ability to go in and clear um, debris if it's um, endangering another structure such as the storm sewer or a sanitary sewer. Um, it gives us the ability to go in and, and clear those out. Um, typically on open channels, what we're going to clear or clean it would be like the culvert. So like there's a culvert that goes under um, Castle there. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, so if we would get um, debris that would block that uh, culvert underneath Castle, then we would go in and clean out the culvert, um, you know, of any debris so that uh, so there, there wouldn't be a flooding potential upstream of that. Okay. Any other questions? Anybody else? Commissioner Sellers, do you have any questions? Okay. How about any comments on this item? Discussion? I'm conflicted on this. Um, uh, it's I can see exactly where the neighbors are coming from and, you know, um, and, uh, you know, kind of native forest and um, all of uh, it entails and um, nature of the creek bed and, you know, kind of had a lot of emails, folks reaching out to me and letting me know, but, and also on the other hand, our, our need for infill, our need for housing, our need um, to go ahead and provide more spaces for folks who want to move here. So, um, and, uh, and, Gosh, you know, it's uh, you know, I I do I I do empathize with uh, what Kristen said earlier as well. It's like we need to do both. We need to do infill and annex annexation. So, um, but uh, you know, that's yeah, I'm conflicted <laughs> um, because of you know the nat the uh, in nature of its location and uh, and the. Uh, those details. Okay. I had a question for Randy, maybe. Um, so if this gets built and moving the creek and all the proposed, um, what they're proposing to do, and it does turn out that there's significant flooding that has increased or that has just based on what was ha what they did, that the flooding did increase and cause um, some um, neighborhood issues. Um, it, what sort of recourse would the neighbors have? Well, basically the general rule regarding flooding is if you're casting water where it otherwise does not go, then you have some liability or potential liability. Uh, typically, if there's just improvement and it causes flooding downstream, just because of whether you're putting more impervious surface or you're putting more structures, which causes greater runoff, there typically isn't a liability to the city for that. Um, but we do, through our stormwater engineer, work to try to mitigate those damages so we don't have that because it's it's, it's not a good thing for the neighbors and people. So we do that, but that's typically the general rules. 
um, we're in the same boat anybody else would be if we cast water where it doesn't belong and we potentially have liability, but if it flows where it flows and it's just an increase because of development, there typically isn't liability for that. Okay. Well, that doesn't answer the question of what a homeowner should do in that case. Uh, and we've heard this in other situations when this happens, especially with climate change. And again, we have more than one creek in this town and more than one house built next to one. Not it seems to be the answer when that happens. I wanna know, and, and in this case would be interesting because these would be in an HOA. So if those were affected, who would they sue? Would they sue the HOA? Who, who would they get recourse from? Other comments on this? <clears throat> Mr. Sellers, do you have any comments? Um, the only comment I, I, you know, I had several questions for, for Matt and not that I don't think Mike can answer them, but um, just, uh, I, I don't think anything is that, I don't think there's anything that Mike could say that could satisfy what I'm thinking right now in regards to this project, um, in regards to the study. Um, the question of the, the, the statute piece in regards to the, the, the creek and diverting and what that impact could have and just reviewing the meeting. I don't, I don't, I'm not 100% comfortable in the assessment and the report. Um, I also don't want to conflate too much with <clears throat> ideas of infill with this project, um, with other infill projects that have come in front of the commission prior to this one, because um, they're not the same projects, but we do have some reckoning to do in our community and how we observe and look at and assess infill projects, um, encounter that with any type of annexation or, or new development we may have. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, that's not a sticking point for me. Um, I think what makes this infill project a little bit unique is because some of the nuances in the design piece and some of the datedness of the assessments, whether it's from Evergy or um, the storm piece that did not seem to settle well with our planning commission. So um, not having Matt here puts me at a bit of a disadvantage and being able to further assess this and have the information I feel like I need to to have a solid decision for this evening, so, which is unfortunate. I guess I would say, I mean, those, like you said, there's a couple of conflicting parts here and I'm trying to make sure I'm looking at the right thing. I mean, you know, I happen to have a um, a house with, with two lots and it, I have, I don't know what my slope is, 12, 13% slope with a walkout basement and it goes down into a creek area um, and I have neighbors on the other side and that's a, you know, that's a, a platted lot with a whole, but it's almost all, it's almost 95% covered with trees. But 
if if I sold that lot or if someone bought my house, they could walk in, get a building permit, and tear out all the trees, build their house, um, and it would, you know, the, all the neighbors would be very unhappy because there's coyotes and those foxes and those water and there is owls and um, but it's someone's lot and it's someone's lot that they can build a house on and they wouldn't have to come to the, the city commission because it's just a lot um, which is different here if they had to rezone it if someone had to come to rezone it um, that would be a different question do you take an open space rezone it and do something different um, that's one question um, so here we have something in between a rezoning, which says you have to come ask whether or not you can use your land and another situation where you don't have to ask because you have a lot and you have a permission. This is in between because it's a development plan on a piece of property that's already zoned since 19, whatever, 65, whatever the year, 1995 as a, as a piece of property that's zoned full residential development. And um, you don't have to come ask whether or not you can build houses there. You don't have to come ask whether or not you can tear trees down. You, but you do have to come ask for a plan that meets our nine criteria, which to me is a different question than whether or not it should be zoned for residential. And so when you look at the staff report, and, and I appreciate you know Kyle's work on this, when you look at the nine questions, um, you know, the nine specific things in our statute that are, are supposed to be considered, including things like does it, you know, double more traffic generate the neighborhood, propose the housing types, 34%. You know, I, I agree with you, Mayor, there's probably only one of the nine that you could argue that they don't meet, which is whether or not the potential adverse impacts have been mitigated to the maximum practical extent. Um, you know, otherwise, I think it meets the nine criteria set out in our statute, um, except for that question. And you know, is you know the 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 adverse impacts mitigated to the maximum extent practical? You know, that question then comes down to you know the the study of our staff and whether or not there's a, a better way than under our um, you know our stormwater engineers whose job it is to make sure our stormwater system works and they say that um, this is this works within our stormwater um, engineer now they may or may not be hydrologists as some people say and they certainly don't live there um, so I think that's the the one question you'd be looking at um, when you're considering this under that lens which is not a lens of rezoning or not a lens of of um, a different type of lens and so that I think is is the question, um, and you know I was um, a little disappointed in when when I watched the planning commission meeting that um, the, you know the planning commission didn't analyze any of these nine and technically our statute says they were supposed to make findings of fact based upon the nine um, and and they didn't even they didn't reference those so I think it makes it harder to consider what. Um, they provided us um, without that analysis. And so I guess I'm, I just want to be, be sure that we at least are analyzing the nine factors that we're supposed to be analyzing when we make this determination because um, that's what the code requires of us. Well, then 
I appreciate that. And and then I would add one, which is its consistency with the comprehensive plan. Um, I think you could make that argument. Sure. Um, the other thing I didn't press was this open space and whether the open space under the electric lines is counted as open space, whether we should count that or not. You could certainly make that argument here with the open space too. Um, it is unfortunate that um, Evergy put them in this position, but what it shows is exactly what our comprehensive plan is supposed to show us, which is we are supposed to take climate change into account. Um, when someone came up with this idea in 1995, again, when I was in high school, we weren't even talking about climate change. That was not um, in our common vocabulary and it is now. And um, we certainly have enough engineers around um, who are fully aware of that. And our comprehensive plan certainly acknowledges it. To harken back to what Commissioner Finkel-Dye said, I think what it comes down to is a Yes, you know, if it follows those nine objectives in there and how close are they hew to them and also a sense of trust of our engineering staff and our planning staff and our staff in general. They have okayed this plan. They, they, they've said that um, in their consultancy with, you know, other factors or other folks that, um, that you know, it can, it's doable and they can be done. And, uh, you know, um, so even though, yeah, it's, even though I might be conflicted, I, they are our staff and they are the experts. So I would lean towards their direction. So. It would have been nice to be able to talk to the staff about it. So I'm, I'm disappointed in that, that yeah. we don't have that staff person here that actually made this evaluation to, to talk about it. Um, because I do question number eight, whether it's been mitigated to the maximum practical extent. And anytime you start talking about moving creek beds, um, it's very concerning to me. I'm a geologist by training. It's my career for 30 years. Um, and so I have very significant concerns about wanting to move that, especially when you're trying to move it closer to existing properties and the potential impact of that. So I would, um, again, it, it would be good to hear from staff as to their reasoning. So where do you want to go from here? I think, I think it does require full votes, right? We just determine yeah. that right. if it's going to be approved, it, Two votes to to turn it down. Three, um, three votes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Two two votes to turn down. Right. Yeah. Two four. votes for yeah. now. Four. Yeah. So, Commissioner Sellers, where are you at on this? Any other thoughts or comments? I mean, the fact that we. We didn't see the commission, the planning commission speak to this from the nine factors, knowing that these are at least factors of to be considered at minimum in my, and Randy, tell me if I'm misinterpreting that incorrectly. Um, 
I mean, my first inclination is to return this back to the Planning Commission to have further talk, have further discussions on the piece as it relates to the diverting of the creek, as well as the nine determining factors. I recognize staff's report, but reconciling that in regards to the input of those nine criteria as it relates to the commission, I don't feel like that's been I don't feel like that is that has been exhausted and that's been executed. And not having staff here to speak to that point, I don't feel comfortable voting to I don't feel comfortable approving or denying something because I don't have all the information I feel that I need to make that decision. I don't know if that warrants bumping it back down to the planning commission or if we do that so that we can have staff come back. I don't I'm not sure how, how to navigate that piece right there. That's that's a little bit of nuance to me that I don't know if I necessarily have a grip on navigating that. Commissioner, one of the options for the, the city commission is to send it back to the planning commission with directions to perform a certain task, whether they need to look at one particular item or multiple items and then make a a different recommendation or the same recommendation or a better recommendation or a recommendation in more detail to you. That is one of the options that is available to you and has been used in the past. Thank you, Randy. Randy, as a, a follow-up to that, I know in 1304G G number four, it mm -hmm. says if the city commission shall state the reasons for its decision in the official record and notify the applicable in applicant in writing of its decision and the reasons for its decisions. Um, you know, typically when we are consistent with the staff report that that becomes our findings and we don't do a separate writing, but sometimes when we go against the staff report, we ask for different findings to be made in writing or what would you suggest here if indeed we were either going to turn it down or send it back? That, that is typically up to you. Sometimes we make recommendations regarding whether to provide findings of fact or conclusions of law. Typically, if we believe that there's a potential for litigation coming up, it's usually helpful for the court uh, so that they have an idea of what the basis is for the decision. So, but that's always and ultimately in the uh, discretion of the governing body, unless the provision states specifically that it has to be done. I don't know that it does in this case. Let's see. If you get, if you look at third, let's see, thirteen oh four G. Excuse me, twenty thirteen oh. Well, I am look. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong. I'm looking at the wrong statute. Hold on. Let me make sure I'm looking at. I was looking at thirteen oh three, and you look at thirteen oh four. City Commission thirteen oh four. I know the Planning Commission is supposed to make findings, but they don't need to put them in writing. That's the recommendation of the Planning Commission. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> So. 
So is there interest to send it back to the more interest to send it back to the planning commission or possibly defer it to hear from staff? One second. Third, make sure I'm reading this right now that I found the right section. So 1304D8C commission decision little subsection four. So eight four D eight four. The C Commission shall state its reason in writing and notify the applicant in writing of its decision. I guess I just, my question, if we, if we are not going to use this staff report, if we, if you feel we need to do anything in particular there, Randy? Um, yes, we could do that. I, typically what they do is planning staff will, after a decision is made, if we don't do formal findings of facts and conclusions of law, planning staff will put together a letter notifying the applicant of what the decision was and why the decision was made. And that's typically how that vision is followed unless we do formal findings of fact and conclusions of law. So I think, yeah. I mean, one possibility is to send it back to the planning commission to have them, I think, review the nine criteria and, and have us give us a recommendation on the nine criteria um, and then have that, you know, so we could see that. I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, I think the if we're going to if we're going to deny it, um, you know, if this if there's two votes to deny it, then I think we at least want to consider making sure we state those reasons and then maybe have it come back to us. Yes, to you us. Can direct staff to prepare prepare findings of fact and conclusions of law based on what you do, and we would bring those back to you at a later date, either next week, probably not next week, but probably the first part of April. I think there's a loaded agenda next week, perhaps. Okay. So we're looking at the idea of sending it back to planning, look at those nine items, or um, actually approving it or denying it based on vote. I hear from Melissa Commissioner Sellers that she doesn't feel as though um, she's got adequate information to make a decision. Is that correct, Commissioner Sellers? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Ms. Commissioner Sellers, I said I, I don't have the information to approve or deny. As Commissioner Finkeldice stated, to look at the nine criterias, and we, there was emphasis on eight, and eight is the one that we don't have Matt here to speak to. And if the planning commission didn't really speak to the findings of all, uh, didn't speak to the criteria of all nine, and that's something that we're using at minimum to at least make a decision on this, I would be of the mind to send it back to the planning commission to have them assess it, the planning commission to assess it based on those nine. Give Matt the opportunity to come back and have this conversation with us so that I feel like I would have enough adequate information to make a vote on this. I don't have it now. Does that sound? I'd be in favor of that. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Commissioner Sellers, although I would say that um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't guess what planning would do or not do, but um, even deferring it and having Matt here to, um, uh, ex explain that perspective um, could absolutely um, make the difference in 
um, my decision making. So I I just hate to put them back through going through planning again <laughs> if uh, a simple deferral and hearing from staff would um, solve it. I'm just throwing that out there. But if if the if the majority is with sending it back, I I can go with that too. Randy, do you have a well, Brandon? Do you have a suggestion on which? It, it's it's totally within the discretion of the city commission. I I would recommend. I mean, I do know that if you do send it back to the planning commission, give them express directions as to what their tasks is, so that they can return it back to you exactly what you are looking. And that is a requirement when you send something back to the planning commission. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Commissioner Shipley. I mean, maybe it's a default to have a to bring it back here before we do that. That's always an option if we defer it to bring it back. If we send it back now, all these people have to do the same thing over and then they're really mad at us. Um, and then, uh, um, I, again, I'm, I'm, I wish it would have came to us in a different, different yeah. way, but yeah. Yeah. So either, I, I mean, I, I guess I would support deferral to, to bring it back or um, I'll probably lean that way before I send it back to the planning commission at this point to see how people felt. I would be interested in that instead of sending it all the way back through the loops to get um, staff here to speak to it. I'm fine with that as well. Commissioner Sellers. So Randy, if we defer it, we're not going to see this until the first part of April, correct? Probably not. Okay. And it might be a good idea to ask the applicant if they're okay with the deferral as well. Bill, you wanna come up? I, I appreciate your deliberation and we would accept the deferral. That would be fine with us. Okay, thank you. So do we need to take action on that? I, yes, you would need to make a motion and, and vote on a deferral until, um, and I would make it a date certain. So I, I don't know what, what meeting in April would be best? I know the 21st of this month is kind of full. So, Raymond, on that first week of April, we have the housing discussion. Yeah, a lot of discussions. <laughs> um, Sherry, do you have a suggestion looking at our calendar? Um, April 18th. So, right now, um, I think they. I think the 11th or the 18th would work. The 11th looks like the moment, but the 11th might be better. It's closer in time. Mm -hmm. would, yeah, soon as we don't have to wait as long. So 11th. Yeah. Thanks. So can we? Don't know if that is available. I don't know if his. No, nope, you don't have to. Office if not, you need to make him available. I'm sure. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right then. Um, Move to. Motion. Move to defer preliminary development plan PD 220224 until April 11th. Second. I got a first and a second on the motion. All in favor? Aye. 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 Passes five to zero. Yeah. We're on to item three. We are at 1040. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> What's our plan here? Technically, I don't know if technically, but we, oh, they're, they're, we, yeah. um, we can get it started. If we don't get it started up by 11, then we're supposed to stop. So, um, let's, you guys want to go ahead and do it? Yeah. We in favor? Let's do it. 
I'm getting slap happy. Okay, let's get it. Go for it. We're going to do it. Item three. We'll let folks get out of the room here. Okay, we're on to item three, consider approving a request to annex A-22-00403, approximately 143.41 acres located in the southeast corner of SLT in US 59, submitted by Land Plan Engineering on behalf of 350 Iowa Development LLC, property owner of record, adopt on first reading ordinance. So who do we have? Sandy. Sandy. All right. Good evening, Commissioners. Sandy Day, Planning Office. I am going to share my screen. Um, you can follow along with the presentation that was provided to the Planning Commission in your packet. If that is helpful, I will go through this fairly quickly. Um, give me just one moment, please. Can you see my screen? If somebody can nod? Yes. Great, yes. thank you. So just um, very quickly, I'll give you the overview so you can dig into the discussion of this item. The annexation request is for about 143 acres located on that southwest corner of the two highways, K-10 Highway and Highway 59 or the South Lawrence Traffic Way and um, South Iowa Street Extended. Um, this slide highlights the property. It is three parcels. It is uh, kind of sandwiched between um, what would be Michigan Street extended to the south, South Iowa extended to the south. The southern boundary is the Wakarusa River. There is a piece of ground that is already within the city limits and this property would be part of that overall development project in the future. Um, just a quick slide and there is some discussion in the staff report about utilities. There, there's really no utilities serving this property at the moment. Um, all of the infrastructure would have to be developed for the project. The application is coming to you as just the annexation request. All of the additional land use entitlements for the zoning, planning, public improvement plans would all be future applications for this property. Um, the streets, as I mentioned, um, provide access to this uh, particular property. The, um, the portions of the request are located predominantly in Tier 2, and that is an area that is expected to um, be annexed, and then that um, a portion of that area is um, not labeled. As you can see, it's why Tier 3 is that area that is south of um, the river. One of the significant discussions that took place at the Planning Commission was what is a community benefit. Um, this is information taken directly from Plan 2040. The um, language is written intended to be extremely flexible so that um, 
as each project comes forward within the lifetime of the plan that whatever that community benefit, whatever that community need can be assessed. So in this point in time, um, we have a lot of discussions around the availability of um, developable residential lots. In other times, we've um, had more of a discussion of need for commercial or industrial lands. So this language is intended to provide that flexibility. So it gives us a list of things that can be considered, but it is not an exhaustive list. Um, some of the inventory, I'm sorry, some of the benefits the applicant has identified in their plan, they, they believe they have a concept of what that development will look like. It is not something that we have seen at the staff level at this point in time. The first step of their entitlement is to um, get in front of this body to determine whether or not the community will even support the annexation before they step forward with the additional engineering that would be required um, for those additional um, plans that uh, to, to help frame what that development would look like. So the project does talk about having small lots, um, mixing that, those small lots with larger lots, densities and styles, creating a walkable design. Um, you heard a, about a walkable design project earlier this evening. Um, one of the, the unique things about this particular application at this point in time is that we have um, we have known plans for what the intersection of the two highways is going to look like. Previous applications, um, those designs were still being studied and assessed. Um, so that is one of the benefits of this project at this time. Um, uh, Significant portion of the property is encumbered by regulatory floodplain. This was also a discussion at the Planning Commission. There are two components of the floodplain. You have the floodway as well as the fringe area. So the floodway is that area that is striped. The fringe area is that area that is the paler salmon color. Within the city regulations, um, the city regulations governing floodplain are actually a bit more stringent than they are in the county um, because we do require that once that property is uh, zoned and platted, there is additional protections that will have to be um, accounted for. And we talk about that, you know, the, the two foot freeboard. So whatever that floodplain, that base flood elevation is across the floodway, an additional two feet of protection would be required. So um, it, it should not be assumed that this entire acreage is developable. It is not. Um, and then within this salmon colored area, depending on what the development looks like, there will be requirements that only a certain amount of that property can uh, be developed. So portions of it will have to be left in um, green space. In some of the earlier projects that we talked about um, with a different developer was how this property could perhaps tie into the Baker wetlands. Um, so I would assume that those would be discussions we would be having um, moving forward if the property is annexed in the future. Just a quick slide, and this is in your packet about what the intersection is going to look like um, in the future with um, with the additional on-ramps. Um, 
having a better understanding of where access into this property will be provided within the scope of the um, planned street network for the area. Um, property is contiguous to the city limits and um, it is a voluntary annexation request that is something that is coming forward um, to you and that where services can reasonably be available or be extended to this property. Um, this property has been part of um, planning efforts going back to the early 1990s. It was originally included in um, the Southern Development Plan, which covered an area south of 31st Street between Louisiana and Castled. That plan was updated in 2007 and became known as the Revised Southern Development Plan. Um, you can see much of the green space um, that is uh, reflected in this plan is part of or reflective of where that floodplain overlay is for this property. Whether or not the applicant would uh, pro propose a development that stays within the confines of, of these limits shown in the plan or whether or not they would bring forward a, a project that would want to extend some of that space um, that would potentially require a revision to the revised, a revision to the revised Southern Development Plan. That's mouthful, um, and that would be something that would be a public engagement uh, process where it would have to go to the Planning Commission and to this body as well as the County Commission to amend that plan if the applicant is doing something different than what's in that document today. Um, I meant to look up before this evening. I don't remember um, if this particular plan is part of our uh, five-year work plan or not, um, but it's, it's not in the immediate list, I don't believe. Um, some of the future applications we would have to get from the applicant would be, as I mentioned, a revision to that area plan, rezoning subdivision public improvement plans and site plans um, if they if the development is proposing something other than um, detached residential development which I'm assuming the applicant would be interested in doing. Staff's recommendation for the annexation was for approval. The planning commission the planning commission's recommendation was a split vote for three um, and there were really those two significant issues that they, they talked about was community benefit and the regulatory floodplain. I'm happy to answer any questions. That's a summary of what I have to share with you. I know the applicant is in the room with you and um, can answer more specific pro questions about their project. Thank you. Any questions for Sandy? Uh, just real quick, Cindy, I, I thought I watched the Planning Commission meeting. I don't remember them discussing the, the community benefit very much. They discussed flooding and they discussed uh, the farmland. I don't recall them discussing community benefit. Sandy Day planning, uh, in, we've had a lot of Planning Commission meetings. Um, I could very well have misspoken. Um, they kind of run together a little bit, so I apologize for that. Okay, no, I'm. Hey, yeah, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just checking. You're correct. Thank you. We discussed other things like CIP, whether yeah. we're so forth. Okay, any any questions for Sandy? Any other questions? 
Commissioner Sellers? No, okay. Applicant? Bill Struble, Land Plan Engineering. Um, let's see, could I have some? This is some of the slides that we already put on there. So it should be on the desktop. Okay. Oh, no, okay, wrong one. Okay, got it. Start closing windows. The desktop. Oh, I get to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. You're giving the con. Okay. Phil Struble, Land Plan Engineering, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk fast so we can keep this moving. So I just want to remind everybody we're here uh, just for the annexation portion of this project, right? And and the reason is is that this is the first of many steps. Now, number one. Um, you know, the city staff has reviewed our application and has recommended approval. The, um, once we are annexed, I mean, we have a long laundry list of things we're gonna have to do before we can we can even start to consider moving ground and, and we're gonna be before you multiple times. So this is just step number one. The second benefit of us taking this step all by itself is KDOT has already reached out to us because they, they know something's gonna happen on this corner. We haven't shared with them land uses, but they wanna know as early as they can you know what it is something going to happen in this corner because it dramatically affects their their plans for the ramp and for the intersection and so we're simply trying to help them out and keep them moving if if there is no appetite for anything on this property it seriously changes what they're thinking is so i think it's it's fair that we're trying to help them out hopefully you see that at least the annexation part of the project is going to keep them being aware that we're going forward with this um, and then, and then, lastly, you know, the investors want to know, uh, you know, it's going to—they're going to spend an awful lot of money moving forward to even have have me before you again, and they want to know if, if you know, I think it's a fair question whether we're really interested in in that. Um, <clears throat> but before I go forward, I got some things I want to show you. Um, there, there were really two things that that were prevalent at the planning commission meeting and one was well, the floodplain clearly and i'm going to get to that the second one though that was interesting was the loss of farm ground and that that was clearly stated in in three of the votes three of the dissenters the three of the dissenting votes had had indicated the loss of farm ground i want to kind of explain to you my thinking about this so when when property is when when somebody builds a house in the county okay we lose probably an average of 10 acres of farm ground because of that house being built. I'm speaking from firsthand experience because I live out in the county. However, if we take that 10 acres and annex that into the city of Lawrence because it's next to the city of Lawrence, that's probably 30 houses, right? You following? But if we take that 30 houses that that 10 acres could have been and move that out into the county, that's 300 acres of lost farm ground. 
My way of thinking is, is that if we want to protect farm ground in rural Douglas County, the number one thing we need to do is annex ground next to the city of Lawrence, because that's going to reduce the appetite for all the people moving out and, and the, you know, 80 to 120 building permits that we're seeing in, in rural Douglas County right now versus what we're seeing. I mean, it's, it's entirely likely that this year, rural Douglas County is going to have more building permits than the city of Lawrence is going to have. And that's not right. These are these, you know, with the services that are provided, they need to be in the city. We need to annex ground. So I just wanted to clarify that that's my way of thinking about annexing farm ground. If we want to protect it, we got to annex what's available to the, what's adjacent to the city of Lawrence. Okay, so I'm going to share with you, uh, we've shared this with um, uh, some of the city staff. Sandy hasn't been there when we've shown it. Um, but some people, you know, there's a handful of people. This is no secret. This is just where we are conceptually on this piece of property. Okay. This is not an application. It's not even close to anything we're prepared to submit. It's just where we're thinking at today on this piece of property. It is truly a mixed use. The only use that is not in this plan right now is industrial. <clears throat> we have probably 140 to 180 detached single family uses. We're trying to hit three, <coughs> excuse me, three or four different price points in the residential detached <coughs> market. Excuse me. We have got um, townhouses. We've got a townhouse development in here. We've got an apartment project in here. We've got traditional commercial development in here. This development, the the purple in the middle there is really what we're building this development around. And that is with a with a entertainment related theme in the middle part. And we really can't talk about what's going to go in there, but there's a lot of uses that are entertainment for all age groups in Lawrence, Kansas that are not here right now <clears throat> that we're seeing in a lot of other surrounding communities. And we want to kind of build that as a focal point of the center of this. And then on the south end, we've got, uh, you know, some, some hotel sites. But that's just a development piece. What we've also got is we've got the green belt that Sandy had mentioned cutting through the middle of it that we're going to try to preserve that uh, mature stand of riparian uh, trees that are through there. Uh, we've got a... a, a multi-use path network that cuts through this site in, in a number of different places. To the south, it's going to um, connect to a, a walkway that's through the Wakarusa River setback corridor that probably averages four to 500 feet in width, just set back from the Wakarusa River. We've got the pond, and then we're going to connect uh, pedestrian-wise to the existing a bike trail that's along the South Orange traffic way, and we're going to connect to the network that goes into the Baker wetlands. <clears throat> um, we also want to focus this is really the the South Gateway into the into Lawrence. Okay, so we're trying to provide lots of opportunities along Highway 59 where there is signage, maybe educational uses, and other things that we can do along Highway 59 that really lets you know that you're coming into Lawrence, Kansas. Because it, it, for all practical purposes, in the near term, this is the only um, 
this will be the, the southernmost entrance into the Lawrence for a very long period of time until we start going back up the hill. And that's about a mile and a half away. Um, there are many steps ahead. We're in the process of doing, you know, one of our next steps is we're going to do a traffic study. And we're probably going to study at least 12 to 15 different intersections as to what this does. We're going to do a downstream sewer study that goes along with this. Some of the improvements that we think are going to be necessary for this are already in your CIP and MSO is talking about doing them, which is downstream of this in the city wastewater collection system. Um, and then, of course, we have to go through the planning and the conformance with all the, the plans. And so there is a lot of stuff to go forward with this project before we even can can bring a plan and, and most likely the plan you're going to see is it may not even look like this it, because once we start getting into all the rest of those studies, this will get refined and moved and cleaned up. This is just our first shot at it. So we had something to look at. So I, I just wanted to share with you because, you know, it's the best way to explain all the steps we have to go through. The first step is just to annex this piece of ground. Now, the last thing I have to talk about is um, stormwater, okay? And through our plan with stormwater, um, st stormwater at this site is very interesting. And it's very interesting because, well, I'll go back to the plan. We have um, the east-west corridor that I showed you that cuts through the middle of the site is one drainage way that discharges into the Baker wetlands. We have the Wakarusa River that has its own floodplain. And in this area, we have two different floodplains that coincide with each other, which makes makes for some very interesting dynamics for us. And, and of course, the, the, the green area surrounding the pond is the floodway, which we have to, we cannot build any structures that come out of the ground through that. That's all to say that we're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy looking at how we can protect uh, our development from flooding, how we cannot exacerbate any other floodplain issues downstream from us uh, and, and how we can allow this project to move forward. That will require a, a very extensive study that's going to go to Matt Bond and, and, and the city's stormwater engineer and for them to review. We're going to have to get a floodplain development permit. We're most likely going to have to go through the uh, DNR or the yeah, Division of Water Resources in Topeka. And we'll probably need, we're, we're projecting right now, probably three different studies that are going to be required by FEMA. Those are all things we've done before. They're all time consuming. They all take a lot of work. But the, again, the annexation is the first step to that. And, and those all five of those steps involved in there are to meet our ultimate goal where we're not flooding ourselves out and we're not exacerbating any of the floodplain issues on our neighbors. I mean, we don't want to do that. So um, that's that's my really quick uh, introduction to this project. Again, we're just asking for annexation just so we can get started. And that's the, the sole topic that we've got for now. So I'd be happy to answer any questions if you have any. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Any questions for Phil?
Um, I was just curious about that uh, that that pond out there that that's sitting in the southeast corner. That looks a little bit more like a little lake. I mean, how big is that? Um, it's probably fourteen acres right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like you said, that's that's in the. I, I think what from the planning commission meeting, uh, there's a difference between the floodway and the floodplain. If you could go into that a little I, bit. I, yeah, I'd be happy to. So the, the floodplain is divided into two pieces. There is the floodway in the middle and the floodway fringe on the outside. And kind of in layman's terms, the floodplain is defined by how much of the floodplain fringe you can fill and not increase the flood elevation by more than one foot. Most of the time, it's significantly less than one foot. And so, in theory, the way FEMA looks at it is the floodplain fringe, you can fill it. That's where the two feet comes from, by the way, that Sandy had referenced that we have to be above because we get the one foot fill and then we get one more foot on top of that as additional protection. Um, because of the size of this development, we're probably looking at three and four feet above the floodplain because we want to get some slope. Okay. So. Any other questions? Nope. nope. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. All right. So at this time, we'll uh, take it to public comment. Any public comment on this item? Hello again, Kristen Eldridge. It's getting kind of late. It's past my bedtime, so I'll try not to get very punchy. It's almost time to get up. Um, so I wanted to talk about housing um, and the importance of housing. And we heard a couple of infill projects tonight um, where the developer was going to front the costs or there weren't costs to the city. Um, and then this one is an annexation project and it would require um, infrastructure in, into that area, which is costly, but the benefit is all of the new housing that could be, that could be there. Um, this housing is so important to us right now, and it's also important as we see what's coming um, down, down the road to the east of us at Panasonic. Um, this is a good start and it's not everything. It's not gonna solve a lot of things, but it will solve a bit of our housing um, needs and maybe stop the bleeding just a little bit. So I wanted to offer that for your consideration this evening and um, please consider annexing this area. Thank you. Thanks. Other public comment? Good evening, Michael Alvin, Sustainability Action Network. Please deny this annexation. After four failed development attempts, the applicant now thinks he has the magic formula of mixed use affordability and walkability. Nice concept, bad location. It might be welcomed if proposed to the west or northwest where growth is prioritized. Plan 2040's whole purpose of infill density is to not sprawl into sensitive lands and prime farmland. 
Chapter two states prioritize infill before expanding through annexation and strengthen floodplain regulations. Single dwelling sprawl, single dwelling sprawl into the floodplain is backwards. Plan 2040 stresses mixed use and walkability, but as multi-dwelling and most importantly, infill. The project does not give a community benefit of quote, land for open space and protection of floodplain and sensitive lands. That floodplain is there right now, providing benefits for the community fully with its own ecological services. Any, inf any filter development there would diminish those lands. This project is critically, de critically dependent on highway access. The applicant claims another community benefit of quote, this area of development has been planned for by KDOT. By gifting a K-10 US 59 ramp and intersection of six lanes in all directions, a $5 million taxpayer subsidy for private profit is bad enough. But even worse, the new intersection is increasing the probability of development there. At the October 2021 Multimodal Transportation Commission meeting, both Chris Norton of KDOT and our city engineer said the interchange and the ramps are planned to serve the development. Foregone conclusion. But the road engineer, but road engineers have no right to be making our land use decisions where they decide how and where to build roads. Six years ago plus, we warned officials who are considering plan 2040 that designating this area of floodplain as tier two was a mistake. It didn't take a clairvoyant to predict what would happen. That tier two is just an open invitation to sprawl. According to Gus Speth, environmental attorney, each year the U.S. is losing to urban sprawl about 2 million acres of, of uh, open space and 1.2 million acres of farmland. The prime farmland disappearing at 30% faster rate. Please don't add these losses in the Wakarusa River corridor. The pending open, county open space plan highlights preserving waterways, native prairies, wetlands, wildlife habitat, agricultural lands, and heritage sites. And this river corridor is the county jewel for that. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Michael. Thank yeah. you. I'm pleased to deny yep. it. Another public comment? Good evening. My name is Ron Gacious, and I rise in support of this annexation request. The last 10 months, I've watched projects that were infill projects, LITEC projects, annexation projects become come before the Planning Commission and fail, and fail, and fail to get their support. Even some of those that have gained support have come to this commission and not been approved. Plan 2040, we're told, puts the emphasis on infill and density. But when we bring you, when we, the city, brings you infill and density projects, they're more often to be defeated, voted down, either at the Planning Commission or here, rather than move forward. We need building lots badly. We've come up with this vague language about community benefit only after the Kansas legislature stepped forward and prohibited by law the inclusionary zoning requirements that we wanted to put in place. 
And it appears now that we're using the community benefit requirement as a workaround to putting in place basically some type of some type of, in, of inclusionary zoning requirement. This property has all kinds of issues associated with water that Mr. Struble's already recognized. That before we would ever build any commercial or residential uh, assets would have to be addressed by our planning staff and the developer. But give us a chance to work through those issues. We're not having much success with infill development in our community. We're not meeting the needs for new housing starts with infill development. The major infill development projects have all just kind of peeled away. Um, the big the big win tonight was what endowment associations are doing with their innovation park. And even there, folks are asking for a 150-foot buffer zone that would eliminate much of the space that the developer wants to use for affordable housing. We are losing time after time in our efforts to find new places to build. Now, I don't know if going south is better than going west or going north or going east, but we've got to go somewhere and infill is not filling the bill. I think we've been poorly served by the recommendations from our planning commission, and we need to give the developer and the city staff a chance to see if there are opportunities to build. Thank you, Ron. Ron. Thank you. Other public comment? Again. <laughs> Sorry about that earlier. Glad you're back. I'm going to take it from the top here. Aya, Courtney King Waynes Waane, Nila Pewalia Nehe Miamia. Hello, everyone. My name is Courtney King. I'm Peoria in Miami. I'm a senior at Haskell Indian Nations University. I have spoken about I have spoken out about the South Wakarusa extension and will continue to speak out against propositions to further develop along the Wakarusa River. Humans have decimated too many areas within the Wakarusa Valley. And I will never stand with people who continually push human progress before our non-human relatives. The development of this space will affect downstream areas of the Wakarusa Valley, including the Baker and Haskell wetlands. Once again, this annexation of this vital space will commit environmental and social injustices on indigenous people and our non-human relatives. Dozens of migratory birds stop at the Haskell wetlands when making their way to summer and winter homes. With further pollution, water will become significantly degraded to where the wetlands could become inhospitable to vital migratory bird species. The Haskell wetlands are also a critical ecosystem for our native pollinators, including monarch butterflies, which have been listed as endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature in 2022. We must prioritize our remaining green spaces for the betterment of humans and non-humans alike. Mother Earth deserves our respect and stewardship, and Indigenous people have known this for thousands of years before Lawrence was here. Newe, thank you. Other public comment on this item? Hello, I'm, I'm Richard Hurd. I live at 1134 East 1300 Road. I own the property just south of the river, of the Wakarusa River. And I'm not really against the annexation. I, what I'm really concerned about is some flood control. 
about the, the bottom half of this picture here. Uh, two years ago, uh, 1st of August, 2019 was underwater. We had flooding and there, we had a flood there and we, and I've, I've lived at 1134 for 40 years, over 40 years. And I've seen random flooding several times when the Wakarusa gets out of the riverbanks. My, my main concern on the whole deal is, is filling up the floodplain, adding dirt, creating building sites there. Uh, you know, they're going to have to be above the water, uh, above the water flood lane. And what that's going to do is going to push water like on me and other farm properties in that area. Uh, like I say, the 1st of August, 2019, there was on my field, which is just across the river, I had two to three feet of water on the field. And I'm, and people live in the Lone Star area, they know what I'm talking about. When Lone Star gets a large rain, six, seven inches, it gets Washington Creek and it comes right on down and floods the area. Uh, Clinton Lake does a wonderful job of protecting it, but those rains that happen in the Lone Star area, they bypass the lake, they bypass the lake and then flood that area. But that's my main concern is just the added flooding that that can create onto my place and other farmland. Farming's tough right now. You know, it's in, I don't need, we don't, I deal with mother nature. I can't deal with her if she does what she wants, but I just, with human, with human parts of adding to the floods, flood area, I, I don't need that, you know, and other people don't need it either. It's, and like I say, I'm not against the annexation, just, just kind of keep it out of the floodplain. Give us, give us farmers some respect, you know, you know, keeping that building out of the floodplain, you know, because when you build that dirt up and don't allow the water to go there, where's it going to go? It's going to go other places, my place on other farm areas. So that's my, my main thing, just, you know, Keep in mind of the flooding floodplain. Thank you. And Mother Nature doesn't know the difference between floodway and floodplain. She doesn't <laughs> care. Mother Nature does what she wants to. And I've seen it happen half a dozen times in 40 years. Recently, it's two years ago. Thank you. Other public comment from the room? If not, we'll go to Zoom. That's, oh, Chris. We got Chris, Chris Dilden. Yeah, good evening, Commission. Can you hear me all? Hear me all, hear me okay, great. Um, thank you for accepting public comment at 11.21 in the evening. I'm sure we're all ready to go home and uh, I'll keep this brief. You know, I know at the moment, the risk of urban sprawl seems pretty uh, remote in Lawrence, but I think it's also really difficult to know when we reached that tipping point. And, you know, as the discussion about Fall Creek tonight indicates, you know, we all recognize that with climate change, uh, even the tools that we have to understand the risk associated with things like flooding uh, is gonna be, you know, become increasingly difficult. Um, you know, I know infill projects are going to be hard almost every neighborhood is going to show up to express concerns, you know, some legitimate, um, some maybe a little less so. Um, you know, we had the 11th and Castle discussion a couple of months ago. Um, at the same point in time, you know, we are just going to have to begin thinking about kind of bold and creative concerns to address infill 
Um, you know, I think we really will need to get out of a build it and they will come mentality of paving over environmentally valuable land and expanding our urban footprint. You know, recent increases in fees for city services is indicative of the fact that costs to provide those services are growing. Um, even without expanding our footprint. So I really am concerned about, you know, annexing uh, additional land at this point in time when, you know, we've got a lot of, um, I know infill's hard, but there is a lot of vacant uh, retail uh, business and other space within uh, the confines of our city that we're going to need to consider as we think about how is it that we continue to grow. So I really urge us to utilize plan 2040 to drive important land use decisions such as this annex request. Um, you know, with all due respect to the developers, I, I'm not sure the people who want to develop property in Douglas County are really going to want to live in a medium density development developed immediately adjacent to K-10, uh, but we are going to have to think about creative approaches to our urban development. So thank you for the opportunity to speak. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Any other public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. Nope. Okay, bring it back to the commission. Open it up for Ooh, discussion um, or other questions. I'd like to go. I, given the time, I'll just jump right in. I, um, you know, I, I do think, you know, the the discussion about Plan 2040, um, to me, is an important one. I mean, both Infield and I, we've talked about it, but also as it relates um, to the comprehensive plan for our entire um, community. And, you know, we, that, that plan put Tier 2, um, put some of this land in Tier 2, um, and we put some land in tier two, not very much land really in the grand scheme of things, uh, certainly according to some in tier two and the rest in tier three. And then we said, we need to build in tier two if there's a community benefit um, um, part of that. And so this is, you know, some of it's tier one, but the rest, I mean, what we're talking about annexation nights, tier two. Uh, I do agree with Phil that if we're gonna protect the county as a whole, we have to um, respect tier two, annex it and use it. Because if not, um, we all get in a lot of people building out in the county um, um, and destroying good farmland, um, you know, one house at a time. And so anyway, um, I do think we have a community benefit. I did not hear the planning commission talk about that. I assume that means they agreed with staff that we did have a community benefit, which is housing. I certainly think we have that issue. Um, and I also think, um, you know, preservation of the environment um, can be something we can accomplish through annexation. As a matter of fact, we can do a better job of it than the county can um, in, in the way we can develop this property, as well as, as mentioned by Sandy, our floodplain protections are better than the county's floodplain protections. And so um, in short, without belaboring it, I'm gonna support annexation. And um, again, knowing there's lots of steps left um, um, in this process. Uh, yeah, I'll jump right in as well. Uh, I'm going to support annexation because I, I think we need uh, housing, we direly need it. And 
Um, even though it is a preliminary plan, I, I like uh, kind of what I've seen so far, um, just entail uh, in terms of uh, the different levels of development uh, for housing um, and different lot sizes and uh, the walkability within that, uh, that plot of development. And as well, the idea for uh, the use of the floodplain um, with the retention pond and then the, the trails around it and retaining some of the old growth woods in the middle there. Um, uh, granted, uh, they're trying to do uh, everything they can. And I know it's not a final plan, but it, um, it did give me uh, some hope. And hopefully we can figure out a way to connect that to the rest of our trail system. I think that would be great, um, uh, you know, just in general <laughs> for around town. So um, short and sweet. Other comments, Commissioner? Commissioner Seller, Sellers? No, I, I fully agree with what Commissioner Finkeldy said. Um, with the piece of, oh, in regards to the annexation piece, you know, I'd like for us to talk about annexation and when we talk about affordable housing to speak with some real authenticity with it, um, whether it's from conferees um, or even us as commissioners. Um, and watching the planning commission, I know that there are several commissioners that talked about not knowing what affordable housing is, what the definition of it is, and what that looks like. And if we have planning commissioners saying that, then we're not doing a good job of sharing with our community what affordable housing looks like, what it could, and what it could look like in our community. Um, we have way too many subject matter experts in our community that can that can speak to that and who are innovators in this work, um, who knows what it can take to look like, what it takes for something like that, what it takes for that to look like. Sorry, my words are jumbled because it's late, but um, but we, we have to do better with that um, as it relates to Plan 2040. Also, the piece about infill. Um, I think I've been beyond disappointed in how our community has assessed and utilized Plan 2040 to speak of and speak against infill. And we can't talk about equity and access to housing for all if we're not, if we don't understand and start being intentional and aggressive about addressing access to housing for all. Um, so as we talk about the nuances of the beautification and the benefits of having creeks and tree canopies for market housing, I want us to have that same energy and fervent when we talk about affordable housing, moderate income housing, workforce housing, and that what it takes for us to not only as commissioners lobby for that, but to also educate our constituents on what that looks like. This annexation project is the first of one step in a many, many step process that could be an example of how we do that right. Um, so I will support this. I will be long-winded about this because I know all of us care about housing, but I've also seen us, and including myself at times, not be authentic in talking about this and doing our due diligence to really fight for what affordable housing looks like, regardless of Panasonic. 
So remind yourself, you have a commissioner that sits on the dais with you who does not, who does not own a home here, who would love to own a home here, who can't afford a home here. So I should not be relegated to being a renter because others in our community don't see the benefit in providing housing and an opportunity at home ownership simply because I can't afford a $300,000 or $400,000 home. If we wanna be welcoming, safe, secure, unmistakably cool, and all of the things that we say that we are in our strategic plan, we gotta get serious about what affordable housing and what our affordable housing strategies look like. So let this be the first step that towards us doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Um, uh, I, I feel like we've committed consistently to moving east and west. Um, and this feels like um, kind of a last grab for this southern movement, which will inevitably reach to, you know, more movement south, which is not what we've planned on. Um, I, I am consistently disturbed by the conversation that the chicken and egg, well, KDOT said, we'll build this road and then you can develop it. And I'm like, well, we're gonna develop it. So you build the road. Um, we shouldn't be developing anything based on what KDOT says or does. We should make our own development. We should know what we want. And we should be, thank you for using the word intentional, Commissioner Sellers, intentional about it. That was the point of plan 2040 was to be intentional and not just grab at every butterfly that goes by. Um, I am a little disturbed at the idea that farmland isn't an acceptable entryway to your city. Um, Kansas is a rural place. It is okay to just have farmland outside your town. It's okay to have a green beltway. And we should be proud if people grow food here. That does not mean that we don't have an entryway to our town. We can do that now. Um, it doesn't have to be all paved roads. It doesn't have to be buildings for people. It can acknowledge the natural world around us, which we just happen to have a very good space right now. The county has not identified it yet as a space to preserve. Um, I think if they had that time, they might, um, which of course then brings me to not only saying that we should wait for that to be uh, developing in this space particularly, um, but I would also say the revision to the area plan that was mentioned um, is not prioritized right now. And I guess that explains why everyone's in a big rush to uh, develop this spot. Um, and um, what else do I got? Um, I, in short, I, I would rather keep focused on the things that we've committed to. Um, I appreciate, however, Commissioner Finkeldice pointing out the tier two part of this, and I, I do see that, I understand that, but there's three other directions around our town um, that we can look at. Um, and I, I wish that we would realize that. Um, I would also say, I don't reject the idea that housing is a community benefit. I'm not rejecting that here at all, um, but I would like to see that east and west. And um, this space is too sensitive in my view. There is, I do agree, uh, a social justice component of this. We have not discussed this with our community. We have not discussed this with respect to the wetlands. We just say, oh, cool, we'll make a trail and that'll make it all better. Um, I don't know that that's accurate. If we actually sat down and talked to our community about what they expect in terms of preserving um, green space or open space. 
So I, I, I don't reject the notion that this could not be an effective space, but I'd like to see our area plan completed. That would give us an indication of what the community expects. And I would like the identification of green and open spaces. Um, I won't take much time here. Um, a lot about what I've seen that was presented. I, I think it's um, um, looks like it could be, have some good um, good aspects to it. The housing piece of it obviously is extremely important. We keep hearing that. I mean, it's true. I'm not saying we're here. It's true. We need that. The concern here is that we are in a very sensitive area. Um, you know, the prospect going west and east is something that I've been really strong supportive of. Um, when we get this close to sensitive lands, as well as the floodway and just the the fact that these soils um, are hydric in nature, um, um, not real stable. Um, I struggle with the fact that we're going here um, up against these um, sensitive lands first. And so my preference is that we go in different directions. Um, so I'm not going to support this annexation. So. Move for a motion then? Yep. Move to approve annexation request A2243 of approximately 143.41 acres located in the southeast corner of SLT and US 59 and adopt on first reading ordinance number 9972. Second. I got a first and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And opposed? Nay. Nay. All right. We'll go on to commission items. Do we need a vote to do that? Yeah. Um, Mayor, we'll need to either adjourn immediately or. Oh, that's right. Um, vote to extend. We make a motion to extend for a specific period of time or to a certain time. That's right. Do we want to go on or just. Um, let's yes. Go. Let's do it. Okay. I'm in it to win it. Okay. Um, motion to extend motion. the meeting by five minutes. Second. second. Okay, I got a first and a second. All in favor, aye. Aye. Uh, that's five to zero. We'll go on to commission items. Just real quick, mainly for staff's benefit, not that anything is inaccurate with the General World's article. Um, but at the CC at the CC Devil meeting today, there was a discussion about um discussion about how we could affect um uh, failures to appeal and we're talking about different ways to affect failures to appeal and I said well one thing I'd be interested in looking at would be a night court um, other people said that sounds like a good thing and um, the I just want to say I think it should be looked at I'm not saying I mean I don't I know that requires people to stay late it requires staff but it's something to look at but just say it's just that's how it came up and just pass that on any other commission items? Thank you on that. I appreciate you bringing that up, Commissioner Finkeldye. All right. Then on to the city manager's report. Uh, not much to report. Um, we've got the February sales tax report and then future agenda items. I just note that we'll add the uh, Fall Creek Villas to the April 11th agenda. All right. Any questions on that? Uh, this is a public comment item. Any um, public comment on this item? There's nobody in the room. <laughs> Anybody on Zoom? No. I, should, I heard a no. should say nobody. We've got a nice officer over there. <laughs> um, okay, then the review calendar items. Anything to add, delete, talk about? Not. Um, we'll go on to our item J, adjournment. 
I move to adjourn. Second. We got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? It passes five to zero. I guess she did. Did she? Should have said opposed.